Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. I am Todd Dandruff with Tellus. This is being broadcast live and recorded live on July 24, 2020. The time right now is 9.25 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time. I want to make sure that you know about the free roll that we're having on the site. We have it every week. Usually it's around $50, sometimes more, never less. It's always at least 50 but I sometimes will get more than that. It's it's up to me, really, when we receive money, how I want to distribute it. I have had people donate more, including tonight, and then I choose to hold it back so we don't run dry in future weeks. Some weeks the cup runneth over with donations and other weeks it does not. Now, yes, it is possible that I could give my own money to these free rolls, and we would have money every week. And it's not that I can't afford it. It's just that there's a certain reason I choose not to do that. You might be able to guess it. But I, I spend money on this site. It loses money. I don't try to get sponsors. So yes, I could give money to the free roll every week. And I can afford it, but I choose not to. But thank you to the users who don't take that attitude and actually give us money. This week, we got $100 from Hutmaster. Hutmaster is a longtime member of the community. And uh, he gave $100. He owns a pizza place. Uh, I, I think he does pretty well. He must do well enough to donate money to this site. So uh, $100 was donated this week by Hutmaster, and I decided to make it 50 each week. 50 this week, 50 next week. I could have done all, done all 100 tonight. I don't know. I just, I just decided not to. I decided it's better spent split up. So $50 is the free roll tonight. 25 for first, 15 for second, and 10 for third is the way it breaks down. It is on the No Fraud Online Poker Room to understand how that money can be won because you have to meet certain minimum requirements in order to win it. Go to PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll. PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll. And that is all lowercase. And you will learn all about how to qualify for the free money, which once you've qualified, you usually stay qualified forever. It's very easy. PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll. 25 minutes of late registration, which means you still have 13 minutes to get in there. You need a separate account on the No Fraud Online Poker Room, totally separate from the Poker Fraud Alert Forum. But if you don't have it yet, you cannot play this week because it also needs to be verified. And there's nobody around to verify it right now. I'm not going to stop the show to verify your account. But it will be verified for next week. And if you don't get verified... You can PM Belly Buster, that's Belly Space Buster, or me, Dan Space Druff, on the forum, and we can verify your account. That's just to prevent multi-accounting and cheating in the free roll. We wouldn't want that on a site that is meant to combat fraud in poker. So that is going on right now as we speak. It began at 9.15 Pacific Time. If you want to call the show, the phone number, as always, is 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355 is the number. You can also call the Mount Charleston line. The Mount Charleston line is an old 70s rotary telephone which sits on the top of Mount Charleston and forwards to me wherever I go. That phone number is 702-430-1808. The phone did not burn up in the recent fire there. It survived. 702-430-1808 is the Mount Charleston line. A separate number into the show you can use to reach the show if the main number is not getting through. Just keep in mind, if we're in the middle of a subject, I may not take your call. It's nothing meant personally towards you. Well, it possibly might be, but you won't know the difference. But I'm not going to take a call if we're in the middle of a discussion. But try to call between segments. That's the best chance of getting through. 
and uh, then we can talk about whatever you like. I just don't like to interrupt segments of the phone calls anymore. It just kind of destroys the momentum. All right, so moving along, I want to speed up this intro because people hate the long intros, so I'm trying to speed them up and get to the good stuff. The call to listen line is a line you can call up to listen to the show. Does not require a smartphone, does not require a data plan, does not require the internet or a computer. No, it just requires a phone that can dial, any phone that can dial. The number is 605-313-0736. 605-313-0736 is the call to listen line. The alternate call to listen number is 641-741-1095. Works the same way, just a different number in case the first one isn't working. And you just call up and listen. Never buffers, never freezes. That is my guarantee to you. Once in a while, it doesn't work. But uh, when it works, it will never buffer or freeze. I promise you that. If you're forgetting these numbers, don't worry. Just go to the radio tab on PokerFraudAlert.com, and they are all listed right there for you in a very clear and convenient fashion. You, want, you can text me at any time, 775-372-8355. Our main phone number can also be texted, not just during the show, but after the show, before the show. Whenever you feel like texting it, you can. Any hour of the day, any time is fine. I will probably respond to you. Some people don't believe that. Some people think that uh, I'm going to see myself as too good to respond to the listeners. That is not true. I'm happy to hear from you guys, even if I've never heard from you before. Uh, feel free to text me about anything, 775-372-8355. Just be aware I may read your text on the air unless you ask me at the beginning of the text not to do so. All right, so we're going to go through the agenda for tonight. Then I'll get Trader Ruski on. Brandon may or may not come on, as has been the case for the last month or so. You know how Brandon is with the show, that if he uh, kind of feels like doing it for the evening, he'll jump on if he does not feel like it or is sleeping or has a migraine headache or whatever else is going on, then he won't. There's there's no commitment, but at the same time, he's enjoyed doing the show the last uh, month or so, and he's been on three episodes in recent times. So I hope it'll be a fourth one tonight. I always like having him on here, and uh, he may join us, may not. No expectation, no pressure, but I'll be happy if there's a sudden connection from him on Skype. Trader Ruski is going to be with us, as usual. Uh, Vintage One may or may not show up. We'll see. The agenda for the evening is as follows. We have a kind of a depressing story to lead off with. Poker pro Susie Zhao, known to some as Susie Q, has been murdered. And there's no question it was a murder. She was murdered in Michigan, and they're still trying to figure out what happened there. She was only 33 years old. She has appeared on some of these uh, poker streaming broadcasts. She's had two pretty deep main event runs in recent years, and uh, she is no longer with us. Some sicko killed her, and still trying to figure out what happened. That'll be our lead story here. And I guess with the poker community, with as many people as there are, this sort of story is inevitable. We're going to hear every so often, but still very sad whenever this occurs, especially to someone, you know, there are some people who've been murdered in the poker community that I know have been involved in shady things. And I am not saying they deserve to be killed, but it's ones I say, okay, well, they chose to get involved with a criminal lifestyle. And eventually this was a possibility. This was a risk they were taking and it, and it got them. As far as I know, that was not the case here with Susie Zhao. It looks like just some, Asshole murdered her, and uh, hopefully they'll catch who it is, and we'll find out more. 
but I'll tell you more about it during that segment. Another female poker pro is going to be discussed, but she is very much alive. That is uh, Marley Cordera will be the subject of our second topic. She is under fire for saying that some girls suck dick for stakes in poker. She said that on her podcast. These were her words, not mine. I'm going to play you her words, and this has caused some controversy. Now, this would be a lot bigger controversy if a dude said it, but nevertheless, she said it, and uh, some people have gotten angry with her about this, and she's getting a hard time on social media. So we're going to listen to her words. I did some pre-production for the show, believe it or not, and actually grabbed the portion of that show. It's, it's her podcast. She does it with Jamie Kerstetter. It's called The Rake. And I grabbed the portion of that and even edited out some crap that had nothing to do with it. And so this way we can hear the, the good stuff. And then we can discuss whether she said anything that was that bad and whether she was correct. Lon McCarron. He also appeared on a podcast that I'm going to play. He appeared on the Chip Race podcast and defended Mike Possel. So we will play that and discuss why he may have said that. Caesars and El Dorado have merged. They are now one company. It's known as New Caesars informally, but it's still called Caesars Entertainment formally. And I'm going to tell you what you can expect with that. And we're going to discuss the terrible and ridiculous logo that they have made for the company. There's a new logo for Caesars, and you won't believe it when you see it, if you haven't seen it yet. GG Poker is one of the two sites running World Series of Poker online bracelet events. GG Poker is running the ones that are for people who are outside the U.S. They had some massive technical problems about five days ago, and now it is being said that it was because of a DDoS attack. So we'll talk about what happened there and whether the WSOP should even be licensing out their name and their bracelets to a third-party company. Las Vegas Sands, which is Sheldon Adelson's company, they own the Venetian, they claim they have lost almost a billion dollars in the second quarter of 2020 alone. So we'll talk a bit about that. I have an update to the story about BetMGM and and how they had $200,000 or so of bets placed on baseball games in Asia, which had already started, which, of course, uh, was not intentional. But the people placing the bets probably did it intentionally, but they didn't offer them intentionally after the bets had started. These were not live bets. These were bets that were seen as ones you'd place before the game at odds for before the game, and then the games had already been going, and some people already had a pretty good idea of who was going to win when they placed certain bets. So the question was... Should they have to pay these people, or can they cancel the bet? So a decision has come down. I will tell you about that. A homeless man has drowned in the Bellagio Fountain. Another uh, tragic story involving death on this show that we're going to do. The coronavirus, we're going to have a few topics about that this week, as we have been for the last few months. I've been asked about Raymond Davis. Is there any update with his case? Yes, there is. Not a major update, but there's an update. Nonetheless, I will give it to you as we continue to follow the progress in the case against him. He's accused of sexual assault against a minor. Golden Nugget Atlantic City is back in controversy. They're not a very player-friendly casino, and they proved it once again. But they may have to answer to it in court because uh, this is over a matter from 2015, 
and it has been ruled that they can be sued over violating a poker tournament guarantee. Finally, an editorial, the clampdown going on in Portland, federal troops in Portland arresting people, even the local police are not doing so. So should the federal government show up to a place like Portland and start grabbing people off the streets and arresting them and charging them when local police has been instructed not to do this? I will tell you whether this is federal fascism or a necessary intervention, in my opinion. So that is our agenda for the evening. And we're going to find Trader Ruski and get going. See, that wasn't a very long intro. I'm speeding it up. I'm getting faster. Partially to save my voice, because I only have so much in me, and these shows are pretty long. By the way, you may wonder, what happened to Mike Mattisell? Remember I said he probably be on the show and we didn't have him trader ruski hello what's, hap- what's happened to drop glad to have you on here so i was explaining mike Mattisau. i had said oh he'll come on here and talk about that meltdown he had and some other stuff and i kind of promoted that and made the whole thing sound exciting and then he didn't appear here which is par for the course of the show but i have uh, dug up his old cell phone number which I had years ago. Remember, he appeared on the show before, so of course I had his number. So I dug yeah. up that number and texted him. This What happened is very weird, and I still don't know why. I still don't know what happened. But uh, I, I had messaged him on Twitter, and had he, had he ignored that, I would have just kind of dropped it, I think. But uh, I messaged him on Twitter and said, hey, would you like to come on the show? And I made it clear I wasn't going to be critical of him, and we've always been on good terms. And I, it was a very friendly message I sent him. And he sent a long response back to me. Not only saying yes, but it was a very emphatic yes. Like he was very, very excited about coming on. He was very, very positive in his response to me. And I could tell it wasn't BS. Like I could tell he was just like typing out whatever came to mind. So I said, okay, great. He's coming on for sure. Then he just like stopped answering me. He typed this huge response to me. And then when I responded to that, he didn't answer me. And then I, I tried to get him to answer again. He just never answered. Didn't say he's not coming on or changed his mind. He just stopped answering. So I figured, okay, this is Mike Mattisau. Who knows what happens? Maybe he's not checking his Twitter DMs. Who, who knows what's going on? So I dug up his text number and texted him. And I'm like, okay, well, what's the story here? You know, if you change your mind, no problem. I just want to know. But no, he said he'll come on. Problem is tonight he – well, it's not really a problem. It's a problem for us but not for him. He's in a World Series event right now, and he's doing decently at the moment. He's actually close to busting when I first texted him, but then he ran it up. So last I heard, he was uh, doing okay. And obviously that will take priority over appearing on the show. There's a chance maybe he'll bust and be okay with coming on here, though. Maybe he won't be in a good mood and won't want to come on here. But that's still alive, whether it's this week or next week. We'll, we'll get him on at some point now that I have his uh, text number again that I had to dig up. Now uh, I'm in a communication with him. He was even giving me updates on his tournament as it was going tonight. So we're, uh, we're, we're having conversations again. Don't know what happened there with the Twitter DMs, but I won't worry about it. But we'll get going right now. And talk about the tragic murder that has occurred against poker pro Susie Zhao, who is only 33, I guess was only 33 years old. She's known to some people who watch poker streams as Susie Q. I don't think I've played with her before. It's possible I've played with her at some World Series event and don't remember it. I, like, I don't remember every single person I play with. Uh, it's, so it's possible I've played with her. If I have, I don't really remember it. But 
there a, a very disturbing story came out that uh, she was murdered and her body was burnt up. So there's no way that was an accident. It's not like she was just found dead and thought maybe she tripped and fell and banged her head and nobody saw it and she died. She was found dead and burnt up. So for sure, someone did this and someone pretty sick probably did this. And it's not known why. It is not even suspected why at the moment. As I said, I don't know that much about her. You can find streams she's appeared on, like Live at the Bike. There's a thread on Poker Fraud Alert where I posted a clip of her appearing uh, on Live at the Bike. She knew Bart Hansen, who listens to this show. In fact, he was quoted in a Yahoo News article about the situation. And she actually has a Twitter account you can take a look at, but it's not going to give you many hints because she stopped using it five years ago. I don't know why, but she stopped tweeting in 2015. But you can look at her on Twitter, if you like, at uh, twitter.com slash chompchompmofo, exactly as it sounds, C-H-O-M-P-C-H-O-M-P-M-O-F-O, chompchompmofo is her name on Twitter. But again, she hadn't used it in about five years. Uh, she's Suzy Q on the streams like Live at the Bike. As far as I know, she was pretty well-liked in poker. I don't know of any enemies she had. She did not have a reputation of sleeping around or anything like that. So it's it's really a big mystery what happened here. She had been playing in California a lot, but uh, returned to Michigan. I don't know when she returned to Michigan. That's where she's from. It may be because the casinos closed down because of COVID-19, but she was living in Michigan again, and uh, that's where she died. She was found... It was actually in a parking area, but it looks like a, I look at the, I'm looking at the photo of it. It kind of looks like a the parking area for a place that like a nature place where you'd go hiking. But she was found actually in a parking area. Her remains were found there, and that's all they know at the moment. This was found in uh, Oakland County in Michigan, which is near Detroit. They are looking for information about anyone who has seen her or had any communication with her between July 11th and 13th. She was found on July 13th dead and her body burnt. So she, they're looking for the two days prior. I don't know much more about this. And in fact, Yahoo, they have just recently picked up the story. First, this was kind of a, a minor story that was only reported locally in the uh, Detroit area. And in poker circles, but now it's been picked up by Yahoo. Maybe it's going to pick up some more steam. One thing going for her, I mean, I hate to use those terms because when you've been murdered at age 33, you really don't have anything going for you. But uh, one thing going for her as far as this getting publicity, which can only help her because it'll help catch the killer, is that she is a female who's uh, under 35, and then there's the poker angle, which makes it a bit more interesting, too. And the reason that matters is because the media likes to pick up stories of murders that they think will be of interest to the public. So, like, if I was murdered, nobody would care. Trader Ruski, if you were murdered, nobody would care. When I say nobody, like, of course, like, our families would care, our friends would True. care. But like, like, we wouldn't get coverage in, in national media. No, no one would care about, like, middle-aged dudes like us being murdered. Uh, the, the coverage we would get would be... Uh, 
you know, in poker circles and in local media, and that would be about it. And that's just the way things are. If uh, Susie was an older woman, she probably wouldn't get very much coverage. Now, what they really like to cover in the media when women are uh, murdered, is they, they like young, pretty white women. And Susie is not white, she's Asian, but, you know, that's... Uh, Asian women that probably get coverage too. And they don't seem to cover when black or Hispanic women disappear, unless they, unless it's like a Hispanic woman who looks kind of white, like uh, Scott Peterson's wife, remember that case? And I'm not saying this is right, but that's the way the media seems to do it. That's where they think the interest is. I mean, obviously I'm not defending it, because if, if I was murdered or kidnapped, nobody would care. So that's, that's nothing I think is, is good that the media operates this way, but that's the way they operate. So this, this could actually work in the favor of solving this case because I could see there being interest in a 33-year-old Asian female poker player being murdered and uh, being found with her body burnt, which adds more of a sinister, sinister element to the story. I definitely would love to see this solved. I can't think of a possible explanation for why this would be a, a justifiable killing. Like, even if by some fluke it was some guy who was defending himself when she had pulled a gun on him and killed her, I, I couldn't picture the body being burnt. Like, that's not the way it would go down. It just, with the body burnt, it really seems like someone was trying to send a message, like they were really mad. Also, it was left like, like in a parking lot. That's not even like you're trying to hide it that well. It's not even like it was burnt, but then dropped in a super remote location. It was like in a parking area. So it was like someone just killed her in rage and then just set fire to the body and ran off. Uh, it could have been something like uh, which wasn't targeted at her personally, but she happened to be there. Maybe some... Uh, crazy guy who was hanging out in that hiking area where she was about to go hiking and grabbed her and did some bad things and then killed her and then just set the body ablaze and ran off. Or it could have been someone she was dating. She went hiking with and had a plan to kill her. I mean, there's, there's a lot of ways this could have gone, but I can't picture any way here that this wasn't just an evil person who is a killer and, and who killed an innocent woman. So I really hope they catch this psycho who did it. And the more publicity this case gets, the better. If by some fluke, one of my listeners knows anything about this, or if you uh, had any contact with her from July 11th through 13th, contact Detective Lieutenant Christopher Hild at 248-698-4404, extension 2381. And tell whatever you know. Probably unlikely a listener to this show knows anything, but figured I might as well put it out there. Well, wasn't Joe Tata from Michigan, I think? And so maybe in those circles, I don't know. Yeah, you never know. Like we, or we was we, it somewhere around there? It, it's it's near Detroit where this occurred, and there's listeners from all over the place. So I, I always hate to say, oh, nobody is from that area. It's it's possible there could be something that someone knows that happens to be listening to this show 
or maybe someone had contact with her doesn't even know that she's been murdered. So might as well put it out there. Moving on to the next topic. I want to talk about Marley Cordero and the controversial comments she made because that's getting some attention on social media and not very positive attention for most people. I want to play it to you guys. I got this all prepared so you guys can listen. I picked out the relevant parts. She does a podcast called The Rake. I know, very creative name, The Rake, with uh, Jamie Kerstetter. And she and Jamie are not friends as far as I can tell. They are just co-hosts. And this is the podcast, or at least one of the podcasts, that is sponsored by Run It Once Poker. So I think it's like Run It Once Poker is putting on certain podcasts, and this is among them. And I think they do this every week. It's about an hour long. And, of course, the whole point of the podcast from Run It Once standpoint is to promote them. So they're hoping people listen to these podcasts and then hear a Run It Once ad, which they run at least once, maybe more, during these shows, and they hope that'll get traffic to the site. Not a bad idea, but anyway, I'm just giving you the background as to what this podcast is. So Marley is one of the two hosts, but she does not actually own the podcast as far as I know. I think it's a Run It Once podcast that she's just one of the two hosts, but nevertheless, she's there every week. Marley is a very attractive young woman who plays poker professionally, and she started a channel about a year ago on YouTube and she finally realized that she wasn't realizing her potential for being a, a poker pro who's an attractive young female. Because that, that is an advantage as far as marketing yourself. You're going to get people wanting to watch your YouTube channel if you are an attractive young female poker player. Whereas if you're a male poker player, it's, it's harder to get eyeballs on your channel. People can do it. You know, there's, there's some very popular male poker YouTube personalities Doug Polk, of course, was the most popular of them, but there's several others. But uh, you start out with an immediate advantage if you're an attractive female, which she definitely is. I met her once at Live of the Bike when we had our supposed Poker Fraud Alert game on Live of the Bike, where it turned out the only two Poker Fraud Alert people there were me and Eric Ryland. She was there with her boyfriend, and she barely talked at the table. And as far as her poker play, she was just kind of like a tight, aggressive, solid player. She didn't do anything, like, tricky or really, like, shocking. She just, you know, played her cards, was tight, aggressive, made more or less the proper decisions in every hand. Like, I, I have no criticism of her play. As far as her personality, she, like, said very little at the table. And if you look at her YouTube channel, you see a very different story. You see someone who seems very personable and, and kind of uh, snarky and sarcastic, sometimes self-effacing, but that's fine. You know, whatever. She decided to pick a personality to market herself with, and she projects that on her YouTube channel. I still don't think she's realized her full potential, but I think she has to break through in poker, like, tournament-wise, to really get attention. It kind of sucks you have to succeed in tournaments for people to pay attention to you in poker, but for the most part, that's always the way it's been, even for females. Now, she doesn't need huge tournament results, but she just kind of needs to be seen running deep in some fairly big tournament. Uh, a good example of someone who did this was Kelly Minkin. She uh, had two deep main event runs, and everybody got to know her at that point. That's another young, attractive female 
who somewhat made a name for herself. However, Kelly is kind of shy. Kelly, she seems kind of not shy on her Twitter, but uh, in reality, if you see her personality, she's not made for uh, any kind of broadcast media. Looks-wise, she is. Her her looks are are, are good, but she doesn't really have the personality for it. Marley kind of does. Marley actually has the potential to become bigger than she is, at least poker media-wise. Now, the opportunities now are much less than they were 15 years ago, but Marley could not have done it 15 years ago because she was too young by a wide margin. If she was old enough 15 years ago, then she wouldn't be young anymore. So her time is now. And something I will say for Marley is that on her Twitter, she doesn't hold back and doesn't just say what people want to hear. Marley actually will put out her true opinion, even if it pisses people off. I'm going to play you a little video she put out on her Twitter. You'll kind of get an idea of what her personality is like from this video. You don't have to watch it. This is a, a parody she's doing of the This Is Your Brain on Drugs commercial from the 80s, which is kind of funny. I think she wasn't even alive when this was on. But nevertheless, here it is. This is your brain. And this is a tournament. And this is what happens to your brain while you're playing a poker tournament. And this is what your body goes through. But wait, it's not over yet. This is what your bankroll goes through. And your graph and your hourly. This is one of the millions of people who play tournaments and won't go broke. However, this person is several times more likely to run like absolute shit. Absolute shit. Absolute shit. The war of tournaments is ruining people's bankrolls. It fuels a false sense of being good at poker. It targets women who are me more than anybody else. It cripples my sanity. It costs thousands of dollars, and it doesn't work. Any questions? Then it says, friends, don't let friends play tournaments. So, okay, you get the point of this. And again, this is kind of self-effacing. She's mocking herself for losing in tournaments, for wasting thousands of dollars and destroying her own sanity. So this is the general tone of what she does. She doesn't come out there and say, oh, I'm beautiful, oh, I'm great, oh, I'm an excellent poker player. She's always putting out kind of self-effacing material. And I I think I've played some of her videos on this show before when I first found her channel. But what I have respected is that in the current era of cancel culture, where everybody's afraid to say anything controversial, she isn't. She will say what's on her mind. She will say how she feels. And sometimes she will be upset by the fallout, which I don't quite understand. But it's like you think she'd see this as coming. But uh, she still says stuff. She still does not hold back. And I have to admire that. I have to say that's good. We see the real her, at least in her tweets. Now, what's funny is she is not someone who is like on the right and is mocking cancel culture. In fact, if you look at her posts on Twitter, politically, she seems more left than right, at least from what she says she believes. But she's constantly attacked, not by people on the right, for the most part. It's mostly people on the left attacking her because she says politically incorrect things that they don't like to read. So that has basically happened again here. She's under fire for saying on her podcast, the one she does with Jamie Kerstetter for Run It Once, she said on her podcast that there are a number of women in poker who suck dick for stakes. That's what she said. (laughs) And uh, 
she meant it when she said it. That part wasn't a joke. She was. You'll, you'll hear when I play it that she wasn't joking around or trying to make a gag out of it. No pun intended. But she was serious that there's a number of women in poker who do that. And she was trying to say that she was not one of them and that people had wrongly assumed that she was. And by the way, I believe her. I don't think that she slept her way into having a bankroll. Maybe she did, but I think she's probably telling the truth that she did not. And I think she's telling the truth that it was a bit annoying to her that some people would assume that. But at the same time, this is what pissed everyone off. She acknowledged that part of the reason people assume this about her is because there are several women in poker who have done just that. And this got Jamie Kerstetter, who's a big social justice warrior type, very upset. And this got some people on Twitter who listened to it very upset. And some people really gave her a hard time, including some people who DM'd her some angry stuff. People who didn't want to call her out on Twitter. I think uh, uh, Rada Wilanowski messaged her and gave her a hard time about this privately. And then that kind of spilled over into public. But a lot of people have given her a hard time over saying this. So I'm going to play to you the clip about this. And, and by the way, this is valuable to listen to because we always hear about the challenges women face in poker. And some of them, I believe, are true challenges that men don't have to go through. But then there are some women who say, yes, some of those things are true, but there's advantages to being female in poker, too. And nobody talks about those. And there's some women, not just Marley, but I've seen other women say that they believe it's a net positive to be female in poker, or at least a young, attractive or semi-attractive female in poker, that you gain from it more than you than you lose or than you have to go through the hassle for. That it's overall better to be a young, attractive female in poker than to be a dude. And by the way, I think I agree with that. That doesn't mean that complaints that women have made about being mistreated are not true or not valid, just that there are some advantages that are not discussed, and that some women are kind of upset seeing it portrayed that uh, being female in poker is so tough. So I'm going to I'm going to play you the clip and you'll get to hear both sides of this and you'll even get to hear Ryan DePaulo who's on there for some reason. He had just won the bracelet. But uh, he's on there as well and you'll hear a discussion they're having about sucking dick for stakes and whether this really happens and how often it happens and how that relates to being a female in poker. And I will stop it every so often to comment on it. And, of course, we can get uh, Trey Daruski's take on these things as well. The other thing, though, is that if you're a guy, you will experience what the women are experiencing for one day almost every time you play poker. You go sit at a table, and it's mostly dudes who are going to relate to you pretty well. And you're... Now, Let me stop for a second. That, that is Marley, by the way, in case you're wondering who's talking. You'll hear Jamie a little bit after that. And Ryan, it will be obvious who he is. You're going to feel comfortable. You don't feel people like looking at you and, and being like, oh, that person's really different. So it's just giving like a woman the chance to feel like that, where you're just like, okay, the the thing about me here isn't that I'm female, like everyone is. So like, let's talk about other stuff or like, you know, yeah, I don't yeah. think it's that big of a deal. What do you guys think of the, con- you think for sure, like, I wonder what percentage of our experiences with comments are different because of that. Like, uh, you know, like. Well, the, the motivation, I can speak for myself to say that the motivation for my first vlog was that throughout my poker career, like everyone always said like, oh, she sucks dicks for stakes or she does this, she does that. And so I was just like, oh, I'm going to like lean into that and just make fun of it because like 
that's what everyone assumes. And there are a lot of girls, frankly, who do do that, but. Wow. Okay. So that, there it was right there. There it was. You hear that trader risky? I heard it. Yeah. So that was the comment right there. And, and she continues discussing it, but that was the comment that really pissed some people off that, at first, it sounded okay. At first, she's like, oh, people assume this of me. They're wrong. So I made a, a, a vlog kind of mocking that and making fun of it and uh, riffing on that. Okay, cool. And then she says, yeah, and there are some girls who really do that. And they're like, what? <laughs> so uh, I'm going to play the rest. I'm sure there are in all facets of life. Well, there I are, know, yes. I don't know. I just, I just see her kind of saying it lightly. I don't know that she was like naming specific people, but I think in uh, many areas there probably is that. I don't think she's like, oh, there are these people, you know? Well, she seemed to believe keep that. Going. She, yeah, she believed that it's really true, as you'll hear, but uh, she doesn't name anybody. But we'll, we'll play this here. Okay. Obviously. What? <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? That's Jamie. Like, <laughs> What are you talking like? There's times when I'm just like, what are you talking about? When you're like, women are so much more emotional and whatever, and just the just sweeping generalizations. Where what? I know I've been in poker for like five times as long, and I might know one or two women that are like doing that. Okay, and- okay so that was Jamie. Let me stop for a second here. So, the thing about women are so emotional. She's probably referring to some other episode that they had done where Marley must have said that. And see, so this is the point where. I start to get away from like relating to what Jamie's saying a little bit later in this clip, I'm going to play, which is about seven minutes long total. You'll hear Jamie raise some decent points, which I will stop and talk about when those happen. But I didn't get to hear the segment on some other episode about her saying that women are more emotional, but it's true. They are in general. They are. Now I've known some women who are not emotional at all. I've known some men who are very emotional. So it's not always true. Sometimes the men are more emotional, depends on the man, depends on the woman. But if you got a thousand men together and a thousand females together, pick randomly and had to rate how emotional all thousand were. And let's just say hypothetically, you could get to know each one enough to make this determination. Uh, for sure, the women would end up on average more emotional. That's not a bad thing. That's just something that is a trait in general that females have uh, compared to males. And in some ways, this can be good for females that they, when, when they're more emotional, this also going to make them more empathetic and more nurturing. So these are not, it's not a bad quality necessarily to be emotional. It's just a, a certain aspect of you. In fact, you probably know some people in your life that are not emotional at all. You probably know some men who are like emotionless robots. And sometimes you'll talk to one of these dudes and go, wow, this guy's got like no emotion. It's kind of creepy. And so it's not that you're better to have less emotion. It's just a trait, and it is true that, in general, women are more more emotional, and that's what I've seen in my life, and I think most people who've interacted with men and interacted with women would probably agree that generality is true, but unfortunately, there are some people out there, and I think Jamie Kerstetter might be one of them, who get very upset when they hear any generalization about the sexes being different. Yes, there, there are differences. There are inherent differences in general between males and females. And some some of these differences favor males, and some of them favor females. Like, for example, females are much less likely to commit violent crime. So that's a, a big advantage for females. A big way females are better than males. Females are much, much less likely to molest children. Huge win for them. Huge way that females are better than males. Like, if, if someone asked me, would you rather leave your son with a, a, a female stranger for the day or a male stranger for the day, 
you know what my answer would be. <laughs> okay? There's no question he'd be safer with a female. So uh, th- those are ways that females in general are different, where they're better. And that doesn't mean that there aren't some ways that men are better inherently in general. Again, these are generalities. There are people who are exceptions in uh, both sexes. But that's it's fine to celebrate the differences that we have, and I don't see why uh, it upset Jamie that uh, Marley had something said something on a previous show about women being more emotional. Then that's that's where I admire Marley for not being afraid to say things like that. She's a female. She knows she's not, she's not bashing herself. She's saying, "Yeah, we're, we're females. We're more emotional." Like, no problem. Okay. So she said that. And then Jamie got mad at that point, so now Jamie's going back to that, going, okay, here's another generalization. First you're saying women are more emotional, and now on this show, you're saying that uh, women suck dick for buy-ins. And let me play the rest of this, what uh, Jamie has to say. Now, I will, again, concede that a little bit later in this clip, Jamie had some fair and good points. So I'm going to play some more here. But but wait, drop. But at the end of the last thing you said, didn't she say, didn't Jamie say, oh, only one or, I know a couple of people, only a couple of people or something? Yeah, she she did concede that there were like one or two she knew like that. So she acknowledged that what she said was true. (laughs) That's that's a good point. Why why is she giving a hard time to Marley if if even she knows some people? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) That's a good point, Trader Risky. Let me go on here. Then there's a ton more that get accused of it where they're just dating the guy that they like, but they're like, oh, you're dating that guy because he gives you these nightstand buy-ins and it's like come well, on i don't i think the majority i'm not i'm not saying most people do i'm saying some people do i'm saying some people do They're- i'm sure some people do and there's also like guys that will date a woman because she has money i think sure. it's like the vast minority of people though like who actually will do agreed. that agreed okay but let's see this is where jamie shouldn't say something like that have there been guys in poker that have dated women who've been putting them in games yes i've actually known some Okay, so it, it does happen. There's guys that uh, will try to keep in action whatever way they have to. There's guys who are straight that I think would probably, uh, they probably suck dick if they got buy-ins out of it. <laughs> they're, they're that desperate to get back in action. So there are guys who do it, but it, it is true by percentage of people in poker. Because remember, poker is almost all male. There's, there's females, but there's far, far, far more males. We know that. So if you take percentages, percentages of females in poker who will do sexual favors for buy-ins versus percentage of males in poker who uh, date women for buy-ins. The the percentage for males has got to be far lower. I've never done a study on this. I've never seen a study done just from my own observation of the community over the past two decades. The percentage of males doing this is far lower and partially is from lack of opportunity. It's a lot harder if you're a dude to get a woman to support you. That's always been true in general. Now, uh, it can be done, especially dudes who are, you know, know, they'll they'll date a woman who's 20 years older than them, who is willing to be generous to them in exchange for dating a younger guy. But but again, most most women don't even want that. Most older women aren't looking to date way younger dudes. They kind of want to be with someone their age. So it's much harder for a dude to pull this off. Like if someone told me... uh, if they challenged me to find some woman to support me in poker, uh, I would have a hard time. I, I don't mean staking me based on my results, like thinking she'll make money. I mean, like, uh, someone who thought that the money has a good chance of being lost. Like, I would ha- probably have a hard time finding a woman to do this, whereas if I were a, a hot chick who's 25 years old, I could get a line of a 1,000 guys willing to do this for me. So a lot of this is opportunity. Men would do it, but it's just it's hard for them to. 
So uh, Jamie saying that, oh, you know, men do it too, that's, that's not really a good response to this. But uh, they would do it, I'll give her that, but they, they don't for the most part because they just don't have a chance to. And, and <laughs> agreed, but, like, I, I think I'd be remiss if I said that it doesn't happen. Right. Yeah, it's more more genuine of a discussion if you acknowledge that sometimes it is happening. Maybe not as much as like we think. I don't like, know. But I don't know. I have no idea. But I would I would suck dick for steaks if I enjoyed it. Honestly, like <laughs> if I if I could if I could. <laughs> you yeah. got to get good at it too. That's the thing that you're just not thinking about that. Like if you're not very good at it, even if you enjoy it, like you're just gonna have to be recreational. It takes a while to go pro. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So. Ryan just said there pretty much what I was saying, that uh, some guys would do it too if they had the opportunity. They just kind of don't. I agree with that. Uh, but I, I think this is more prevalent. This isn't discussed very often. People kind of whisper about it, but it's not discussed very often. That's why part of the reason I wanted to play this. It really isn't discussed very often that this does happen. And sometimes it's not like an explicit agreement. And by the way, there is a woman. I'm not going to say who she is because you know, she, she's got – some problems, but there, there's a young, attractive female out there right now in poker who has been like outright offering stuff like this on her Instagram, just outright saying, I'll do this if you buy me into World Series events. Like, I've never seen anything like this. I because I, I think she has some issues. I, I don't want to really publicize this out here and make it worse for her, because obviously anyone who does that has got some problems. But I saw it. I was pretty shocked at some of the stuff she was posting. And she was serious. Like, it wasn't a joke. I'm not talking about Marley or anyone on that show. I'm talking about someone totally separate. But I, I've, I've seen it where it's not explicitly said, but where that's kind of implied. Or sometimes where the guy will offer it and the girl kind of d- does it because she understands why the guy's offering it. And there's other times where... They just kind of end up in a dating situation where it's not explicitly said, oh, you have sex with me, I'll buy you into this. But it's kind of seen like, like let's say like an attractive young girl is at the World Series and she, she is broke. She has no money to buy into events. And she meets a dude who has money and they start talking and they get to know each other and they have sex and they hang out. And she says, hey, can you put me in? I want to play in this uh, 1K No Limit tomorrow. The guy kind of knows if he says no that there's a decent chance she's going to lose interest in him. So he'll probably say yes. And then, you know, then if she busts that and needs another buy-in, then he might say yes again. And it's, it's never explicitly agreed upon, like, hey, I have sex with you, you buy me in this many times. It's just one of these things that uh, the guy kind of has an idea why the girl's uh, interested in him, and he's kind of okay with that. So this goes on. There's no shortage of guys who are willing to do it. As long as everybody knows what's going on, then, like, whatever. Like, if, if the guy's okay with it and the girl's okay with it and that goes on, then fine. This isn't something I'd want to do. In fact, uh, a long time ago, I could have done this and chose not to. And there was no, uh, no question in my mind whether I was going to. Like, that sort of thing doesn't appeal to me. But uh, but there's plenty of guys it does. And if both people are fine with it, then whatever. Then no one's getting hurt. But... It, uh, this would have been a great topic for Brandon to be on. Yeah. Too, <laughs> have a lot of people. 
<laughs> well, maybe he's listening. Brandy, you can call in if you're if you're uh, listening here. But if the thing is, we we can't deny that this is happening, and I've seen it go on a lot. I've even seen it where a girl gets in a relationship with a guy she legitimately likes, but then she kind of wants him to buy her in. So she didn't get with him for that purpose. And she may have dated him even if he didn't have very much money and couldn't buy her in. But since he can, she would like him to. That happens too. But the truck, that's all areas of life. I mean, like the Clippers owner, the one, you know, and the woman had the face shield. By the way, she would be crushing it now if she had, like, fucking right. marketed those. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? It's like. You know, you know, so it's just whether it's that or they want to get a Clipper game or a Laker game, you know, so I mean, I think in any space, oh, you yeah. know, there's that. Oh, there's I a mean, lot of who's, it, yeah. giving, who's giving this woman a hard time? I don't think she said anything wrong. Well, no, I, I the obvious and everybody agrees. Well, but they, they don't, though. See, there's a lot of people giving her a hard time. The reason they're giving her a hard time is just like, oh, you're making women in poker look bad. You're causing men to disrespect women. You're causing men to think, well, they'll, they'll explain it a little further into this clip. But they, yeah, there's but a lot of criticism she, of this, that she's making women look bad. She's making assumptions that she's making people have assumptions that they shouldn't be having. Because, see, I don't agree with the you shouldn't say the truth because people will start thinking the wrong thing. I've seen a lot of this in recent years, not just in poker. I've seen it where people have said, don't say, don't mention this true fact because people will start thinking the wrong thing about, about other matters. And so we, we have to watch what we say. We can't tell the truth about certain things or people will start getting the wrong idea about other things. And I go, no, tell the truth, say the way it really is, and then let people decide for themselves the way they think things are. Yes, people sometimes get the wrong idea or expand upon something you say and then assume something further that's not true. That's just the way life is. You, you can't suppress things or not say certain things because it'll make certain people think the wrong way. I've never agreed with that. So I'm going to play the remainder of this clip. But, uh, yeah, I don't think Marley has said anything wrong so far. No, I mean, I was just saying, like, you know, there. I, I- for sure, uh, in the comments and otherwise, myself included. And that was a big motivation for myself in my early blogs. And, and some people didn't understand that, but whatever. But, um, but you know, the problem is I think that – I also think that we have a net positive advantage in poker. So we get invited to games. People want to play with us. You know, if given the opportunity to buy action of a winning female or a winning guy, people will often choose the the woman because, you know, a lot of guys would rather deal with a woman, right? So, like, there's a lot of positives to being a woman in poker as well. And that's why even, Jamie, like, I, I feel like I need to say these things because, like, I don't want to sit here and just be like, we're the victim, we're the victim, we're the victim. Oh, we have it so hard because that's not really true. We get yeah. you generalize a lot though, and this is where see there we go back to the generalization. Now, by the way, she, the rest of what Jamie's about to say here actually makes sense, and I'll play it in a second. But no, that's not just generalizing. Marley's raising a good point that there are positives and negatives to being a female in poker, and that you should discuss both, and that you should also look at it overall and say, do I have it that bad? So, yes, by being female, I have this, this, and that negative that males don't have. But by being a female, I also have this, this, and this positives that males don't have. So overall, yeah, I'm happy I'm a woman in poker. Like, that's, that's perfectly valid to say. And, uh, and she's right that that part doesn't get enough attention. 
and that what gets all the attention is that being a female in poker is awful and bad and terrible. And by the way, I know some females in poker who have told me that a lot of the talk about how badly women get treated at the table is exaggerated and that they've never even experienced it. Now, I'm not saying this hasn't happened, but I will say that I've played poker with a lot of females. At at Commerce, you should see how many females are in the Limit Hold'em games that I play. A lot of them are very good, too. But uh, I don't see the females getting treated uh, in a disrespectful or nasty fashion. They're kind of just treated the same at the table. They're just another person at the table. And I, I don't really see men treating them disrespectfully. Every once in a while, I see something happen, but it's never that bad. It's kind of something disrespectful that's said. But hey, I, you know, I, I've been treated disrespectfully at the table, both by males and females at times. And I'm not saying I'm a victim. I'm not. But uh, you will get bad treatment at yeah, the table. Yeah, but Trump, if you're this, okay. But if you're, you know, when they're the minority at the table, though, it's different. And I agree with you. I, I, for me too, I was thinking, you know, of course I've seen it occasionally, but it, I haven't seen it that much. But, you know, who knows when they're walking away or, you know, I don't know. There, there's a few jerks. But I, I think what she's saying, and haven't you said the exact same thing? And you've said that about women poker players too, that here are the pluses and here are the minuses. Yes, I've said that. And I, and I think I, you've said like exactly the same thing she's saying, yes, and that's, but it, you know, but you're not getting trolled and she is. And it's right. Well, I, th- I think people listening to this show know to what expect from me by this point. But I think I think like they, she has a little bit of a different type of audience, and then people listen and they go, "Oh my God, how can she say this?" And also, she's a woman; she's making all women look bad. But I, I don't think so. I think that she's just uh, stating what she has perceived herself as a female, and I, I think that's fine. So let me play you Jamie's rebuttal. The the best thing Jamie had to say back, which uh, this part. I think she raises some good points. Like, I want you to realize that you're generalizing. You're a very pretty young female poker player. And when you say women in poker, I think you're thinking of like you, because that's your experience. But there, when we talk about women in poker, I'm like 98% of women in poker are different than you. And so there are women who get all of the shitty parts, which is like extra criticism called a bunch of gendered crappy names or called a bitch when they like raise people, whatever, all the bad stuff, but without the opportunities and without the like, Oh, a guy trying to stake you cause he thinks you're cute, things like that. So I just think like, that's the one time when I just want to like step in on like the generalizations where it's like, you really just have your one life experience. It's like, LOL. Sample okay. So that's a good point. And she, that's what she should have said in the first place. Instead of this generalization stuff, what she should have said and I have to say I agree with this part, is that women who are older and not that attractive anymore, they lose a lot of those advantages that the young, pretty females get. They don't have guys falling all over themselves to stake them. They don't have uh, a lot of uh, allowances and the soft plays and all that other stuff that goes on where guys are trying to impress them. And that's these are advantages a female can get. She can get stakes really easily. If, if you're a, a female who's 50 years old and, and homely-looking, uh, you're not going to have a big line of guys staking you. You're not going to have a lot of guys kissing your ass. You're not going to have a lot of guys doing you favors. And yet you may get the downsides of still still of being female where men treat you disrespectfully. Maybe they don't make sexual comments to you, but they will uh, still uh, you know, see you as a female at the table. And, and the, the men who don't treat females well in general may treat you worse than the men at the table. So I can I can appreciate Jamie's point there that females who are older and don't look like Marley – uh, are going to have 
a lot fewer of the advantages that Marley has, and that Marley is speaking from the point of view of a girl who has among the most advantages because of how she looks and her age. Now, Jamie, I don't know if you guys have seen what she looks like, but you can Google her. She's, she's not a bad-looking girl herself. She's uh, a little older than Marley. And, uh, you know, she's... I don't want to get into the whole looks-judging thing, but you know, Jamie's not a bad-looking girl. I, I'd be curious to know her experiences in this. But uh, she does have a good point that the advantages are much more for the women who are younger and good-looking. And you don't have to be really young. Like, like a 35-year-old, average-looking female still has a lot of those advantages. But, hey, like a 50-, 55-year-old woman who is you know, just average-looking for, for that age, uh, they lose a lot of those advantages, and, that's, uh, and yet still have some of the disadvantages. So that's, I, that's a fair point. It's a fair point that not all women are treated the same. But uh, and, and that Marley only has her own experiences. But let me go on playing this. I know a lot of female poker players. It's you know, mm-hmm. not. I know, I know yeah. dozens and dozens of female poker players. Not just myself, but but I agree. Like you know, there are there are women who get the short end of the stick with the positives, and they still get all the negatives. Yeah. Um, but going back to what you said, Ryan, I think um, you know. I think that it just inherently, whenever you're in the public eye in any space, as a woman, you're going to be criticized for how you look. So that's kind that's of the weird. most annoying. It's like, yeah. no matter what, even if I feel like we should do an experiment where we just make a vlog together, where we just say yeah. horrible shit. We offend yeah. every person and just say terrible things and our viewpoints are awful. The comments will still be like, Jamie's a little bit fat or like, Oh my yeah. God, Marley's skin looks, you know, like it won't even be about like, wow, they said we should just nuke the planet or whatever. It'll still be about our looks. I, I was just watching like ready for the podcast to be torn apart. Like you guys, um, like battling, like, uh, with that, but... <laughs> oh, we battle. Yeah. You know, I, this reminds me of back when genocide appeared on some kind of crappy poker TV show, I think called like battle of the ages. And, People did not like that she had gained some weight. She wasn't fat. She just wasn't as thin as they had seen in these older pictures of her that went around the Internet at the time. And boy, people were nasty to her. And she didn't look bad. Like, she wasn't, she was still pretty. But uh, boy, the Internet was brutal to her. And I tried to defend her. I tried to defend her. I, like, I never liked when people would go and uh, nitpick these women's looks, like, down to if they don't look like models that uh, they're deserving of criticism. I mean, it's just, and that's what was happening to genocide back then. And I felt pretty bad for her. And I've, I've had my back and forth of genocide at times. And she has me blocked on Twitter. So she's definitely not someone who likes me at the moment. But when that happened, I felt very bad for her. And I was saying, come on guys, she's a pretty girl. What are you talking about? Like, and I know this is a little bit of a different time. This is about 15 years ago, and I know there's been some evolving since then on how people have learned to talk about women online. But but there is still some of that, and yeah, you shouldn't do that, especially especially if if you're looking at a woman and she's attractive, and you're still trying to nitpick things about how they look and criticize them. Like you got to look in the mirror and go, okay, well. What do women say about me? Would they say I'm perfect looking? Would they say I'm a 10? Probably not. 
So you probably shouldn't do that. But even if the woman isn't attractive, I mean, if she bashes your looks, then fine. But otherwise, you should judge them on what they have to say, not how they look. You know, judge them on their actions. Now, at the same time, if, if somebody, if a female does say or do something stupid and you want to call them out, you can. You should not do that because they're female. But I agree that there is extra judging of females uh, by how they look and uh, even ones that you'd be surprised they'd be judged like that. Like I would say that you know, both Jamie Kerstetter and, and Marley, you, you would never look at either of them and say, oh, they're ugly or, oh, they're unattractive. Like you just, you just wouldn't for either of those two. So that wouldn't even be a valid criticism for them. But I think I think they're right that they if they said something controversial, you'd still get guys saying stuff like that. No, but it's good to battle once in a while, and it's for good. Sure. Like I don't think people I love get talking about stuff like all this. Yeah, and like it's hard to see things from another perspective when you're living your poker life and you see things one way or the other or whatever. Um, I'm probably wrong about like thinking not that many people are trading sex for buy-ins, right? Like, I have my own little bubble where I'm like, come on, like, everybody's acting respectively. And there's anything wrong with that. I'm like, I think sex work is fine. <laughs> That's Jamie. Now, at least she's starting to concede. Oh, you know what? There may be more people doing this than I thought. Maybe I am kind of wrong just because in my little circle it's not happening. But, but oh, oh, I think sex work is fine. That's the That's the social justice warrior part of her coming out. Like, this isn't even sex work. I mean, I guess it has some similarities to sex work, but this isn't sex work where they're they're standing on the street corner or putting ads on Craigslist. Hey, would you like to have sex with me so I can play the World Series of Poker? Uh, most of these situations are v- very informal where they just kind of happen that way. But you don't have to put, oh, I think sex work is fine. You can just, just say what two adults want to do. If they're both happy with the situation, then let them do it. If it's... See, that's I, I hate hearing things like that. Oh, I oh I think sex work is fine. Like you always got to put out the politically correct statement like that, just, just so people don't think that Jamie Kerstetter is trying to shame sex workers. No one's talking about sex workers. We're not we're not discussing that at all. We're discussing girls who get guys to do favors for them, financial related favors for them, and and use sex to do it. And and as Trader Ruski has pointed out several times here. This happens in many facets of life. If you go to Las Vegas, or at least the Las Vegas we once knew in 2019, and walk through the Cosmopolitan, you will see tons of dudes who are 55 or older walking around with very pretty girls in their 20s. Now, do you think that these very pretty girls in their 20s are with these dudes because these dudes have a great personality? No. You know why they're with these dudes. You know why these dudes are parading them around the Cosmopolitan. Like They both understand what's going on there. Both sides understand what's happening. So this happens everywhere, in all the industries, and we shouldn't pretend it doesn't. And I think it's fine that Marley wants to bring up that it happens in poker, and it does. And fine. I'm not saying it should stop. I'm not saying that uh, it's, it's terrible. I'm, I'm saying for, for me personally, I wouldn't, but uh, if, if, if you want to, then do it. And were the people, uh, who, so was it mostly men or women commenting negatively I didn't look at it. Well, uh, what? see, I don't know because Marley was complaining that she was getting DMs from people on Twitter who were giving her a hard time. And that, uh, and I, I, in the public responses, it was kind of mixed, male and female, that were bashing her for this. And then there were some people, I guess she has some fans of her 
YouTube who were trying to be encouraging and said, no, we love you, don't let the haters get you down, that sort of thing. Uh, but there, there were some people giving her a hard time about it and, and some unnamed people who we couldn't see that were doing it privately. So I don't know how it breaks down. I think it's nice. mixed. I, th- I think it's mixed. And uh, I think they're doing it from a wrong standpoint. They're doing it from the standpoint of don't say this because now every time you see a woman at the poker table, you're going to think that's how she got there. But no, you can say that. You can say there's a lot that's of women. bullshit. Yeah, it's stupid. I, and the thing is, I, I, never, I don't think that. I, when I see a, a young female at the poker table, you know what I think, actually? When I see a young female at a World Series event I'm playing, which, of course, is usually going to be a $1,000 buy-in or higher, or I see them at a cash game I'm playing, which, of course, is usually mid-stakes or higher, what do I think? Do I think, oh, she sucked dick for the buy-in? No. I usually think this girl is probably good. Whereas if I see... Exactly. I think the exact same thing. Yeah. If, if I, now, if I see a woman my age sitting down, I think, oh, this, this woman probably just has money. So she probably isn't good. That's, that's the stereotype I have in my head. The woman my age... Are, are probably not good and just have money because they're older and, and have made money or, or are married into money. And these, these young girls, if they're there, they probably work their way up and, and are, are good. And that's, that's what I think. Like, I, I actually fear them at first. Like, oh, I, great, this is another good player sitting down. And, and often I'm proven right. Often they are good. So uh, that's I, – I don't think, oh, it's, it's a dude putting them in. Now, sometimes it is a dude putting them in, but a lot of times it isn't. And that's never where my mind goes when I first see them. Now, if I see a guy walk up behind them and kiss them who's 60 years old, yeah, then I think a dude's putting them in. But, but absent of that, I don't think a dude is putting them in. So I'm not even judging that. I just think that, like, thinking it's more prevalent than it really is is, like, bad for women in poker. Because then a woman will be at a 10K final table and people will be like, she probably sucked dick for this buy-in when, like, most likely not. Yeah, I guess a better route to – sorry, go ahead, Marley. No, 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 and – yeah. Like in in anything, I think when there's like overgeneralization, I think it's bad to like overcorrect. Though would be the only thing I'd say is that it's like not acknowledging that something happens a little bit, and and because it's it's a bad thing for people to be exaggerating is more harmful than good. You know what I mean? It's like um, like you can battle it by other ways that take longer time than well, whatever. Like like. Honestly, I would like who I don't think any guy if they like could enjoy or even just not mind sucking a dick might do it some percentage the same percentage of guys would do it as girls right um so whatever percentage that is two five I don't know uh so you know I would dabble again I, I might um well out of whatever well okay, it'd be more than two to five percent now forget the gay side of it a lot of guys wouldn't do that but if Guys could just easily find females to have sex with who would then give them money to go play poker with. A very high percentage of dudes would do that. <laughs> it's just not easy to find, but a lot of guys would do that. Way more than 2 to 5%. Now, as far as guys who, who aren't gay that would uh, be with another guy to get the money, that, that would probably be a low percentage, though not zero. This well, is why you have a million fans. This is why. Because you're just like, listen, I would like, dabble, all right? I'm not saying I'm going to do it for a living, but I would dabble if I had to. Yeah. <laughs> to get me going. You know what I mean? I don't want to play micro stakes, like, just to get started. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so that's that's the end of the clip. Uh, Marley has been kind of upset over the response she's gotten to this. And she tweeted about it and then let a day or so pass and tweeted again. So where you could tell it's really bothering her. This is what she tweeted earlier today. 
Sometimes I think it would just be easier to nod along quietly and give prepackaged answers instead of really being candid with people in public. Then I remember I'm in fucking poker and not the Peace Corps. That's in reference to how people were treating her over what she said there. This is what she said yesterday. If you have a problem with anything I did or didn't say, feel free to DM me if you'd actually like to have a conversation and voice that. I'm happy to talk. Otherwise, keep your passive-aggressive attacks on Twitter to yourself and take a hike. I want to be clear. I DM'd some people who attacked me and got no answer. It's so easy to get on Twitter and blast someone instead of privately, instead of privately saying, hey, what's up? Can we talk? If you want to blast me publicly, at least have the balls to talk private. So that's interesting. So she's saying that uh, some people would bash her, and then she'd message and go, hey, would you like to talk about this privately? And they just don't answer her. That's kind of screwed Good up. Good for her. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but hey, I, I think they, I, they, I think that they have a good show. It sounds like I'd heard about it before this, but no, well, maybe I'll get them some listeners. I, I hadn't heard of it either. I, I knew there were some shows associated with with Run It Once, but I never really paid attention to what they were, who did them. I just kind of let it go by me. What, what is funny is I heard later. I listened to more of this show, which I won't bother playing here because it wasn't about this stuff. But I heard her talking about how she really didn't know Ryan DePaulo very well from his YouTube content because she said she lives and breathes poker so much and then also puts out her own content that she, like, would want to kill herself if she had to watch somebody else's. And that's how I feel. That's why I don't listen to other poker shows or watch other poker shows because I feel like I've had enough. I feel like after all the hours I put into this and the fact that I also play, like, I kind of had enough. I don't want to hear others talking about poker. So I could totally relate to that. Uh, I'm trying to find the Rada Wilanowski where she came out and argued with her a little bit in response to all this. Okay, so Rada Wilanowski said, Respectful, contentious discourse is great, but hearing the parroted, quote, women have the advantage and lots of them suck dick for stakes from anyone with a platform is exhausting, let alone a woman. This isn't an interesting hot take. And then Marley said back, Respectfully, that's not at all what I said. I said it absolutely happens and it absolutely does. As someone who has dealt with those allegations my whole poker life, I don't have an interest in perpetuating the stereotype. I will, however, tell the truth. Well, that's that's a great point. That's she should. Uh, then Rada says, "Yeah, and I think the other woman too. You know, she's probably hearing <clears throat> what she you know saw a couple of keywords, really didn't read or listen to what really what exactly she was saying." And then put her own shit on top of it. Yeah. And by the way, Rada Wilanowski, you know, if, you, yeah. if you look at her, she's on Twitter as a Rada Not Say, R-A-D-A-N-O-T-S-A-Y, Rada Not Say. She's attractive, too. This isn't like some older woman who's, who's not very attractive anymore, who's, who's uh, mad because uh, Marley's not considering her. This is another attractive uh, young female. So Rada said back to Marley, respectfully, those are direct quotes. And then she quoted her, quote, I think we have a net positive advantage, quote, because that's what everyone assumes. And there's a lot of girls, frankly, who do that. Well, yes, I mean, that's those are direct quotes. And that's correct what she's saying. And then Marley said back to her, it is definitely a net positive for women in poker. hundred percent. We are not victims. I clumsily say a lot. And Jamie said what I immediately corrected to some. Again, the truth. And uh, and then Max Silver jumped in. He's a poker pro who's had uh, a good deal of success. He said, whenever a woman has success online, it's insanely common to hear accusations of ghosting that happen to men at a far lower frequency. 
I'd argue that way more men do the, quote, sucking equivalent of pretending to like someone or listening to bad, seats, bad beat stories for a steak. Well, come on, Max. That's, that's not true. Um, yeah, guys beg for steaks all the time. And I'm sure guys will act friendly to guys they don't like who they think might stake them. But I, I wouldn't say that, uh, you know, by percentage, there's no question that women get staked more often than dudes do. But look, the, and, and about the ghosting thing, the reason that these accusations happen is because it's not so much ghosting, it's often multi-accounting. When you see a female account that you haven't seen before appear online and do really well, especially in a tournament, a lot of times that's the dude's girlfriend, wife, sometimes even mother or sister that they signed up a second account and played two accounts with. So that's – you have to not say, oh, I'm being sexist to think that. You've got to say, wait a minute. In the history of online poker, when a female out of nowhere shows up and does very well at a tournament and plays very well – there is a much better chance than a random male account showing up and doing very well that it's a multi-account situation. It's not so much ghosting, it's multi-accounting. It's just by the numbers, that's true. We covered a story recently here where it actually was a situation where somebody who won like a, a female event on PokerStars turned out to really be a dude. And the reason the accusations flew is because this, quote, female just did really well and people hadn't heard of her before. And it was a fairly small community of, of female players from that country. And people said, we've never heard of this female before. And we have a feeling this is a multi-account. This is, a, or at the very least, a dude who's pretending to be a female. And it turned out, yes, it was a dude pretending to be a female. It wasn't a multi-account. It was actually a dude using a female name. And that was proven, and the seat was taken away from him. This is on PokerStars. We talked about that recently. So the whole reason that was discovered was because of that suspicion, which turned out to be right. So that's uh, – I don't like Max's point there. You've got to go by the numbers. So yes, if I saw a female account appear out of nowhere and kick ass in a tournament and no one knew who it was, yeah, I'd suspect there's something shady going on. I wouldn't be sure of it, but yes, that's uh, that does happen. There's nothing against females that just – by the numbers that happens more often by due to multi-accounting. Right, but I don't think they're talking about a female name where they don't know the person behind it. They're talking about how a woman get ju- gets judged, you know? Well, but it can I be mean, the same you thing. Know, I just think it's separate. It could be, but it, see, if it's a female, people know. If they know she's real, and then she wins, and they say, oh, you must have had a dude ghosting you. I see your point. Then, that, then, that's, uh, right. then that's something that, that people shouldn't be doing. But now, if, if it's a female who's been observed to play badly in live settings and then just kicks ass online, then, yes, it's it's – Valid to have the suspicion. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but, totally. but uh, if it's just because she's female, then that's not a valid suspicion, and people shouldn't be doing that. If it's a, a female they don't know and just shows up online and kicks ass, then just because of the history of online poker and in those type of situations, the high percentage of time that something shady is going on, that's very reasonable to say you suspect. Okay, so so moving right, on. like Bovada, which I didn't write up yet, but believe me, these motherfuckers. <laughs> That's right. Anyway. Trader Ruski is having a big problem with Bovada. He eventually he's going to come out with it. He's told me some about it, but uh, Trader Ruski's not being treated very well by Bovada. Yeah. So exactly. so uh, she goes on to say again, it's really unfair to keep piling on on Twitter when you're, all you're doing is extrapolating on a five minute clip. When I'm supposed to just sit there and let you paint your narrative. See, I don't think it was a bad clip. 
like, uh, like it sounded fine to me. For the most part, everybody was reasonable. Even Jamie Kerstetter, who kind of virtue signaled a few times, I thought she raised some good points there as well. Uh, I thought the clip was fine. Ryan was fine. He, he had a few funny lines there. Like, I don't think anybody said anything on that clip that was bad. Yeah. I thought the clip was fine. I agree. I, I, thought, it, I thought it sounded like a very intelligent conversation. When she over-exaggerated something, she immediately corrected herself. And but, and I, but, you know, at the same time, I get where the woman who commented is coming from, too. You know, just because who knows what her personal experiences are. And so even just for that stuff to be brought up, maybe she feels like, oh, then people are going to look at me different. Yeah. I mean, I, so I guess I can kind of understand that, too. I can understand where she gets that thought and we're going to irritate her because she's, oh, not this discussion again. I've, I've been trying so hard to get people to stop thinking that I'm doing that for buy-ins and I'm really, you know, I'm not, I'm not and this is just going to make it worse for me. But uh, again, this is back to the uh, don't tell the truth something's happening people are going to think the wrong thing about everyone. And I just, I just can't be a supporter of that. I just think that uh, the truth should just be out there. You should say the way things really are. And if, if, it's, if it's something that isn't happening to everybody – then, then say so. Say this doesn't apply to everybody, but I know there's, this does happen yeah. sometimes, and let people judge for themselves at that point. You can't try to control people's thoughts and say, I'm not going to tell the truth the way something is because they're going to think the wrong thing about a group of people. You can't do You just got to be honest with the way things are. And uh, I've even felt this has happened somewhat with COVID-19, that there's been certain things that, that weren't said in order to make people think a certain way. And, and I'm, not, I'm not talking about... Uh, uh, I'm not talking about it being a hoax or, or that uh, people shouldn't worry masking or none, none of that stuff. I, you, you guys know I don't agree with that stuff. I'm just talking about certain things I've discussed before on the show that aren't being said because they want people to think a certain way. Like, for example, how the disease affects people who are old versus young versus middle-aged. I think the danger to young people has been long exaggerated to try to get their cooperation in social distancing. So it's it's a, a thing where we're going to lie to everybody to get them to do what we want. I don't ever support that. you got to just always be honest and then explain why people should do the right thing anyway. And if they don't, then that's the way it is. You can't just justify lying and misleading people of like, well, but I've got to get them to do the right thing. Otherwise, I, you know, I can't tell them the truth. I've never believed in that in any way, shape or form. And this is one of them. So uh, she goes on to say, this is Marley, it will always be poorly received when you're thrown a controversial topic out of the blue and you make a passing comment. Yes, Jamie came in as a white knight and made sure to clarify that we all mean well, but please think about what you're doing. So that last line, please think about what you're doing, that's, that's really showing Marley's kind of hurt by this whole thing. And then someone named Slug responded back, uh, maybe you're the problem. That's kind of a dick response there. Maybe you're the problem. See, that, that's what she's getting. This is why she's upset. This is why she put out the further tweet. I don't know if just from the slug guy, but probably from a lot more than just him. I don't think she knows this slug guy. But it, it's comments like that that really get people down when they're just honest. And that's why I've talked about on previous shows how much I hate the cancel culture because it, it's all part of that. People are just honest and saying, look, this is what's really going on. And then... They really get mobbed by people telling them what awful people they are and how they should be ashamed for saying that and they're terrible and they're hurting people this way by saying what they did. And it, it really can get to people to 
be told these things. And I'm used to seeing things like this. I'm used to hearing things like this. I'm used to controversy. I'm used to dealing with bashing online for, for decades now. So that it doesn't get to me. I don't love to see it. I don't, I, I'd much rather see positive things written about me than negative. But I can read negative stuff about me without flipping out. But there's a lot of people with less experience with this or who just don't take it well that uh, it, it's very hard for them to read things like maybe you're the problem or you're or, or our or our emotional drop. Is <laughs> that what you meant? <laughs> so that's uh, I mean I, I see no, but drop. Listen, I think I think PFA should take out an official position, you know, supporting to uh, Jamie and uh, the other young lady. Well, this is really just about Marley. They're not bashing Jamie. Uh, they're bashing Marley for this. Jamie was more of the uh, uh, the other side of it, saying, "Oh, come on, you know, barely any women do this." Uh, uh, like she, she's not getting a hard time at all. It's it's just Marley getting it here, and I, she doesn't deserve it. This is so undeserved. Right. Yeah. yeah so then to support Marley because I think it would be the right thing to do, and it would be a good PR move to get more listenership to boot. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I, she did nothing wrong here, and Marley, I encourage you to continue to speak your mind, be yourself, don't let the Twitter mob shut you up or shame you for stating what your true experiences are as a poker player. I will never fully know what it's like to be a female poker player. I can only hear a third-hand accounts or, or go by what I have personally witnessed, but since I will never be female and never have been female, I cannot have that experience of my own and it's people like you that we i have to hear from of what you really went through or did not go through while at the same time acknowledging that there are females in poker who are different than you looks wise and age wise who may have had different experiences so i I can do all that as well but definitely just don't be afraid to be honest don't be afraid to be yourself don't be afraid to state what the situation really is the way you see it I hope that this type of crap stops and she can just do her show without this type of nonsense. Unless she really says something that's bad, then yeah, by all means, criticize her for it. But this is unfair. This is not warranted any of the criticism here. The whole thing sounded pretty reasonable to me. We have a call coming in from the 918 area code. Caller, you are on the air. Oh, hey. This is uh, Herbie. Herbie, hello. What's going on? Oh, not much. Um... I kind of, I was driving, I, I had a couple questions, I, mean, I didn't, I just started listening to the show, so I'm completely off topic, but, uh, uh, first, uh, a question for Trader Ruski, what's the, uh, what's the tea he drinks at night, I haven't saw me, I was kind of was curious about what, what he drinks. Oh, um, usually the traditional medicinal ones, they have like a sleepy something. It's good okay. stuff. Yeah, I've tried the sleepy, I've tried the sleepy time, but I it didn't really seem to work too well. But here's a question. Yeah, it's usually just I'm usually spent by that. Have Have you tried melatonin? Some people that works very well for. Uh, I think uh, some of those brands they have melatonin, but let me try that instead of just the generic. No, I don't just mean but, tea. Uh, I mean you can take like melatonin gummies, and and uh, those help some people fall asleep. I did a good idea. I'll have to try that again. Yeah, but uh, the, other, the other question I had for you, uh, I know you were talking about you're a lemon holder player, but you were talking about getting other games. Like, how would you how would you go about like uh, 
I don't like know whether there's tons of books about it and all kinds of training videos and stuff. How do you how how do you go about like learning like other games that are more obscure than say like Holdup or whatever? Well, the, the easy part is finding instruction on them. There are some books out there that uh, cover mixed games that cover a lot of different games, and you can get a good enough idea from reading these books on how to play all these games. And then you, from that point, you kind of have to get experience and play for yourself. And that's the hard part. How do you get experience in games that are not spread very often or at all? And uh, yeah, yeah. So, so the way you have to do it is uh, either find some sort of uh, low-stakes online games, like sometimes, as much as I hate to recommend it, uh, one of these private apps or whatever. And again, I say low-stakes because I, I don't trust these apps. But, but something low-stakes, preferably with people you know, where these games are spread. Or uh, home games are a good way to do this. I was actually playing in a home game with uh, people that, that are not involved with this show or, or Poker Fraud Alert. But there was a, a group of people in Southern California that uh, I got to know that I was going to their home game. And I was playing, and uh, they were doing a mix there of a lot of different games. Some they were even just making up. There were some made-up games, too. But uh, I was actually using that to improve at games I hadn't played very much for preparation the, uh, for the 2020 World Series, which ended up not happening for me. But I was doing that, yeah. and that's that's how I was doing it. And uh, I did find it was a challenge, though, to find how to practice in some of these games, and that can be tough. Now, of course, this plagues everybody. So when you do play these games, like at the World Series, you play a mix event, there will be people who just suck at some of the games there, especially some of the more obscure games. Yeah. And, and that's why it, it won't be as tough for you as you think. Uh, and and those who can play them all well have a big advantage in that. But there's, well, well, do you and think I think that, uh, two dra- oh, no, I was just going to add too. Like vintage one always, you know, Twitch. There's a lot of people that play like pros, different games. They talk about different percentages, why they're doing stuff in different spots, like in PLO and stuff like that. So I think just conceptually, yeah. those are good to watch too. You know. So PLO, that's, that one's pretty easy. There's, there's a lot of PLO online. But but things like uh, um, like Raz can be very hard to see how to play, or even uh, Stud can be harder to find online that goes. Or uh, uh, even 08 is getting hard to find online. So, uh, yeah. do, you, do you think uh, limit, uh, like cash games would translate better over to, you know, if you jump from like no limit, hold them cash to tournament, it's quite a bit of different strategy to it. You think limit cash games are pretty comparable to limit tournaments, then? Well, uh, if you look at my results, what I should do is just forget everything I know about tournament play and just go directly from cash and just play it like a cash game because I I managed to win a bracelet and finish third doing that. But uh, uh, the truth is that there's some adjustments, there's some some tournament-related adjustments you have to make, but uh, there's a lot of similarities uh, you do have to, in later stages of a limit tournament, it starts to look more like a no-limit tournament because you have so few blinds left, and the whole table has so few blinds yeah. left, that you've really got to be careful of what hands you go in with because at some point you're going to be committed very soon. And, and uh, uh, at certain hands, you're, you're going to flop middle pair, and you're going to be stuck, and you're going to have to go in even if you're hating the situation. So, that, And that's how a lot of people end up 
busting. It's not only that you can't help it, it's not just the way that's the way it is. But uh, so you have to make those adjustments. But uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of similarities to cash. If you're a good limit cash player, then you've got a, a good shot at doing well in a limit tournament. And there just aren't that many limit tournaments anymore, though. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, and then the, the other question, um, you were talking about your uh, your band in Venetia, you came out with that. Uh, uh, do you mind if I ask you kind of a direct question about it? I kind of have a crazy theory about it. Uh, about what? Uh, your uh, Venetian banning. Oh, my Venetian banning. Go ahead. Okay, fighting chance for you, were you playing the Dealer's Angel there? Was I playing what? The, you know what Dealer's Angels are? Video Blackjack? I was not playing any kind of blackjack. Okay, you weren't playing me. No. Okay, no. I had a crazy theory, but uh, no, if you I, were I, playing video blackjack, that would probably wouldn't be true then. So, what, what is the theory? Yeah. Oh, uh, it's, it's pretty off the wall. Actually, I'll, maybe I'll send you, a, I'll probably send you a private message on Twitter. Okay. Uh, well, you can send me the private message. I, I'd, I'd like to hear it, but all right. Okay, okay. I'll, I'll send you a private message. Okay, well, uh, th- thank you for calling. Anything else? No, no, that was what I was curious about. Uh, like I said, I, was, I, I actually dialed you that one time, and uh, I was driving, so I was like, oh, I'm listening on the listening line. So I was like, I'll call. All right, I appreciate your time. Okay, thank you. Hey, hey yeah, if no you way. find a new team, put it, put it, post it, and call back in. Okay, okay, I'll let you know what I, what I I'll try someone All right, thank you, Herbie. That's good. Uh, All right, see you, Herbie. Now I want to know what his theory is for why I got banned. Mm. Still, he I, probably has a way to fucking to win illegally or something. <laughs> so I, I don't say know. It. That's what I'm saying online. Uh, that's, I, yeah, I don't know why you didn't want to say it on here, but I'm, I am curious. Okay, now I'm going to play something else about a different subject, but also from a podcast that is not very reasonable. And that is Lon McCarron, the ESPN commentator. Up until recently, I had always just thought of him kind of neutrally. He's just like an ESPN commentator, an older guy. I never thought of him in really any non-neutral way. I didn't think great things about him. I didn't think bad things about him. He's just kind of there. I think that's what most people saw him as. But Lon McCarron was on a podcast called the Chip Race Podcast, and uh, yeah, it's run by these uh, Irish guys, uh, I think David Lapin and uh, I forget the other guy. They're, they're the guys who pissed off Negranu when they said some things Negranu didn't like, but whatever. Lon appeared on their podcast, and Lon was recently in some controversy because he was defending Stones and somewhat defending Possel and saying some pretty obnoxious things about uh, those who were accusing them, and, and Veronica the whistleblower in the whole thing, Veronica Brill, had tweeted that Lon had been friends with her prior to this and then didn't want to be her friend anymore after she blew the whistle. And she's like, what the hell? What did I do wrong? And it really seemed like Lon was on Stone's side and on Postle's side, which was just mind-boggling, until you looked and saw that Lon had a business relationship with Stone's. And you could see that publicly by Googling Lon McCarran and Stone's gambling hall. So it's clear that Lon didn't just come up with his opinion on his own, that uh, this is a group he does business with, and uh, either because he wanted to continue doing business with them or just because he got to like them personally at Stones, and so he had a very biased opinion. 
But still, he may like the owners of Stones and doesn't want to bash them, and that's fine. But it's one thing to privately like the owners and hope they don't suffer from this. It's another thing to come out and cast any kind of question upon those that made these accusations when it's very clear what happened. It's, it's not like it's up in the air whether Apostle cheated or not. It's not like it's up in the air whether anything bad happened there. If you watch those videos, you know. If you watch those videos and you know poker, you know. And we're not going to go into this again. We've, we've discussed that tons of times and it's been discussed on many other shows tons of times. And it's been discussed in print tons of times. So we know Apostle is guilty. And it's such a slap in the face when someone like Lon McCarron, who, by the way, earlier in the podcast, talked about how poker really saved him. Because Lon was not doing well, and this is by his own admission, earlier in that podcast, by his own admission, he said that uh, he was broke and selling mortgages, and then the WSOP resurrected his career. Uh, pretty much everything he has now he owes to the poker community, and this is how he repays them. So uh, I'm going to play the clip of Lon on there, and I'm going to stop it and comment on it just as I did for the, the Marley clip. And this is pretty outrageous. I just don't know why Lon can't keep his mouth shut about this. Even if he likes Stones and doesn't like to see Stone suffering from this, you, you just this is one of those times you keep quiet. It's okay to have friends or business associates you like that have done bad things that you decide you still like them, despite what they've done. But you can privately know they screwed up and just say, hey, I'm not going to pile on them because they're my friends or they're my business associates, but I'm not going to be an idiot and bash those who legitimately have a problem with them for legitimate reasons. But Lon apparently hasn't learned this. Turning now to a more recent story, I think it's fair to say you had some fairly pointed exchanges with Postlegate whistleblower Veronica Brill and Abraham Martin, a former tech worker at Stone's Gambling Hall. That was a sensitive time, I think, for poker with passions running high. And your comments in defense of Stone's management blew a bit against the prevailing winds. In an article at that time, veteran poker writer Haley Hintz said, it was an unusual series of outbursts from the well-liked McCarran, a very warm person who is widely known throughout the poker world for his kindness and care towards others. In this instance, though, it may go down as a matter of carrying one's loyalty just a little bit too far when silence might have been the wiser option. What made you speak out on that issue at the time? By the way, the Abraham they're referring to there is a listener to Poker Fraudulent Radio. So shout out to Abraham. Yeah, it was an interesting day. Um, and actually, Haley had reached out to me. And at the end of that story, she did say we reached out to Lon and he didn't get back to us. And what happened, how she reached out was through Twitter direct message. And she's not someone I followed. So it didn't pop up on my direct messages that came through a message request. And I get a lot of weird message requests that I don't always go through. So I did run into her message like a week later after she published that article. I did get in touch with her and we did talk things out a little bit more with her. So I wasn't trying to avoid her or diss her or whatever. Just I didn't even know she tried to reach out. But as far as Stones go, I was hired by Stones Gambling Hall four years ago or so. And they pay me a small monthly fee to be their poker ambassador. But it's certainly nothing that I'm going to miss if I have to break with them for some reason. So what happened that morning was a Saturday morning. I was literally cooking pancakes, and I got this message from Veronica that I responded to, and then Abe got involved in, everybody got involved in. And I wasn't necessarily defending. I guess it could be read as defending Stones, but it was more like I want to wait and see how this plays out before I offer any opinion. 
I was just maybe erring on the side of caution. When the whole Postal Gate hit the fan, I was actually out of the country and did not hear about it until I got back and then started hearing things secondhand. And I, I did not talk to management about it. I wasn't able to talk to Justin Caritas, the tournament director, because he was already off grid. So I just continued my role as a poker ambassador, going to Stones, playing the tournaments, meeting and greeting and waiting for the chips to fall. I was always about, let's see where this goes. I'm not an expert on poker cheating, on methods of cheating, on discovering how people are cheating and all like that. I have- Let me stop him right there. Here's the problem. And I saw a lot of this willful ignorance during the UB cheating days, which of course is very similar. It was online and not live, but it was the same thing with someone looking at whole cards and, and crushing all the opponents and, and cheating basically in the worst way. And some people keeping willful ignorance of, let's see how it plays out. Uh, we're, we're not sure this really happened. Uh, you know, we don't know really who did it. That's when it's very clear what really happened, even when there's, quote, new owners of UB, the willful ignorance by people like Prahlad Friedman and Joe Seabach, when they knew it wasn't. And there were people who were much more knowledgeable about the situation than they were that they could have consulted. Lon knows a lot of people in poker by now, to say the least. Lon could have gone to any of them that he respected and said, hey, what do you think of the Postle thing? How likely is it to you that he cheated? I'm not saying ask the average jerk on Twitter. I'm saying go to people you've met over the years, Lon, whom we respect, and ask them, what is your opinion? Ask several of them. And if every single one of them says, yeah, we saw the videos, yeah, he was cheating 100%, then say, okay, then I believe he was cheating. That's that's all it takes. You don't have to say, well, let's wait and see. Wait and see for what? There's nothing to wait and see. The The videos came out very quickly because they were all right there on Stone's site. You know, they were pulled and, and watched by Chicago Joey, who spent like a whole week doing nothing but playing those videos and commenting on them. You know, it came out very quickly once the whole thing really got steam that Postle had to be cheating. It was analyzed back and forth, left and right, and... Every single poker pro I saw, with any kind of credibility, I mean even the slightest bit of credibility, every single poker pro agreed. This is one of the few times I saw everybody in poker agreeing on something. Usually something comes up in poker, on poker Twitter, and you have uh, some people thinking one way, some people thinking the other, some people in the middle. Here, all these people came together with the same opinion. Republicans, Democrats... Uh, b- people who usually don't like each other, people all came together and said, Apostle was cheating, he was for sure, there's no question, what an asshole. That's pretty much what everybody said. There is no disagreement. So how does Lon come away from that saying, hmm, let's wait and see what happens. Let's, let's see and wait how this, sh- let's wait and see how this shakes out. There wasn't much waiting to do. And besides, the controversy with Lon came much after this, much, much after this, when it was really known by everybody that Postle had to be guilty. It's not like someone asked Lon, what do you think about this two days into the whole scandal? This whole thing broke out this year, the controversy with Lon, whereas the stuff with Postle was happening in October of 2019. So I don't even understand what he's trying to say here. Not seen much of Joey Ingram's epic week-long, eight hours a day investigation into it all. And I do really enjoy working with the people at Stones, obviously. I like how they present the game for people. But again, 
I couldn't say for sure what he was doing, what he wasn't doing. So it was more from ignorance. You know, yeah, I saw the numbers, but again, I'm not the expert on what happens. I've been around this world long enough to know weird things do happen and there are explanations and I was not going to pass judgment. But you know experts. You know experts. I just said that. Oh, I think weird things happen. I don't, I don't want to pass judgments. Uh, I didn't get to see everything Joey did. Yeah, but you know people. You don't have to watch eight hours of Joey's show to figure out whether Apostle's cheating or not. You can if you're if you're in doubt, if you don't believe what these experts are telling you, then go ahead and watch it. But you can also talk to people you respect and just say, was he cheating? Yes, 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 yes. Okay, I believe yes. That's all it takes. See, there's no way around that one on anybody so it was just something that kind of blew up veronica actually didn't give a complete story on some things that i wrote to her so yeah i got a little heated it was very unfortunate and if i can be blamed for something it's probably for not investigating it enough myself not getting to know enough about what could happen and maybe listening to matt berkey and joey ingram a little more to find out really what was going on so it was very unfortunate yeah, for sure. As David said, it was a, a very tense period. Looking back now, what's your overall impression of what happened and with the subsequent court case that was thrown out against Mike? I really didn't think the court case was going to go anywhere because there was no proof that I could see. Yes, the numbers were hugely in favor of there was something going on. There was a win rate there from what I've been told. Again, I'm not the guy to go to for this, but the arguments were win rate, the suspicious lumps in the hat looking down at the crotch. And honestly, I've not seen much of that footage and blame me for that. But I, I just didn't have time to go back and review all that footage as a lot of people did. Um, I mean, can you just go on numbers? What's your guys' take on it? The problem is the numbers are just so overwhelming that it's like the probability that it, that it can happen without cheating is so great. But that said, I mean... If I, the numbers I, are correct, though, that's the thing. Too. If the numbers if the are numbers correct, are. this is true. I mean, you can you can obviously dispute every part of it, and which is why, like, I understand why a court might throw it out because, you know, even if you prove it's like 100 million to one, I mean, if 100 million people enter the lottery, one of them's going to win without cheating. That's yeah, that's not why the court threw it out, though. So that's not even true. It was thrown out because of uh, legalities in California where this simply couldn't prevail in the manner in, in which it all took place. It's just it had to do with uh, idiosyncrasies in California law and how the law in California is immature and in matters like these and cannot deal with something like this. That's why it got thrown out. It was not found that maybe possible was innocent, and we have to give him the benefit of the doubt. Or we couldn't prove that he was cheating. It was not about that. It, it had to do with existing case law. It had to do with existing laws on the books, why I was thrown out. But but that aside, that aside, uh, something that always bothered me was this claim of, well, they got the numbers wrong. The people who analyzed this got the numbers wrong. And the, the claim I've seen from that uh, idiotic publication that uh, – is done by Postle's friend, that Rounders uh, magazine that Postle used to be involved with and his close buddy is running, that they've been putting out all these pro-Postle arguments, and they've been saying, look, here's proof that the accusers of Postle are full of shit. They got the numbers wrong by a factor of two. That's basically their whole argument, is the numbers are off by a factor of two. Okay, I don't agree with that, but let's give them that for the moment. Let's say they're off by a factor of two. Is the accusation against Possel 
solely based upon numbers that would be normal if you cut them in half? Answer, no. Not even close. Postle's numbers were off by such a large factor compared to what you would expect a winning player to win in those games that cutting them in half would do nothing. You cut the numbers in half, and it's still outrageous how much he won in that short of a time at those limits. And you don't drop that chart that the guy showed on 60 Minutes before or after you, where he kind of showed, like, all the dots, and then, like, this dot was way out there, remember? Yeah. Like, how would this compare? Like, would it be something like that? Yes. It, you know, or? Yes, it would be like that. It would be one of those, like, so far out there as far as an outlier in, in the win rate that it just isn't realistic. So cutting it in half when it's that far out there it doesn't do anything. It just doesn't do anything. It's like, let, let me give you a, a, a simple example. Let's say I tell you, Trey Daruski, that I just ran a one-minute mile today. And, uh, and, and you laugh at me. Come on, one-minute mile? That's, that's, uh, there's no way you could have done that. And then I say, okay, fine. You got me. I, I, I cut it in half. I really ran a two-minute mile. Would you believe that? No, because both are so outrageous, right. you, you couldn't believe either one. So even if you want to say that I was exaggerating by a factor of two, it still is, is equally bad. It's just as crazy for me to claim I ran a two-minute mile as a one-minute mile because neither can be done by the human body. So for that reason, uh, it doesn't matter. The, the claim is absurd either way. So Mike Postle saying that this was his win rate, even if you cut that win rate in half, which is what they're claiming, that still makes the same point for his accusers. But it wasn't just the win rate. We got, fortunately, we had video. If we didn't have video, we don't have to go by the win rate if it, if it was obtainable. But we're not just going by a raw win rate. We're going by watching video and his behavior. That is what allowed us to conclude that he was cheating. That's what allowed everyone to be so certain of this. That's what allowed even the initial skeptics to go, uh, yeah, okay, he was cheating. That's why. And if you don't want to take the time to watch that, then you have to go by those that have watched it and have come to the conclusion and ones who are usually level-headed and are not, not going to just go along with a crowd and those who are intelligent who are going to actually analyze it. And if they're all coming up with the same conclusion, then they are probably right. So for, for him, I, I always hated the if the numbers are correct argument or, or what if they're off by what they're saying they're off. I say fine. If they're off what they're saying they're off, then the point still stands just as well. That's why it's such a silly thing for them to claim is the gotcha in this situation. It's a general problem with any sort of mathematical or scientific evidence. Mm. DNA evidence tends to be easier to discredit as well. If you can introduce any sort of doubt at all, I think he was definitely cheating, but I also accept the point. No, I appreciate that. Yeah, and I I really feel bad because I do feel like I'm shortchanging people because I am who I am and because I am the Stones poker ambassador. People are looking for me for an answer and looking for me for something that the well's dry there. I can't provide them. So they really wanted me to come out with a strong statement. They wanted me to, to know the ins and outs and what was happening. And, and like I said, I wasn't there when the shit hit the fan. Mm. Um, and yeah. I just chose to stand back. And that could have been my middle error there and what people think of me and my role with Stones. But but see, that's not what happened. See, the problem was he was actually coming out in defense of Stones, and, and both publicly and privately, and, and people were getting pissed off. See, if he said, I have a working relationship with Stones, and for that reason, I can't make public comment on this. I hope you understand. Other people will still be pissed off, but at least he's not defending them. 
At least he's just saying, look, I, I've got a relationship with him. I can't say anything. I would actually be understanding of that. In a perfect world, yeah, everybody would stand up and say, oh, my God, uh, my employer is ho- awful. Or uh, They may not be his direct employer, but I, you know, what, my, the person I have a the, – the business I have a relationship with is terrible. F them. I don't care if I never work for them again. Like in a perfect world, everybody would do that when the company behaves poorly, but that doesn't really happen in real life. I'm willing to accept in certain situations that people can just be silent. As long as they don't try to imply that their silence means that uh, they're defending the company. But if they just say, I can't comment on this, I'm sorry, I can't say anything further, then I can at least accept that. And I'm not going to roundly criticize it in most cases, including this one. If, If that's all Lon had to say, I'd go, "Okay, well, I wish he said something, but I can understand why he's not. If Lon just said, I can't say anything, fine. It's the fact that Lon was calling people into question. He was calling the situation into question. And keep in mind, he was the ambassador. He wasn't the official spokesman of Stone. He was an ambassador. It wasn't expected that he was going to make a statement on behalf of Stone. That wasn't his job. He was someone who worked with them, who decided to defend them when he didn't have to. Now, he's trying to portray it, that people were demanding he say something, and that he felt pressured that he had to say it, and so he made a statement that then they weren't thrilled with it. That was, he didn't have to make a statement. That That's the flaw in his argument here. He did not have to make a statement, and most people would have understood. I, I didn't feel I needed to be the prosecution there because there was certainly enough of that going on. Yeah. Human nature, too, is we tend to trust the people we work with and, right. and so on. I mean, we, we we spoke to Chris Moneymaker, and he also defended Mike because he knew Mike personally. At the start, uh, he admitted that he might have been a bit rash on that because he hadn't actually gone into looking at the case against Mike at that point. But uh, it's certainly been a lesson for me. Like, whenever David is exposed for whatever horrors he's doing in secret, I'll be straight out <laughs> and saying, I'm not standing by him. <laughs> What I would say, Lon, though, is that I didn't watch every minute of Joey's footage, but I watched a lot. And it becomes very clear, like, Joey is now lawyer and he has more than half an eye on hype and entertainment. But he was thorough. And I think when you just kind of build that much circumstantial evidence against him like not just even the win rates which are off the charts but things like at the moments where the RFID reader was failing and he was stalling I did see one of those moments that was odd yeah yeah and there was just there was a few of those kinds of moments and to be honest once you watch you do suddenly start going like oh my god there's just so much evidence here and it's really really unlikely as Dara said like million to one stuff that he didn't cheat now as you say that didn't make me any more confident that it would necessarily mean a prosecution because not only can you maybe throw in a bit of doubt but you've also got the issue of like how do you find a judge and jury who understand these things like it's only as a poker pro right. kind of get the nuances of everything that he'd be doing doing in this situation so what you end up with you're trying to educate the jury on well he's in position so you see that's why he's waiting he has position on what the other guys are you know you can imagine trying to make yeah. that case in court and it's just not going to be an easy one to do and then one of the things too you just triggered a little thought that i had had before i honestly don't believe that stones is going to risk their license and their millions of dollars in investment to help a kid win a couple grand at a poker table. Okay, let's let's unpack that one. There's a lot of problems with that statement. First of all, why is he calling Mike a kid? And that's insulting to a couple of grand. <laughs> yeah. Break. Well, yeah, a lot of things. It's not a couple of grand. It's, it's hundreds of grand. Uh, also, a kid? Mike's over 40. 
So I don't know why he's calling him a kid. That, that's making it sound like it's just a youthful indiscretion. This is not a kid. This is a grown man, a middle-aged man. So that's another thing. I mean, I, I know Lon's older than him, but you don't call Mike a kid, and I think that was on purpose. And also, he's saying he doesn't think Stones would risk doing this. Uh, but the thing is here, this the Stones' ownership didn't and have that- to risk it. They, they didn't have to... It's not a matter of the ownership knowing. It's a matter of negligence that uh, this was able to happen there and that they didn't have the procedures set up to prevent this or that corrupt employees may have done this, which then makes them responsible. So they need to have the uh, security procedures in place to where this can't occur because there can be corrupt employees. The fact that this could have even occurred at all is Stone's fault. And, of course, when employees do bad things, then that also becomes their fault. So uh, I, it, it doesn't have to be Stone's ownership deciding, hey, you know what, we're going to get behind Mike Postle cheating so he can make money and we can promote him. Uh, now, Stone's did gain from this up until they were caught in that uh, people, more and more people were watching these streams because... Apostle was just doing so many amazing things. They were promoting him as like a poker god. They actually put his face on Jesus' body in uh, one of the broadcasts to show how he was a godlike poker player, which was really telling. But they they were promoting Apostle, and they were gaining. Right, which probably is another reason why they wouldn't know, though, because why would they do that if they knew anything about it? I don't think no. I don't think ownership knew. I think I think the way this went down, and I'll never know for sure. But the way I think this went down is ownership didn't know. I think Justin knew. I, I think maybe Justin and whoever else was doing it were getting a piece of the profits, and uh, Justin also probably felt that this raises the profile of the stream itself, which was growing in popularity and getting more and more respect. And that's what a lot of people are ignoring, too, that this this stone stream was not just some little stream of a Sacramento casino. It was quickly growing in popularity, in respect, in the number of big-name poker pros who were going down to play there. And they were really rapidly becoming competition for life at the bike. They were really becoming prominent, and they would have continued in their prominence had this not occurred. So Justin probably thought not only is he getting some extra cash from this, but uh, he's also running an increasingly influential stream, which then makes him more important at work also. He's running a a product which is doing better and better for Stones, which makes the bosses very happy. So all the bosses can see is that this stream is growing. Stones Casino is getting more and more on the poker map. They're getting more and more prominent. They're getting more and more likely to be able to hold large-scale tournaments there that will make them a lot of money. And it looks like nothing but good is coming from it. So I doubt that Justin went to them and said, hey, guys, just want to let you know, um, Apostle's cheating and we're helping him. And we're giving him the whole cards and that's why he's crushing everyone. And just want to let you know, like, there's no way he would say that. Because the the owner, Lon is right that the owners would not want to risk that. But that does not mean they're not at fault. And what happened is once this all went down, the owners probably knew this was really, this was really happening. But they're not going to admit it because they don't want to assume the liability for it. They don't want to have to pay up for this. They don't want to even admit this happened because it'll make them look bad. So they went into self-protection mode, which I guess you can understand why they were doing it, but it's crappy. 
and you shouldn't want to support them anymore once they do that, and you should be angry at them for having a system in place there that, that this could even happen in the first place. Because when you have a live stream like this, you have to know people are human, and you have to know that people could take advantage of this, and there have to be procedures in place to prevent this from occurring. And if you don't have these procedures in place, these security procedures that you would set up beforehand, then this might occur, and here it did. So uh, you can say, oh, the Stones wouldn't have risked this. Yeah, I agree. They, their ownership probably didn't know, but that doesn't excuse much here. And did they come, do the people that own or, that own the drop or star, did they come from like a casino background or is it like the guy that bought the restaurant because he likes food and now can't run a business? Yeah, I don't know much about the owners, so I, I can't answer that. But uh, just because you would think if it was somebody that knew the casino business, like all that stuff's like the first thing they do, right, is well, monitors that people can't do that. Well, I, here's what I think happened is because there has not been a live stream scandal that has ever occurred like this before. And live streams or, or any kind of poker broadcasting scandal where the, the whole cards are seen by someone that's uh, that's broadcasting it or recording it for broadcast – to our knowledge, no other situation like this has ever occurred. So by the time the Stone stream was created, to the owners of Stones, it was probably just standard stuff. Yeah, you run a stream. These, there's never been cheating on this before. You don't even think about cheating. They should, but I can see why this could get neglected because it's just kind of assumed that this has always been safe. You just do it the way everyone else has, and it's fine. And it's probably what the owners thought. I'm not excusing Stones because whoever does actually set this up has to be sure that this isn't happening. This is part of the responsibility they should have. And I'm talking from a moral standpoint. Forget about the way they legally wormed out of this because of uh, what the, the duty of care is for the, the casinos from a legal standpoint in California. I'm talking about uh, from a moral standpoint, they should be expected to set up a stream where there is uh, there are certain security procedures that would prevent this. And they did not do that. And that's what allowed this to happen. And it's, uh, yeah, so they are at fault here. Just that doesn't mean that the owners knew it. Now, if Lon wanted to say, I don't think ownership knew, and then by the time they found out, uh, either way, they're in bad shape. If they admit to it, then they've got all kinds of legal liability that could shut them down and, uh, and it makes them look terrible. So it's a very tough situation for them to be in, and I'm pretty sure that they didn't know about it, and these are good guys. He could say that, but that's not what he's saying. He's like, oh, well, how do you blame owners? They wouldn't risk everything. Like, well, let's, let's hear the rest of what he's saying here. And Veronica came at me with, she thought Stones was implicit in this. And from a business standpoint, you're not going to help Mike Postle win a couple grand tonight at the poker table and risk your business license and your poker license and your future income. As well, it's, it's not a couple of grand again. But, and, and also, when what Veronica was saying, I, I don't recall Veronica ever saying that she thought that ownership was in on this. I, we had her on the show. I've seen her all her tweets. I've never seen her say that. What I've seen... I mean, I can't imagine she called him and said ownership's in on it. No, she said this guy's cheating. That's that's a crock of shit. Well, also, she was mad because she brought this to the attention of Justin, and then she was told, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. Mike just plays at a level you don't understand. So she was dismissed. 
And it, it was funny. At first, she thought she was dismissed because she was female, and la- later she understood that she wasn't dismissed for being female. She was being dismissed because Justin was probably in on it and, and wa- just wanted her to feel stupid that he would have done the same thing to a male. But but uh, regardless, well, right. no. But that's how he probably used it too to like put doubt in everybody else's mind. Oh, the dumb female. You know, she doesn't know what she's talking about. Yeah, it's possible. That's started but, to get out too. And, but but she but she admitted she admitted that she didn't think at that that she said at first she thought it was sexism, but later she just thought it was just Justin covering for himself. But uh, th- she was mad at, at the fact that she tried to report this and and that nothing was done, and and that uh, and then now Stones is just not admitting it happened. Which you can understand why she's mad. You can see why Stones is trying to cover it up because they feel like uh, there's only downsides to them admitting this, but. You can understand why victims of this are angry that the casino where it occurred is denying it occurred. And also that they did a fake investigation both times. They did two fake investigations. So, of course, she's mad at the casino. And and Lon can't hold it against her for being mad at the casino for covering this up. The business. And so I heard that. And I was like, that's bullshit. You're wrong. That's not happening. Possible's got to be doing this with somebody who's got to help him somewhere, but I don't think it was Stones. Yeah, I, I know where you're coming from there. I guess I do also at the same time sympathize with the point of view, though, where people feel like the book sort of stops with them. The book stops with Stones. They should have been providing the right atmosphere for a game, the appropriate protections for players, and in the end of the day, they didn't. I think there are better ways to handle everything. I think we were far from optimal on how it was handled. Sure. Well, from the series to, I guess, the downright bizarre, finally, Lon, your partner, Norman Chad, takes to Twitter. Ev- All right, he goes on with Norman Chad. Well, you can go listen to the chip race if you want to hear the rest of this. That was the segment about Postle that I wanted you guys to hear. One other thing, he said it wasn't optimally handled. Well, thank you. That's what everybody says. But <laughs> why didn't you say this, Lon? Why didn't you, if, if you were willing to criticize the victims and those calling this out, and you were willing to cast doubt upon what was being saying, uh, what was being said. Why did you not also state how you felt that Stones was not optimally handling it? And if you didn't feel comfortable criticizing Stones, given your business relationship with them, why say anything at all? Why not keep your mouth shut? So why did Lon do this? Let's discuss that. Why did Lon do this? Lon did this. Number one, he's kind of out of touch. Number two, he had a business relationship with them. He probably had this discussion with ownership was going, oh, my God, this is hurting us. Uh, this has ruined our live stream. Uh, we, we had no idea. We still don't know if this really happened. Uh, it, it's hard to tell. Yeah, it, you know, we can see the, the point of the people complaining, but uh, they, they've ruined a whole uh, reputation over this. And you know us. We would never agree with this sort of thing. We would never go along with it. It wouldn't make sense why we'd risk our license. Like They probably said that to Lon, and Lon's like, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. I know you guys are good. You, you, he probably knows the owners and thinks they're good guys and feels that they were given a bum rap on this and that they that people are unfairly blaming them. And he's not looking at what like what even the Irish guys in the pod, the podcast said that the buck stops with the ownership when something like this happens, especially if ownership will not take responsibility for it or and will not admit it happened and they'll do fake investigations and they'll hire their own attorney to 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 direct an investigation without admitting he's their own attorney, like all kinds of shady crap like that, when the ownership does that, of course the poker community is going to be unhappy with it. 
And if you have any common sense, Lon, you should be able to see that. And if you do not want to criticize them because you like the owners or you've worked with them or still work with them, then keep your mouth shut. And if what you said at the beginning is true, that you can do without what they pay you if you're not being paid very much, well, then quit. I don't understand why you don't quit then. That would also speak volumes if you say, I'm not the ambassador anymore. Even if you don't want to bash them, if you just want to say, I, I've made a decision to no longer represent Stones, thank you. You can just say that. That speaks volumes without you having to say anything or directly criticize them. But again, maybe, maybe he likes them personally. I'm talking about the owners here. And just doesn't want to bash them and is very tempted to defend them. Much like you might be tempted to defend your friend who is getting bashed on social media even if deep down you kind of know that he deserves the criticism he's getting. You may be tempted to jump in and defend him. I remember about 25 years ago, I had a live-in girlfriend. And of course, we were both young, since this is many years ago. She was around my age, but we were both early 20s. And uh, she was uh, she started posting on a news group. For those of you who have been on the internet a long time, remember what a news group is. It's kind of like an early version of a forum. She was posting on a news group, and uh, she said some pretty stupid things. And people started jumping on her and just saying really awful and nasty things to her. They didn't know her personally. She was just a, a screen name on there. But uh, nevertheless, they were really bashing her very hard, and she was very upset by the awful stuff they were saying. Because she, she had joined it and gotten along with them at first and gotten involved in that little community of the news group. And then uh, she posted some things, as I said, that were kind of stupid. And, and they all jumped all over her. And she was very upset. So being the good boyfriend I was, I went onto the news group. And I didn't identify myself as her boyfriend. I just pretended to be a neutral observer. And I just started tearing everyone a new one who was criticizing her. And just, just trying as much as I could to cast doubt upon the criticism that they were giving her, even though I agreed with them. I knew she she did and said stupid things in the news group. It was stupid, trivial stuff. It wasn't like she had scammed anyone or done anything bad. She just said some stupid things to them. But I, I tried to argue that what she said was reasonable, that they were all being stupid. I didn't believe anything I was saying. I was just being the good boyfriend. And then she read that and she saw that I, I actually started to convince some people who were on the fence that uh, that she was actually in the right and the whole thing kind of died down thanks to me. And, and, and she was very appreciative for it. And she felt a lot better. Okay? So I understand when you like someone, there's the temptation to jump in and say things you don't really believe to defend them. Okay? But you've also got to look at the situation. And with something as serious as this, and given how much Lon owes the poker community for basically rescuing him from a bad career situation where he was broke and didn't know what to do with himself and he was middle-aged and just like, oh my God, I'm, I'm broke and selling mortgages, barely making any money. And then he gets this great job during the poker boom, during poker, doing poker commentating. And everybody embraces him and people like him and, and he's respected and, and this respect lasts for, for nearly two decades. At that point, you have enough respect back for the community that you don't say something like this when everybody agrees that the community was victimized by this guy and by this casino. At that point, even if you like the owners of the casino, you realize that the community got screwed 
and they're probably never going to get justice. And you keep your mouth shut. If you don't want to join in, keep your mouth shut. That's what you do. You avoid the temptation to back those that you like, and that's what Lon was doing. Lon didn't do this because he's evil or an awful guy or loves cheaters. My, Lon did it because he thought he was being loyal to people who have hired him and might have befriended him. But that's no excuse. You shouldn't do it. It was a disrespectful thing for him to do, and he still hasn't fully understood it. He understands more now. You can hear in this podcast, he understands more now than earlier, but he still doesn't completely get it, and that's uh, unfortunate. Uh, By the way, I got a message that uh, the Stones and uh, Kevorkian are executives and owners of the Monarch Group, a La Jolla-based real estate and development firm. Uh, the Stones, that, that's, uh, those are the owners, the Stones and the Kevorkian. I guess the Stones Casino is named after the Stones. Uh, and they're licensed by the state to own two card clubs outside of Sacramento. Interesting. Yeah, so they kind of come from more of a real estate background, you know, which could explain why, you know, she didn't run away. Yeah, and by the way, I, he also was not waiting and seeing. He was still actively promoting the room. And he was telling people to keep playing there. And he wasn't saying, hey, everybody, maybe, maybe wait and see and, and maybe stop playing there if it turns out you think Postle's guilty. He was actually saying, no, 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 this is exaggerated. You should keep playing there. Don't let people just shame you away from playing at Stones. Like he was, he was trying to convince people to not boycott Stones over this, which is also bad. That's another case where you keep your mouth shut. If you want to be the ambassador and still represent them after this, I think it's a mistake. But if you're going to be ambassador, do not defend them. And if you have to defend them, then you should quit your job. Especially if you're barely making any money. Like, why is he staying on then? He's barely making money. He's pretty much betraying the poker community by saying things like this. So why is he doing it? (laughs) Why not just quit? I don't understand it. I would quit. I don't understand why not quit. But if you don't want to quit, then don't don't call into question what people are saying about Postle and Stones, because Postle cheated and Stones is covering it up. And that's what happened. That is what happened, Lon. That's what we all believe happened. We have tons of video evidence, hundreds of hours of video evidence that this is what happened. So it's not a wait and see thing. It never has been a wait and see thing. It came out very quickly. By the way, uh, uh, I was also sent an article just now that uh, one of the owners, uh, Kermit Shalitz, is a longtime card room owner, and that uh, the Stones bought their way into existing card rooms through loans to improve those rooms. And uh, there's even some controversy about this. So I, it's interesting stuff I'm being sent here. I wish I had more time to research it before the show, but thank you for those uh, that information that listeners sent that to me. By the way, a little Postle news. Postle has reached out to a Poker Fraud Alert radio listener. Might you be able to guess who that is, Trader Risky? This just happened. No. Just happened this week. Mike Postle reached out for the first time since this whole scandal occurred. I think the last time he contacted this person was uh, like the very end of September. But Mike Postle reached out to one Bart Hansen. 
And I know this because Bart posted a screenshot of it, including his response on Twitter. In fact, it was it was kind of entertaining. So uh, I don't know why Postle decided that he's going to contact Bart. Now, remember, Bart played in some of those games. And uh, Postle had initially tried to convince Bart that he was innocent, but realized uh, by September 30th that that wasn't happening. And you can see that in the screenshot. The, this looks like a Twitter discussion, uh, Twitter DMs. So the last DM you see prior to the one that was sent to Bart Hansen recently, it, you can see the end of the last DM saying, just don't want the attention and just want to support my daughter and be a good father while keeping my freedom. <laughs> that was on September 30th. That Mike tried to say, I just want to be a good father. I just want to keep my freedom. Please, please, don't bring the attention to me. I, of course, Mike doesn't want the attention. He was cheating and caught. But he gave up. After after September 30th, he gave up talking to Bart. He must have realized that Bart wasn't buying it and nobody was buying it and that there's no point to continue with this. But uh, now I don't know what precipitated this, but uh, Bart must have said something related to Postle and Postle got angry. So just this week, Postle sent a DM to Bart saying, why don't you get a hold of me to discuss whatever you're referring to since you're dead wrong about most of what you said instead of using me for clickbait? And in response, Bart simply typed, fuck off. (laughs) That was the whole exchange, and he posted that to Twitter. Just fuck off. (laughs) I think Apostle's accusing him of using him for clickbait. Poor Mike Postle. He cheats on the live stream, wins $250,000 doing so, and poor Postle's now being used for clickbait by Bart Hansen. How dare you, Bart? How dare you? Mike just wants to be a good father and keep his freedom. And you're wrong about everything. You're wrong, Bart. How dare you libel and slander Mike Postle this way just to get clicks for your lousy training site. How dare you? I don't care if you're a listener, Bart. I'm I'm ashamed of you. I'm outraged. I'm pissed off. I don't think I want to talk to you again because of how poorly you're treating sweet, good father Mike Postle who just wants to support his daughter and keep his freedom. How dare you? <laughs> I want to see more Postle's conversations. I, I love seeing Postle's interactions with people. It's just I get so fascinated whenever there's some conversation that people share that Postle had with them, either past or present, but especially present. Like, like Postle, this is killing him. Like, he, he, he's watching all this stuff, and he so badly wants to say something, but he knows he can't. Because remember when this first all went down, he, he put out this arrogant statement of, like, uh, I have a good reputation. This is going to be hard for you to hear, but I'm just better at poker than most of you. And he put out this whole thing, like, I'm just really good, and you guys can't accept it. And just he got clobbered, and like, he was convincing no one. So he gave up, and then he just went into hiding. So you know Postle so badly wants to come back. He so badly wants to convince everybody he's innocent. He so badly wants to return to the old days when he was a poker god and everyone admired him for his spectacular play. It didn't seem as just a scumbag cheater. But he can't. He can't ever come back. And that upsets him so much. And so he's, he just like sees someone like Bart Hansen say something about him. And he just goes off. He's like, he wants to bash him in public, but he can't. So he's like, Bart, 
just just talk to me, Bart. It's just I just want to tell you what you're saying is wrong. Just 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 let me give you my side. Just you're using me for clickbait. Just just listen. Everything you're saying is wrong. And and Hanson's like, just fuck off. <laughs> Hanson didn't want to hear it. If I were Hanson, I actually would have said, okay, well, tell me what was wrong. Let's let's have our conversation. And then I would have put it all out there. Yeah. But but fuck off was good too. I, I can't fault Bart too much. It was, that was funny. But that's that's where Postle stands now. Like everyone pretty much tells him fuck off. Postle is very toxic at the moment to have any association with. Like people see that you're friends with Postle or taking him seriously or defending him, and you're basically hated for doing so, and that's good, and that's the way it should be. Postle should be toxic, and Postle has never accepted responsibility for what he did. He's never compensated anybody. He's never going to. Stones is never going to. So fuck him and fuck Stones. And uh, that's good if Postle is upset seeing these things. That That's his legacy. That's what people will find for the remainder of his life. When people Google Mike Postle, that's what's going to come up. And that's what should come up because that is what happened. That's the truth. And there have been many offers to Mike Postle to prove otherwise. It's not like people are saying, no, we've made up our mind. We're not going to listen to you. People want to listen to him. He appeared on that podcast with Mattisau, refused to answer to any of it, and just rambled about his days on UB 10 years ago, more than 10 years ago, and he didn't answer anything directly. People have Well, it's like they started that whole PR campaign. Everybody was jerking him off. He started to believe it himself, you know? Yeah. It's like he was like, you know, it's like he was making up this whole fantasy world. Because everybody, oh, he's the god, you know? Can you imagine? That's, I wonder how much that happened. That's that's a good point. I wonder how much Postle started to really believe that he was a poker god and that somehow like that, yes, he's getting this help, but he doesn't really need it that much. It's just helping a little bit. It's helping a little bit, but it's, it's right, really and that's, that's why he that's why he kept referring back to the online stuff and trying to tie that in, like it was some way you know connected to it, so he could justify it. He, he probably sees himself as like Barry Bonds, who, Barry Bonds, a, a legitimate great baseball player, legitimate great hitter, one of the best hitters of all time, who then also took steroids to extend his career and get insane numbers when he's thirty nine and forty years old. So. Two things were That's true. That's a great analogy. Yeah. But 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 That's he perfect. but Postle was not that. He he wasn't he wasn't the Barry Bonds of poker. But he likes to see himself that way. He sees himself like like even if I did that, I was still great, and people are not giving me credit for that. So so I, I he probably does he probably did really enjoy that. Not just like because it was false praise and just everyone was praising. He probably really believed that he was great, and this just helped people realize his greatness. He may have even rationalized it like. If only I didn't have bad luck, I would be the greatest player of all time. People would regard me as the greatest player of all time, which I am. I just haven't had the luck of some of these other people who are regarded better than I am. So this will equalize it. This will give me the luck that I've deserved all along. This will give me the little edge to make up for the bad luck I got. So this is just going to make people realize my greatness that has always been there. So that's, uh, that's probably the way he sees it. And uh, I think Postle, you know, back on UB, he may have been a winner. You know, I'm, I, I've never said Postle's a fish. Just uh, I don't think he's a great player. I think that uh, he might be a decent player, especially in 08. He may have been uh, good enough to beat those games decently. But, 
again, we saw he was friends with Russ Hamilton, so who knows? <laughs> a lot of possibilities there. Yeah, exactly. Oh, by the way, you know, with, with the with the Barry Bonds example, the bad guys uh, blowing up the chat. That's his boy. Oh, I know, but bad guy. He hates when you bash Barry Bonds. So he should he shouldn't love Barry Bonds so much. These Barry Bonds uh, ran off from Pittsburgh and and went to San Francisco. That's where he had all his uh, big years, except for the very beginning. So he should uh, he should see Barry Bonds as, as uh, the enemy who moved over to another team. Yeah, but they won a World Series with the We Are Family. He's one of the We Are Family, uh, right? Wasn't that when Pittsburgh won it back in the day? Well, I think it was. Bad guy right now, I'm sure. Let's see, let's, let's see what bad guy's saying. He's saying, uh, Barry Bonds took roids because everyone else was, and you've seen what he did. But he just drove his talking shit on Bonds, it's war. No, but look, bad guy, I'm giving more credit to Barry Bonds than most people do. Most people think that Barry Bonds is just a roid user who doesn't deserve any credit because he abused steroids and just everything is invalid. I say, or I'll put him on. He's calling right now. See, I, I enraged bad guy. Right. I, and back, I, yeah, back, back when his head was the size of a cantaloupe and not a watermelon. Yeah, <laughs> now, now bad, bad, bad guy, you have, you have to say, Barry Bonds hitting uh, 70 home runs when he's, when he's 39 yeah, years listen, old. Listen, bro, hold up, listen, though. He did that after Sosa and them did that shit because he knew to himself, hey, I'm better than these motherfuckers. They're getting all this attention. Listen to me. Don't forget something. When Bonds broke the record for the 70 home runs, he also broke the record for being walked as more than anybody in a year. Do you know that? I mean, he, they walked him over 100 times. No, I know. The guy could have hit 100 home runs. I know. It was insane what he did. No, Barry Bonds was one of the all-time great hitters, and that's a sad thing for him if he just didn't abuse steroids. He would have been in the Hall of Fame without them. It was that. Uh, and Yeah, and, no doubt. I mean, I watched him when he was younger and stuff. I mean, I, I don't think he needed steroids, bro. I think he just did it because everybody else was doing it, and he said, what the fuck? I know I'm the best. Wouldn't you do it? When, no, yeah, it wasn't I agree with that. Okay, but it is crazy though. Looking at him, in I mean, like if Sammy Sosa's like getting all this publicity, bro, and you know you're twenty times better than he is, you know you're twenty times better than McGuire, an all-around baseball player. What right. you done, steroids? Yeah, exactly. uh, I don't, I don't know what he thought he was doing. That did he really think people are going to believe at thirty-nine years old that he's doing this without steroids? Like he knew it's going to come out. That's uh, that's insane. No, I understand, bro. But like you know, Sosa still won't admit to it. No, I know some people are still in denial I mean, of this, but uh, and it's obvious Sosa did it. And McGuire, of course, admitted Sosa to it. Sosa won't admit to it. Are you shitting me? Let me tell, I'm a, no, he won't. They just did a documentary oh of Thirty God. for Thirty. You guys should watch it on ESPN. It's about that whole time that summer when they were breaking the record and shit. McGuire finally admitted to it. I mean, we all knew he was doing it, but listen, man, Barry Bonds is the best baseball player we ever seen in our lifetime. In our lifetime. There's no two ways about it. The guy was all around the best baseball player. I don't care what anybody says. You can hate him. He was a dickhead, but he was the yeah. best baseball player I there was. You can't argue with that, but, you know, but that was back in Pittsburgh, and that was the We Are family. That's what I'm thinking. No, listen, everybody that, right? hated him here, man, after he left. I heard you yeah. just say that. I didn't know because, I mean, I like Bond. That's why I started liking the Giants after that. I mean, listen, they didn't want to pay the guy. I mean, 
He brought you guys a title, so fuck it. No, no, no. We didn't win a championship there. We no, we lose. We lose to Atlanta every year. No, it was Atlanta. No, we never. No, we had families like Willie Stars on them, bro. Those were the big. Yeah, those those were the big Atlanta years. It was hard to beat the Braves in those years, but yeah. Sid Bream fucking scoring and shit because Stan Belinda's a fucking retard. I mean, it was fucking bad, but Barry Bonds, man, he get Barry Bonds should be in the Hall of Fame. You guys all agree with that? Well, yes, but the, the problem the problem is that uh, it's it's tainted by the steroids thing, and it's hard. They don't like to elect the steroid users, and he definitely was one. There's no question. Now, it wasn't where his that wasn't where his greatness came from, but uh, in his late career, that's where it came from. Uh, it. Uh, but that's not. He was a great player who also. Brother, he got walked over a hundred times. Well, because, that year because that he yes, because record. because he was on the roids. Mean, was, was, you think steroids hit all them home runs? That did a lot of it. Yes, he was thirty nine years old. Of course, they did. If he wasn't on the roids. I know, bro. But listen, man, he's hitting the ball into the fucking the goddamn ocean or wherever the fuck's behind her. McCovey. I mean, like the guy. I mean, you don't need steroids. Look, now, I think now steroids that you see, keep you healthy. Well, now, now that you see that they're, they're, hit the ball. they're mostly out of baseball now, not completely, but they're mostly out. And you see what happens now to the 40-year-old players. They, you don't have any like that anymore because if the, the human body, when it gets near 40, just cannot perform uh, at the level needed to no. be an elite player in the major. In well, here's what you got to understand, too. I mean, I'm not going to argue this. That's not why I'm calling. I just was busting your balls. But all the pitchers were on steroids, too. Well, yeah, a Think lot of them were. Yeah, no, a lot of them were. But the, Andy Pettit, that motherfucker don't get any flack. He was on steroids. I, All the pitchers are Roger Clemens. I mean, he gets a little bit of flack, but they were on steroids too. So, hey, yo, hey, I'm going to do what you're doing. Let's see who's the best. So when Barnes did it, it was like he was playing the motherfucking Little League Park. You, you know, <laughs> end, uh, end of story, man. Best baseball player of our time. And guess what? Babe Ruth and all of them all the way down. If they had steroids and shit, they would have did it too. Who knows what they were doing back then? You know what's weird about Roger Clemens? That uh, This doesn't get much press, but uh, it's true. Roger Clemens was having sex with a 16-year-old, and uh, mm-hmm. and then this only, it, but it only came out because by coincidence she became famous, and not because of him. She became famous. She was a country star who's now dead, Mindy McCready. Who had a lot of other problems? Mm-hmm. Uh, she she got a lot of drug problems, other problems in her life, and she's now dead. But uh, she was having sex with Roger Clemens when she was sixteen. Uh, she maintained a good enough relationship with him afterwards to where she wouldn't admit that they had sex until after she was eighteen. She claimed that she was just a family friend till then. But she he was he was having sex with her when she was sixteen, and by bad luck for him, that uh, she happened to become famous, which. Again, it was a complete coincidence. He didn't help her become famous. She was not famous when when she was having sex with him. It just uh, it just happened to fall that way, and then there happened to be more spotlight on it. Otherwise, if she was just some random sixteen year old, then there would have been no uh, spotlight on this ever. It's because there's interest in her life and, and the fact that she knew Roger Clemens, and people figured it out. But that's something people don't talk about much. But yeah, Clemens for sure. He's another one who, at uh, in his forties, was just dominating, and there's no chance that uh, he would have been that good at that age. And you see now, you see now, there's a, there's some players who still do uh, steroids, but uh, um, but answer me something truthfully. Do you think baseball now is as good as it was back then? Well, I mean, it was better then. 
No, I, it really I, was, man. I don't, Maybe because I was younger. I don't know. No, I see. I don't agree because it, it started getting so ridiculous with these numbers, and and it, you, then you couldn't trust it anymore. Like who's on roids? Who can you really root for because they're naturally good, or just because they're doing the roids? And and it also became like hey, I think more than roids, they were all on that amphetamines or whatever that shit was too, man. Like because you're playing 162 games, they were ta- they had like the pills right in the freaking. Uh, my buddy was a freaking bat boy for the Pirates, man. I mean, they were fucking popping these pills. They said all the time, like Jose Lean was on fucking cocaine every fucking goddamn game from what i heard yeah well there there was a lot like of... i'm not kidding like back in the day i mean we, they were all doing something man to just uh i mean you could probably go back through all the years maybe they weren't doing steroids because they didn't have to because you had fucking guys just coming from the bar pitching that day i mean come on david wells pitched a perfect fucking game after just he was out drinking all night yeah, I mean, well, hey, man, I, I don't think baseball is nowhere near as good as it used to be, man. All these guys strike out all the time. They're all trying to hit home runs. Well, they, it's, they've, a freaking, it's a different game. Well, they've, they've changed it recently because they've just changed the focus of what people are attempting to do, and, and now it's it's currently in fashion to try to hit home runs and accepting a lot more strikeouts as a result. So now there's, like, tons right. of strikeouts, tons of home runs, and... I mean, so people like home runs, so there I guess... There was no home runs in that Cleveland game. Like, what the hell happened there? Oh, I know, that was terrible. <laughs> I, 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 I made my first two baseball bets of the year and lost them both. And uh, bad guy, he actually... Bad guy, he suggested a, a Cleveland bet, uh, not Cleveland, a Pittsburgh bet on the Pirates, yeah, but, but but plus one and a half. So it means if they, if they lose by one, you still win the bet. And I mocked hey, I that... suggested another two bets that won also, too. Know, yeah, he, my two bigger well. bets. The know, Pittsburgh so... bet was just because I was going to watch it so, and I so like I, the Pirates. But... So I, I mocked that bet, and then it squeaked by and ended up winning by... They, they lost by you one. You didn't really so... mock it. You just said that you thought they would get blown out. I just thought Musgrove could keep him in the game. He did a little bit, but the Pirates, I mean, they have no bullpen. That Rodriguez guy should be shot and hung, man, I'm telling you. you know, that's I hate a... to say that, but he's bad, bro. Well, Once he came in, I fucking typed it. I'm not kidding you. Before I hit send, the motherfucker gave up a two-run home run. I was like, I'm dead. I thought I was dead in the water there, but people don't read that shit anyway. Just you know, what, watch, me seeing and you. Watch, watching the, I was watching the Dodgers and Giants play. Boy, the, the Giants have such a bad team now. I know two people are Oh, injured. they're horrible, dude. I couldn't believe I took them. They were hanging in there, but they... I mean, fucking Hunter Pence is horrible. I thought he retired for real. I was no, even it's, kidding it's about a, that. Now they have two players out, but they're both has beens uh, Evan Longoria and, and Brandon Belt. But the uh, yeah, uh, they're freaking old. But the thing between the two, I mean, Belt's not that. I mean, Belt's probably uh, Longoria's freaking. I mean, he's probably our age almost. No, right? I mean, another, he's gonna be in his it's not. It's 30s, they're just right? they're just kind of past way past their prime, both of them. And then Buster Posey sitting out. So this team, as a result, is yeah. absolutely terrible. That Giants team and. Uh, so that's why the yeah, bad guy actually bet yeah, them on opening day. You should take the uh, goddamn Dodgers minus five runs every day. The Dodgers ain't no joke, though. I'll tell you that. That lineup. Yeah, that's a that is a great lineup <laughs> on that team. But it'll be interesting when they play a real team and not the San Francisco minor league team. Right nah, now. Well, they're gonna play a real. I mean, they're gonna be there. But yeah. okay, you're pitching, well, man. I don't know if you did enough. Yeah, I know. There's a. The, hey, where's my money for the free roll? I run the free roll too, man. I'm Barry Bonds. What you won the free roll? You're damn right I did. Well, I told him I was going to win. Do- I don't just play for nothing. I'm doing, I'm doing the show. How can I pay you? No, I'm kidding around it. All right, I'll talk to you, man. I just call because you're busting okay. Barry Bonds' balls. I'll okay. let you get back to it. All right, thank nice you, talking man. to you guys. Trader right. Rusey, take care, brother. You too, my brother. Hey, hey, wait. I have a question. Wait. Yeah. What the fuck's going on with this other site and all this shit, man? Like, what's going on with all that? Uh, are, you, are you not going to – are you talking about that? Or you're not no, going to talk I'm about not it? talking about it. It's, it's, it's resolved. It's not a big deal. All right. All right. I'll talk to you. All right, brother. People try to bring forum drama to the show. Okay.
Let's go on to the next topic. Okay. And Druff, by the way, I'm not sh- I've been up since five, so oh, I'm boy. as long as I can. Five a.m. is t- I, I, you know what? That's why I missed the show last uh, two weeks ago. Was that I was uh, I was waking up at like five thirty, and we'd get to about eight o'clock, and I go, oh, I can't do a show now. I'm exhausted. Like I could have done a short show, but I go, there's no way I could do the normal show we do here, the way I was feeling. So I learned I, I cannot on the day of radio. I simply cannot wake up early. Today I didn't wake up early. Today I'm fine, but I know you're not fine. So. <laughs> When you have to go, you can go. But uh, I want to move on to talk about Caesars and a merger that they have done. We've talked about this merger before, but it has now actually happened, despite the fact that the casino industry is looking quite questionable for obvious reasons. But that did not stop the merger between Caesars and El Dorado. It is now official, and they are now one company. This is actually a pretty big deal. It hasn't gotten that much attention. Maybe because everyone knew it was coming. It's just uh, now it's officially taken place. There were some concerns about this merger that regulators had expressed. The main concern they had was that perhaps Caesars would be too big and too dominant. And they didn't want that. So Caesars had to convince regulators in New Jersey that the two companies were not going to completely dominate the market and that they would sell properties in any market where that was in danger of occurring. They also had to promise that they were going to keep their remaining three casinos in Atlantic City open for at least five years, which sounds almost contradictory. Like, uh, yeah, we won't dominate the market too much, but uh, yeah, we'll promise to keep at least three casinos open. But what, what they're a little concerned about in Atlantic City, that New Jersey, is that they, they don't want to see Atlantic City collapse because, well, there's a pandemic right now and all casinos are struggling. And Atlantic City, even prior to the pandemic, was starting to struggle because more and more casinos in other East Coast markets were opening. And with every new casino opening in the northeastern U.S., Atlantic City lost that much more market share. Let's go back decades, and Atlantic City was the only option in the eastern U.S. if you wanted to gamble, back when it was only Atlantic City or Las Vegas. So if you're in the west, you go to Vegas, but if you're in the east, you may want to go to Atlantic City, which was never as big or as good as Vegas, but it was still something, and you didn't have to go as far. But as more and more casinos opened... In the eastern states, especially the northeastern states, then people stopped having as much reason to go to Atlantic City, and Atlantic City started to struggle. We've talked about that before on this show. So there was some concern also that they could end up uh, closing casinos, and uh, so that's that was a concern as well. So the deal was a $17.3 billion deal. And they had uh, two days of hearings with uh, El Dorado executives and the New Jersey Casino Control Commission. And an antitrust analyst assured the Control Commission that this would not uh, concentrate too much of the local casino market. The company is still called Caesars Entertainment, which is what they were called before, the Caesars part of it was. But many people are informally calling it New Caesars. 
to distinguish it from Caesars Entertainment prior to this deal. Remember, El Dorado owned a lot of casinos also prior to this merger, and there is no longer any El Dorado, even though they actually own more of the company. In this merger, El Dorado got uh, 51%, so they, they have the controlling interest, but the, they kept the Caesars name because the Caesars name is better known and better respected in the casino industry. Everyone knows Caesars. El Dorado, most people don't know. So, there are uh, nine Atlantic City, Atlantic City casinos at the moment, and New Caesars currently owns four of them. But they've already agreed to sell Bally's Atlantic City, and we've reported on that before. So that would leave three of the nine casinos in Atlantic City owned by this uh, New Caesars company. And in this agreement, as I mentioned, uh, El Dorado promised that the company would not close any of the three remaining casinos four or five more years, and that they are going to kick in $400 million to improve the facilities for the next three years and reinvest 5% of whatever annual revenue they have in years after that. And, of course, the years after that only have to be two years at minimum because after five years they could close all three of them if they wanted and not be in violation of the agreement. So it's interesting that uh, they are worried they'll be too dominant, but they also don't want them to abandon the market either because they're so worried about the health of Atlantic City, and they're afraid if they just bail out that it's going to kill it. Now, you may wonder, why is this having to do with New Jersey? What about Nevada? Why why don't Nevada regulators get involved here? Well, they did, and they already approved the deal. So uh, all that was left was for New Jersey to approve it. Uh, The Indiana Gaming Commission also approved it when Nevada did. So this was the final thing they had to do to get this deal done. Uh, it's been for going on for more than a year ever since they uh, this was proposed. Uh, this all kind of started after Carl Icahn bought 10% of Caesars Entertainment in early 2019. Remember that? Uh, Carl Icahn, who, of course, is a very shrewd investor, as you guys probably know, He bought the 10%, and then immediately he said, you guys have to make some changes here. And in fact, I think Caesars would be better off if you sell. Uh, I think that's the best way the stock price will go up if if Caesars sells. So uh, Carl Icahn basically bought 10%, stacked the Caesars board, and then uh, helped install Tony Rodeo as the CEO. He didn't have faith in the previous CEO, so he stacked the board, had that CEO released, Tony Rodeo took o- took over, and then, uh, and he was familiar with, with Icon from dealing with, uh, with him. he was familiar with Rodeo from dealing with him before, Icon. So, uh, and then they went to work on this deal back in June of 2019 to merge Caesars and El Dorado. And, uh, this was actually agreed upon in principle at the end of June 2019. So this has been hanging for a while. Now, of course, a gigantic deal like that doesn't happen overnight. Uh, there's, there's all of these issues with regulators that have to be overcome, and that's what took all this time. There was some belief that maybe the coronavirus was going to ruin everything, 
that that was going to kill the deal. But as we see, it did not happen. And there is still a belief that the casino industry will recover and thrive once we get past all of this, which which is possible. But it's it's also possible that this has forever changed the casino industry. I know somebody personally. The stock's been doing real well too. Dropped hasn't it over the last few months? I, I haven't looked. Uh, there was all the casinos. I'm pretty sure fell. it has. Well, let My me friend said he made a killing. There were times you could have bought in to make a killing for sure. Uh, I know they the casino stock. All, they all took a beating when the coronavirus happened, but uh, th- there were times when they went lower and then went back up. It was kind of hard to predict when that was going to happen. I had such a hard time like figuring out some of these stock movements, like why they were happening the way they were. I'm looking at the six month chart, and as I was saying, it, it tumbled badly. It, it had a high of around uh, seventy dollars in. February, uh, February 20th, and then it just collapsed down to $7. And your buddy probably made a killing because it's currently at $33.75. So if your buddy jumped in... Yeah, he hit, did. He jumped in when it hit the low. And I was considering that too. I, I wish I did now because I was I was considering two things jumping in. One and selling when they pop back up not necessarily holding long-term, and I didn't do either. One was for cruise ships, and one was for uh, casinos, and casinos was the one that was that did better. Cruise ships, you could have made money on it, too, but uh, your your buddy was smart to have done this. But I still don't know what to say for the long-term and medium health, medium-term health of casinos, because there's a lot that still can't be done. There's a lot we don't know about the coronavirus, uh, it could be something that sticks with us for many years, as we've talked about on this show before, and that it's it's not a matter of like, okay, they're going to come out with a vaccine next year and everything be good. Like, that might happen, but it also might happen that this thing's going to be part of life in the world for decades to come. And that this is just a new danger we have to all live with, and certain things we used to do may change. Certain things may fall out of fashion because they suck now because under uh, the threat of coronavirus it's either too risky or just not fun to do anymore because of the problems the coronavirus brings with them. And we haven't gotten to that point yet because nobody has accepted that things have changed forever because we don't know if they have. They may not have changed forever. So when we come to the point of having to accept that things have changed forever if we get there, then certain things may collapse and casinos maybe one of them. Like, ask anybody who goes to Vegas now, they're going to tell you it wasn't that fun. And that's something that could stay for the long term. But nevertheless, they have gone ahead with this merger. And look, there's there's casinos that are that are under construction and, and new casinos that are being planned. So the, the industry is moving full speed ahead. The industry is not saying, oh, you know what, we're dead. Let's just stop everything. In fact, I saw a lot more stopped during the 2008 financial crash. And that's something that's much more likely to be temporary. We have uh, ups and downs in the economy all the time. That's just the nature of the economy. But this is not something that's just economic. This is a, a real threat to human life. So who knows? Like, There's so many ways this can go. So I, I don't have a lot of faith that long-term casinos are going to bounce back. But I also wouldn't say that it's unlikely or impossible 
I'm saying we just kind of don't know. This is one of these things you just don't know where it's going to go. You don't know if life has changed forever. Especially because it's uh, a lot of people who go to casinos are older. And this is uh, the coronavirus, obviously, is something that hits older people a lot harder. But they are going ahead with this. It's, it's, it's done. I mean, it's, it's, it is a done deal. And they are now one company. Now, something has already come out of this merger, which is being laughed at, is being roundly made fun of. Trader Risky, have you seen the new Caesars logo that has been made as a result of this merger? I did not, but I, yeah, I meant to look it up when you mentioned it during the agenda. You should go Google it. It's, it's very interesting. So I don't know how they came up with this. Like sometimes a logo will appear for some company, a new logo, and I'll go, I don't really like this, or I like the other logo better, or I'll have my opinions that the new logo is worse than the old one. But that's just my personal taste. And even if more people share it than not, at least there could have been a reason for it. At least I can say, well, I can kind of understand the change. Or, Like, I've seen companies change logos just because they feel that their old logo is too antiquated. It looks too 80s. It looks too 90s. It looks too 70s, whatever. So they, they switch to something more modern-looking, something that you more equate with, with modern times, even if it's not as eye-pleasing or if it looks kind of strange to you because you're used to the old one. But I just can't understand this new logo at all from Caesars Entertainment. It's a picture of... Caesar, which they've had on other logos. That's not the big deal. It's a gold logo. It's got a picture of Caesar's head, like a shadow of his head with a wreath on. That part's fine. But then it has two weird kind of circles around it, but they look like they were both drawn by someone who was drunk. (laughs) I kid you not. Go look. Go look at the logo. In fact, if you go, if you can't find it, go to Poker Fraud Alerts. I'm looking at oh. Yeah, if you go to Poker not, Fraud Alerts. Not me, the, the audience. The, the Casino and Las Vegas forum on Poker Fraud Alert and look at New Caesars logo finally represents the disorganized fail for which they're famous. That's what I called the thread, and that's so true. Look at that logo. Trader Risky, doesn't it look like someone drew this who was drunk or had their eyes closed and was trying to draw two circles? Yeah, or they were in kindergarten. <laughs> yeah, I think Benjamin could have made a better logo than this. I mean, this, he's not artistic at all, believe me. This, I don't understand. I just cannot understand what they were even going for here. Because I don't know what, what are these circles that are all jagged and look like? I mean, could it be like an energy with the two rings or something? I mean, I don't know. I'm just like making something up, but well, it's like... I have no idea. But why does it look like... It looks like someone tried to draw a circle, but just is so uncoordinated they can't draw a circle. It looks like someone... Or or they're drunk, or they're they're nervous, or it's a kindergarten, or something like that. Right, and like where the space is on the top between the two lines, and then on the bottom right and the top left, it's like, it's not the same size. It's just like... Yeah, it's like you just, it's like you're challenging a guy who you're trying to see if they are too drunk to drive, and he's like... I'm okay to drive home. I only had a few, and it was a few hours ago. You go. You seem like you're drunk to me. I don't think you're. I don't think that you are fit to drive right now. Oh, I'm fine. I can drive right now. Go, okay, come here. Come here. See this picture of Caesar. I'm going to give you a gold pen. Draw two circles around him. Draw one circle, and then draw the other circle around the first circle. 
I can do it. Here we go. Here's two circles for you right there. Two circles. And you're like, no, that does, that shows you're drunk. You're not, I'm taking your keys. Like, that's what I would do if someone drew these two circles. That's, that's, I would actually take away their keys. I would not let them drive if they drew these two circles around the, the Julius Caesar. That's how bad it is. It, it doesn't seem to represent anything. It doesn't seem to have any purpose other than look weird. <laughs> someone got paid to design this. It's so strange. Nobody understands it. The social media, you know, it, it it could, and it doesn't have to do with any like geek, Greek god type logo type thing having to do with Caesar or something. I don't know. I don't know either. Obviously I, not Greek. I I don't know. I know it's not Greek. I'm tired. Maybe maybe Caesar. Uh, this is to represent uh, Caesar when he was drinking. I don't know. It's nobody understood it on social media that I could see, and if if nobody's getting it, then. You're making a mistake. I, I've seen this mistake made where, well, where like some they, – they base the logo or the name on something that's like really insider that nobody's going to know and then it just baffles everybody and it's like, like a crappy name or crappy logo. And you go, well, this isn't going to make sense to everybody. Then why do it? And that seems to be the case here. Right. And maybe that's supposed to like show it spinning or something. <laughs> I don't know. It's, you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. it's supposed to – I don't know. It's, it's very bizarre. So it says that, and that says Caesars Entertainment, and they kind of changed the font that they used to use. Like a, the Caesars looks a little bit different the way they write it, and the E looks kind of funny where the, the middle part of the E doesn't connect to it. But whatever, that part's kind of more just standard, like just the way they're writing Caesars Entertainment. But the logo is so weird, and, and nobody quite knows why it's that way. And... Someone was paid money to come up with this, and then someone approved it. Like I, I just love to be in the boardroom meeting where they discuss this, and like, so here's the logo that was submitted, and hmm, why, why does it look like this? Why? Right, it's that. It's that much better. Where let's spend millions of dollars on signage and and, and yeah. changing over all the incorrect signs and everything. I mean, that's ridiculous. <laughs> It'd be funny if they leave some over and people are like, "Oh, this is a much better logo. Why don't why why don't they? Is this the new logo? Or is was that the old logo? Or they, wait, wait, was it the bad one? Is the new logo? Like, I wonder if they're going to completely eliminate the other one so you can't. Oh yeah, you can't. Oh, they'll it. have to, they'll have the two logos on different things for the next ten years at least. <laughs> oh, it's just it. It really is so typical though. Like it, I was. Not kidding when I said this finally represents the disorganized fail for which they're famous. Because if they're trying to project that operationally they're kind of haphazard and all over the place and just do nonsensical things, then this is the correct logo. So I'll give them that. This logo much better represents what Caesars is than the previous logo. So maybe maybe they're just going for honesty. Maybe they're just saying if you come to Caesars, it'll be uh, we're going to try to project an image of opulence. And class, but it's going to be very disorganized and haphazard and, and kind of strange. That that kind of is your experience there if you go there. So maybe, maybe that's what they're trying to project. Maybe when you get there, you won't be disappointed when there's there's all kinds of confusion and weirdness. And then when they, you, know, you get three different answers from three different employees when you ask a question. I, I kind of would picture that logo. It would be great if some of the fail signs came back with just a new logo, but still the fucked up verbiage. <laughs> so that came out of the merger. That's the that's the first change we've seen. Is that weird logo? I really encourage you, the listener, to Google it and see it. You'll see. I'm not just trying to be critical or trying to say things that are uh, 
controversial for the sake of the show. Really, go go take a look. I'm sure you will agree with me. This is this is one opinion I can express on this show where I don't think I'm going to have many people disagreeing with me. It's it's really insane, and I, I've tried I've tried to figure out what they were thinking. I've tried to figure out what the significance is. I really have, even if I don't agree with it. I've tried to think, what were they going for? Because I'll try to do that with with anything, with any decision a company makes or even an individual makes. I will try to think as them. I will try to think the way they are thinking. I will try to understand. And sometimes I will say, I understand, but I disagree. But I understand. This I can't understand. I just well, I Druff, don't understand. Druff, not them. Not them. The focus groups they must have had. The PR agent. I mean, imagine the level. It wasn't just Joe coming up with the logo, you know? Yeah, how did they get past all those people? Like, so they had a focus group, and the focus group was like, Oh yeah, that looks great. Oh no, the old one sucked. This is a great logo. That's that's great. We love it. We love it. No, don't change a thing. In fact, make it They're messier. A little too round. Could you make it a little not so round? Maybe it was like semi messy before, and the, and the focus group's like, "No, we want it messier. This isn't messy enough. We want it to look like like the person who drew this is really really drunk. Not just not a blood alcohol content of point oh four. We want like point fourteen or higher." Right, because it's going to, oh, I got it, Jeff. Because so, you're, you know, you're going to go to the Caesars, you're going to get so fucked up, you can't even draw a circle. That's going to be the <laughs> new tagline. Caesars, it's okay to be drunk, because even the people who designed our logo were. Ah, well, it's it's fitting. It's appropriate. I wonder if this is going to be the long-term logo. I wonder if, like, in 2030, this will still be the logo. Or if they're going to realize one day this looks stupid. Maybe one day they'll realize the mistake and go, there's something that's just kind of putting people off where they're just not coming here, and could it be the logo? Are people just turned off by the logo no, so I'll much? I'll tell you what's going to happen, Jeff. They're going to find out it's like some racist symbol, <laughs> you know, after they reprint everything. <laughs> that's why they're going to get canceled by Twitter. They're going to go, crap, we've got to redesign this. Oh, crap. We, we, maybe they tried to be extra messy so they wouldn't get canceled. Maybe they try to make it like so ugly that there's no way they could be accused of lifting this from anything from the past that could be offensive. Maybe that's the goal. Just make it something that no chance anyone ever would have done in the past. So there's, they're like, yeah, we're going to do this. So this way we know that no white supremacists from the 1850s drew anything like this because they would have done a better job than this. Even white supremacists would have done a better job designing a logo. So there's no way we would have duplicated it. Maybe that's the point. I don't know. It is crazy. Uh, Tony Rodeo, who I mentioned before, is no longer the CEO. And this is not a surprise, but he is uh, he's still with the company as a consultant, at least for the moment. But he has been dropped. And uh, Tom Reage is now the CEO of Caesars. He was the one who was the leader of uh, El Dorado before. And that was planned. But if you didn't like Tony Rodeo, then good news, he's not really in charge anymore. But this this is part of the whole thing where El Dorado is technically taking charge. They're just keeping the Caesar's name. I don't know how much El Dorado is going to change. Remember, they're keeping total rewards. They're keeping the name. They're keeping the same theme of all the properties so for the average person they're, they're keeping the employees in place i know they have a different ceo but like 
it's not like they were just cleaning house and putting in all their own people. There's going to be some people losing their jobs as a result of this murder. But I think ignoring the coronavirus, which obviously is a huge variable in the whole thing, but ignoring that, pretending that's not happening right now, I don't think the typical visitor to a Caesar's property would see very much difference. Uh, now, there's good and bad for the average consumer for this type of merger, which is a very big merger because it's uh, now Caesars is much bigger. Now, they, they, they have many more properties around the country. So the good is if you like being part of one rewards program and you like your status carrying over to other properties, now it does, and now you can go to more small markets where Caesars has a presence where before they did not. Caesars did not have as much small market presence as they do now. That's what they have gained from merging with El Dorado. They, they had a lot of big market presence. There's a lot of Caesars properties in Vegas. They had Caesars properties in Atlantic City, obviously. But they did not have a lot of presence in a lot of the small to medium markets. And now they do. So there's more places you can go that are part of the merged Caesars. And if you like not having to reestablish your status in other places that are closer to you, that's good for you. But the bad thing of this of a merger like this is number one, competition goes down, which is never good for the consumer. You always want competition, and it includes the casino industry. And that extends to everything. It extends to promotions. It extends to comps. It extends to game quality. It extends to customer service. Pretty much the more choices you have, the better job they have to do and the better offers you have to get. And the more they own, the less competition there is, the less they have to do to get your business. It's interesting. I, I There's a listener to this show who texted me that they are at that uh, casino I was kicked out of last year and banned from the Indian Casino uh, Table Mountain. And I asked them, because they were at Table Mountain yesterday, I said, how is it doing, given the coronavirus? And Table Mountain's in California, and you guys know in California the coronavirus is pretty bad right now. And they said it's jammed. There's tons of people at Table Mountain. Why? Because Table Mountain doesn't have much competition. It's in uh, kind of the Fresno area. But the area it's located, there really isn't much competition. There's pretty much that, and then some distance away, there's Chuck Chansey Gold. But there's really not much competition and not much to do in general in that area. So people go. But in uh, places that have a lot of competition, then uh, the casinos have to do better. And if they don't, then they don't survive. That's one thing. Another thing is if you get kicked out, then you can get banned from a huge list of properties. And you may say, well, I'm not going to get kicked out. I don't do advantage play. I don't ever misbehave. Well, okay. I hope so. But you could. You could be falsely accused of something like I was at the Venetian. You could get in some kind of customer service argument where you're completely in the right and an employee mistreats you and... uh they believe the employee and, and kick you from all the properties. You never know. I will admit that if you're not an advantage player and if you're not used to getting, if you don't get drunk and disorderly, 
at these properties, and if you don't use drug, illegal drugs, that your chance of getting kicked out is not very high, but it's not zero. And the more properties that are owned by the same company, the worse the consequence is for getting kicked out. That's a lot of the reason that I have quit playing blackjack for the most part. Because there has been so much merging of casinos that either I don't want to risk getting kicked out from the entire group because I'm counting cards, or I'm afraid in the future there may be a merger which then bans me from new casinos where I wasn't banned before. So if I get kicked out today, maybe in two years, if a merger happens, I'm now kicked out from new properties that I had a good standing in. So I've just started to get away from allowing this to happen. And that's one thing that kind of sucks today in general regarding advantage play. And for advantage players, it's it's very bad when these mergers occur. But it happened, and that seems to be the trend these large casino companies are swallowing up the smaller ones. And really the only one that benefits are the people that... It's really the people who are in smaller markets that now have access to a Caesars property they didn't before. So, for example, someone who lives in an area that didn't have a Caesars property but now does because of this merger, if they want to earn diamond status because they want to go to the World Series and have diamond status, which is good to have, now they can do it easily instead of having to travel somewhere to do it. Or if they play a lot at a local casino, and now they get to carry on whatever status they made over to Vegas when they go to Vegas, that can be good for them too. So it's not all bad for people, but there's a lot of negatives to it. But that's the way the industry is going. Now, how are they going to survive given the coronavirus? Is it possible there's going to be a massive contraction of the industry if casinos just never return to what they once were? And that is a possibility. Let's say we come to the middle of 2021 and it's revealed, okay, guys, uh, you know, this vaccine we've come up with, it's only 50% effective. And we're probably never going to do much better than that. Probably going to be 50% effective and half of you, which is not going to work for And we've also discovered that uh, the virus mutates, so every year or so there will be a new coronavirus and we're not sure if we're going to be able to keep up with it and make further vaccines. So we're not even sure if we can even keep to this 50% effectiveness in the future. That could be a big problem. That could be a very big problem for a lot of industries if we just have to live with the fact that there's going to be coronavirus danger for everybody or for a large portion of the population. Now, if the coronavirus burns itself out and just kind of disappears, like the same way the swine flu did in 2009, or if a vaccine really wipes it out, or if a breakthrough treatment comes out to where if you take it, then you're better, and it never becomes anything serious, then yeah, then we return to normal, and a lot of things we did before we can go back to. Who knows? A lot has changed. And some people haven't fully accepted that everything's changed. A lot of people are are going forward with life as if everything's going to be back to normal very soon. And it may or may not be. And I know when I think about the future, I try not to think too much either side. I try not to think 
it's all going to be back to normal by such and such date, so I just got to wait it out till then. And I try not to think, oh, this is terrible. This is the new normal for life, and we're never going to change. Like we're we're stuck with this forever. I'm not going to think either way. I, I've just kind of, I really am living for the present right now. The present I live for is not get the coronavirus and try to enjoy the way life is now as much as I can. And just try not to think too much about what's beyond that. But there is stuff beyond that. And if you own a business, especially a large corporation, there's got to be a lot of of consideration about that. And Caesars is betting that it will go back to normal. Which it could. So don't... If you're listening to this show in the archives years later... Do not laugh at me for being wrong about this. I'm not saying it won't be. I'm just not saying it will be. Trader Risky, you've gone silent. Did we lose you? I heard like a I'm No. That's, no, I'm here. Oh, it's weird. Um, I, I heard like a shh in the background, and then it stopped. It was a silence. I felt like alone all of a sudden. Yeah, I got the, yeah, I got these AirPods. Sometimes they're a little funky, but... um. Yeah, it's going to be interesting, and you know, and that's just—it's so weird too. Why they're not taking the World Series of Poker brand more seriously? Because it's such a great online brand that they could be doing so much stuff around the world and looking at that part of the business. But I don't know. Maybe they don't care. Yeah, a lot of their, their handling of that of the brand has been kind of odd this year. So that's what's happened with Caesars. It's gone through. We're done. There's a new Caesars, and we will see where they go from here during the coronavirus. We'll see how many casinos survive, how many temporarily close, how many of them permanently close, and if the industry will ever be the same. Maybe this merger will be seen as a gigantic mistake if the industry does not recover anytime soon. But it has happened. All right, well, since you brought it up, Trader Ruski, let's talk about something involving the World Series of Poker. And that was a big fail that occurred on July 19th with GG Poker, which is the first site to be running World Series of Poker online bracelet events that is not owned by the World Series of Poker. GG Poker is a separately owned site that does not serve the U.S. market, and they are holding bracelet events, and these are not European bracelets. These are actually... Regular WSOP bracelets. If you win one of these GG events, you are officially a WSOP bracelet winner the same way I am. Even though I won't give you credit for it. But uh, they will give you credit for it. You will be considered a World Series of Poker bracelet winner for winning a GG Poker event. And they had some massive technical fail on July 19th, which was highly embarrassing. So this this is how it all went down. Not that it's surprising that something has to do with uh, the World Series has failed in it, but on July 19th, at about 2 o'clock p.m. Pacific time, GG Poker tweeted, Players, we apologize for everything that has happened today. A critical bug has been found, and we need to postpone World Series of Poker event number 32 and 33 to next week at the same start time. Everyone will start with the current stack. So that's that's already... uh, a bad start there saying that they 
they're actually going to postpone the events. They're having such trouble that day that they're actually postponing it to the next week. And that uh, it sounds like they just kind of froze the event and whatever stack they have at the moment, they'll just carry over to those days. They said, we're currently planning comprehensive compensation for the discomfort and inconvenience today. Please check back on our feeds for updates as well as in-app and or client messages. We apologize again and promise to make this right for our players. Then they wrote, update on compensation. Event number 32 for the 3,684 remaining players. We will be rewarding each player with a buy-in of $100 that can be used on tournaments. And event number 33, since this was for charity... GD Poker will be doubling the current 177378 collected for charity. Well, that's that's a lame co- form of compensation. I always hate, we're compensating you by donating to charity. That's not compensating you. It's That's compensating the charity and perhaps compensating their own tax write-offs. I don't know how it works in the country they're based, but they, they at least get credit for it. So if you want to donate to charity, do it. If you want to donate your, your if you want to double your donation to charity, do it. That's nice. Like, fine, but uh, is not compensating players at all. The first thing, the $100 is the compensation. The second is not, and that's kind of stupid. They go on to write, Event number 32 will resume with a current stack on July 26th at uh, 6.30 uh, UTC. And event number 33 will resume with a current stack on July 26th at, uh, at 6 o'clock p.m. UTC. Once again, we truly apologize for what happened, and we'll make sure this does not happen again. The bug was caused by an overwhelming number of players joining the opener and other side events. The tournament servers were unable to resume due to the high loads. We will increase more capacity. We just doubled it to make sure future events run more smoothly. I mean, that is ridiculous, John. Are you playing the sound? I didn't hear the sound. Yeah, I, I, I didn't play. The, you didn't get the sound. It was, it was a laughter. No, but... Go on. Yeah. I mean, just with AWS now, Azure, I mean, they can't, they don't have the infrastructure in place. I mean, it's not like they have millions of customers. That's ridiculous, right? Yeah. You're so, the technical person. Right. This is inexcusable. It, it was right? inexcusable. So, uh, so more came out later, and I'm not sure if I believe this, but they changed the story later. So the story I just read you, they're just saying, we couldn't handle it. Too many people wanted to play, and we weren't ready for it. Sorry, which is inexcusable and, and, and stupid. but And also a dumb thing to say, which just makes you sound like a fucking idiot, yeah. right? So they, and by the way, those two events, 32 and 33, that they mentioned it. 32 was the $100 event called the opener. Remember we were laughing, there's a, that's not even the cheapest event you can win a bracelet with? So the $100 bracelet event called the opener was one of them that's happened to. The next event, the event 33, was a $1,111 event called Everyone for COVID Relief. And that's every number one. Get it? It's a one, 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 one buy-in, and it's every one for COVID release. So that was event number thirty-three. So that was the uh, that that was the situation with the two that were that were postponed. So they later said that what really happened was that they were getting DDoS. So it was not that they couldn't handle all the players; it's that they're getting DDoS. Now I'm not sure I believe this because. You would think they would be able to tell if this is happening because of a DDoS or because they simply can't handle that many players. And that's what I'm confused about, like why why they shouldn't have been able to tell. It's possible 
that they just saw a high server load and the thing started freezing up and, and crashing and have a lot of technical issues and they thought, okay, well, wow, we didn't know this many players that caused this kind of server load and then they realized that they were getting DDoS and that's what was causing it. But that, that's also pretty stupid that they couldn't separate. Right, but that does make sense though, Trev, right? They probably tried to rush out something. Oh, there's too many players that'll make it sound good too. <laughs> that's a dumb thing. Yeah. They should have they not said anything until they looked into what it was. And, and so they said that between... 1.53 p.m. and 5.11 p.m. UTC, which is also known as uh, GMT, Greenwich Mean Time, on July 19th, they had uh, this DDoS occurring and that they had to uh, take the server down to get do a temporary fix and that a second incident of DDoS occurred between 5.48 p.m. and 6.17 p.m. that same day when they were trying to increase the time of late registration to allow people to sit down because there, there were actually people were getting messages that nobody could sit down at the – there's too many players being seated, so they have to pause registration, which people laughed at. And that was being tweeted out and people were mocking it. So that what they were really doing. Online, that's hilarious. Yeah, so it's like you have to wait in line at the cage. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> due to the, the large number of players seating, uh, let me get the exact message up. I, I laughed at it too. But that, but that while they were trying to extend late registration so everybody could sit, then they were getting DDoS again, they're claiming. And that that is the uh, reason they had to finally just give up, that the DDoSers weren't going to let them off the hook there. So that's that's what they said was happening. Again, I'm not sure if I believe it. They may have been mocked a lot for not being ready and thought, you know what, let's give a better explanation that this wasn't our fault, that we were just being attacked, and that maybe people will have more sympathy for us. It's also possible that they just didn't realize that's what was happening and that they, they're like, oh, well, this makes sense now. No wonder we're not able to handle all the traffics because we're getting DDoS. That's why we can't handle We thought we were just... Not prepared. Now, we were prepared. We just weren't prepared for a DDoS. Now, that does raise the question of why they were not prepared for a DDoS. There are ways to prepare yourself for that, including some of these cloud services, which are good at handling that. And the question does have to be brought up why they did not think. It's not like DDoSs to poker sites are uncharted territory. We've, we've seen this happening to ACR and other sites for a long time. So why they would think this they're immune to this is kind of overlooking that uh, something obvious which could occur. And I would think any major online poker site these days needs to be aware of the DDoS possibility and take steps to prevent it, not wait for it to happen first and then react after. Yeah, the message that came up was... Players are now on break. Tournament has been paused by the operator. Please wait, wait for tournament to resume. We apologize for everything that's happened today. A critical bug has been found, and we need to, to postpone the week, the event at the same time. Oh, that's a different, that's a different message. That was the uh, ultimate postponement. Um, here it was. The other message was, all tournaments have been paused while we stabilize the players taking their seats. <laughs> you stabilize players taking their seats. It's, it's almost like the ground is shaking. That was the first message. And so, Jeff, so the relationship between GG Poker and Caesars, did they just license the yes. most poker brand of them to use? Is that basically what it was? Yes, and that's and that's why they got some criticism in the World Series, is that 
people are saying, look, GG Poker is pretty new, and right. they're, they're, so so they there wasn't enough known about whether they can handle. It's not like licensing it out to poker stars, you know, is very stable. Uh, this is new. Who knows how well it works? And, uh, and so they make this partnership, and then oh crap! Sure enough, uh, the, the two events crash, and they have to first pause it and then cancel it and, and postpone it to the next week. So some people are criticizing wow. them, like like why would you make a partnership? Why are you destroying the brand like this by making partnerships with with sites that aren't ready to run something of this magnitude? And that's a good point. I mean, I, I don't have much of an answer for why this is okay. But, but that's what the World Series does. The World Series, keep in mind, they've made much worse partnerships than this. They, they had a partnership with a scammer, not not regarding poker, but a poker training academy called the WSOP uh, School of Poker turned out to be a scam. And, and the owner of it ran off with people's money. And we covered it on this show. And, and uh, I got confirmation from the World Series that, yes... They had a partnership where they allowed their name to be used, where they licensed their name out to this uh, school of poker, and that uh, the guy who owned it just ran off with people's money and disappeared, and they're looking for him too, (laughs) and that uh, they're never going to do this again. They're never going to make this mistake again and and partner with with, with someone who just purports to have a a training service because they don't – it – reflects badly upon them and i'm like yeah you think like this this is why if you've got a, a good name that's well respected you don't risk it for a few extra bucks now i realize with gg poker it's more than a few extra bucks the school of poker thing was really dumb because the world series didn't stand to make very much money from it at least with the gg poker thing they stand to make a lot of money from it but still you've, you've got to look at who you're partnering with and gg poker just doesn't have the track record they're like more of like an up-and-coming site they they, they were rapidly growing and there, there are mostly good things said about them. And Negranu is currently the one who is the face of the site. And by the way, of course, Negranu made excuses for GG Poker, which Negranu, he, he really has just become like a, a shill where and I, I don't hate him for this like some people do. Like there's some people who really think Negranu's awful to shill for these sites. And, you know, I see it for what it is. He's, he's just like a, a corporate spokesperson. But it, it does go. What Negranu has been doing kind of contradicts what he's always presented himself to be as like a straight shooter, one of the good guys in poker, um, a player's player. Like he's not anymore. He's, he's, he basically signs these lucrative contracts to be the face of these poker sites. And then just says whatever he wants, whatever they want him to say, he'll say. And as long as they're just like, as long as they're not like outright stealing or scamming people, then he'll say whatever they want him to say, which is drop. I think that's a little extreme. Well, that's pretty much what he did. It's pretty much what he did with with poker stars in the Amaya days, and 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 like with this, it's it's not as bad because he's more just making excuses for something that was unintentional. That it's not like GG Poker wanted to fail here. They got they very well might have been DDoS, but uh, uh, it is true that when you sign up to be the face of the site and are going to defend them, no matter what, unless something really bad happens. Then you are in a, you're you're going to end up saying things you don't really believe or agree with, and that's just part of accepting the money. Now, I know it's not trivial to just turn it down. Like I, I, I sometimes think if I was in Negreanu's position, let's say I was as big of a poker player as like as well known and famous as Negreanu, okay, and I was offered a ton of money to represent Amaya, 
or when, when they were poker stars. And I was and I was offered a ton of money to represent GG Poker. And I think, okay, these are not sites scamming people. They're paying the people who win. They're not cheating their customers. So, okay. Like, I could see myself deciding, yeah, sure. I'm not going to represent a scam site, but if the site's not perfect, I'll still represent them and, and collect a lot of money. And it's, it's hard to say no to that when it's a lot of money. So I understand that. And there is a difference between representing a flawed site and representing a scam site. And I haven't seen Nick Ryan represent a scam site, and that's important for people to understand. But at the same time, it's it's still not quite what Negranu was uh, was was saying. So anyway, um, so uh, this is an embarrassment for GG Poker. Even with the DDoS, they should have been ready for it, and it shouldn't be this easy to take them down and destroy their events. And the World Series really needs to be careful because they they. Uh, they have something very valuable. This is a very well-liked and respected brand, and this year they just keep doing things to degrade it. People have kind of begrudgingly accepted the online tournaments as bracelet events. So, like, I'm seeing people win online bracelets who are known or semi-known, and people are congratulating them. They're not saying, ah, you want a fake bracelet. Like, they're, they're given credit for being bracelet winners. Like Ryan DePaulo when he won. People weren't saying, oh, Ryan, you just want a fake bracelet. Like, they're not saying that to him. They're saying, people say, oh, great, that's, that's a great story, Ryan. He won from a parking lot in Whole Foods. You know, like, that's that's the way people were talking about it. Not like, oh, Ryan won a, an illegitimate bracelet because it's online. So people have kind of begrudgingly accepted that after first being very against it. But, you know, with the $100 buy-in tournaments, the $50 buy-in bracelet tournaments, and now the fail that they're having in GG Poker with the DDoS attacks, that's that's all, uh, it all reflects badly on the brand. There's only so much abuse that you can throw upon the brand yeah. before it finally gets tainted enough to where people stop respecting it. And it doesn't all happen, like, at once. It doesn't just, like, we lost Trader Risky somehow, but it, it, it's not where you just, like, snap your fingers and all of a sudden the World Series of Poker brand is no longer prestigious. It just people will start to get away from it. People will stop wanting to win bracelets as badly. People will stop wanting to travel to the World Series of Poker as much. It'll gradually happen, and they won't know what hit them if they're not careful. On July 20th, the next day, a an attack hit uh, GG Poker itself, not just the... Uh, not just the... World Series events, and people weren't able to even open GG Poker. They claim their servers have been improved to allow for better performance and to account for increased load. But they also claim that when they did that, it allowed them to be uh, more vulnerable to DDoS attacks. They said that they no longer had a DDoS protection service in place because they had improved the server performance, which I don't quite understand. There's many servers out there that get a lot more traffic than they do that have DDoS protection, so that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Do you think you could? Uh, you think these same hackers could DDoS Amazon 
with the same effectiveness? You think they could DDoS Google with the same effectiveness? Even take something that's not quite that size. What about ESPN? Could you DDoS ESPN with the same effectiveness? You could not. So there, you can have protection from DDoS and also be able to have good server performance and high loads on the server. Besides, they said that since then, they've added the DDoS protection and also have the ability for increased load. So they were able to do it. I don't know why they were saying before that uh, they weren't. It's kind of weird. So that's what occurred. We'll see if they suffer further DDoS attacks. I haven't heard of it happening since. It's almost been a week. So maybe they've solved the problem. Maybe the DDoSers haven't hit them. Maybe the DDoSers are waiting for these events to start again on the 26th and they'll pop them again. If I were trying to do this, which I, I presume this is just being done just for fun. I think the people DDoSing them are just doing it because they enjoy doing it. Sometimes there's a ransom involved, but I haven't heard about that. It's very possible that someone's just DDoSing it because they enjoy the seeing the havoc that they are wreaking. They're enjoying ruining things and getting a laugh out of it. So maybe the people doing it are just trolling GG Poker and they're just waiting for the restart of these same two tournaments and they're going to hit them again. So maybe that's what's going on. Maybe they're lulling them into a false sense of security and then pounding them again. But it's possible GG Poker has gotten a handle on this. We will have to see. Anyway, that's the one story I have this week for the World Series of Poker Online. It's the only thing I found worthy. I mean, yeah, some people won bracelets that are known players like Tony Dunst, but whatever. Every year people win bracelets who are known in poker, and that's not really what this show is about. You can go to your favorite news site about poker and read about that stuff. Well, I want to talk about Las Vegas Sands. Las Vegas Sands is Sheldon Adelson's corporation. I am banned from Las Vegas Sands properties. I don't know about Macau. I guess I could probably go there. They they only banned me from... Well, they actually didn't even tell me what I was banned from. <laughs> I found out when I called to book a room at the Venetian. That's how I found out. So I never really got the whole list. They didn't actually... They, usually when you get banned, security surrounds you and they read you a list of, of where you can't go. They, that never happened to me. But anyway, Las Vegas Sands Corporation claims that they've been struggling big time due to the coronavirus. They say that in the second quarter of 2020, they have already lost... $100 billion! Well, not quite. But they've lost 1% of that, $1 billion. In just the second quarter of 2020, they claim. Now, it's not just the Venetian and the Palazzo in Vegas... It includes all Las Vegas Sands properties, including the ones in Macau. But that's a lot of money to have lost in just one quarter. They reported this loss of $985 million from April 1st through June 30th. This is a staggering 97.1% drop from the same period in 2019. They say the reason most of this happened was because uh, the 
Las Vegas casino market was shut down by Governor Steve Sisolak. And they were closed from mid-March through early June. However, they said that uh, they're not very optimistic about the future, at least the near future, because conventions are still not coming to Vegas. Conventions have, for the moment, fallen out of favor, because what is a convention? It's a big group of people getting together, and people are not supposed to do that now. So conventions aren't happening. Las Vegas has come to count on conventions for a lot of their revenue. Las Vegas Sands has a big convention center, which is actually still called Sands. That's the only thing that is remaining of the Sands name in Las Vegas. There actually used to be a casino called Sands, which is where the Venetian is currently located. The Sands is an old Vegas casino, which, as I said, became the Venetian, or is wrecked, and then the Venetian was built in its place. But they kept the name Sands for the convention center. But this stuff is not getting filled up. They are not selling convention space and they're not selling the hotel rooms that people stay in when they're there for the convention. They're not getting the gambling and restaurant revenue that they get from convention attendees. So the lack of convention traffic into Vegas is killing Vegas, along with everything else where they're struggling. They said that they simply cannot perform well without the return of conventions and other portions of the Vegas experience that are currently closed. And they said we cannot make money without full hotel occupancy. That's the other problem is that the hotel occupancy is much lower. As I've mentioned before, Las Vegas diversifying itself away from counting on gambling, ironically, has ended up harming them in being able to weather this coronavirus storm. See, if it were just about gambling, Las Vegas could survive a lot better because all they would have to do is lure in the big gamblers to come back, and they would survive just fine. Remember, old Vegas, almost all the revenue came from gambling, and everything else was a loss leader. The hotels were really cheap. The meals were really cheap. They gave comps very generously. The whole point was to get people there, lose money on everything, but make all the money in the casino. And they got away from that. Now they are counting on restaurants to make them money, the hotel to make them money, the conventions to make them money, the shows to make them money, the clubs to make them money, and the attractions to make them money. And with a lot of this stuff closed and without the conventions coming to town, now they they can't just bring that back. It's not just a matter of bringing in a few whales to lose a lot of money. Now they have to get all that type of stuff back, a lot of which they can't do by law, and some of which they just isn't happening because there's not interest in it, like the conventions. So Venetian, or the Sands Corporation, they are kind of pessimistic about this. Rob Goldstein, the COO went on to say what I just basically said here, that Las Vegas has transformed from a worldwide gambling destination to a regional hub that they're now dependent on drive-in traffic. 
said that the decrease in revenue and demand, even after the reopening, has led to massive job loss in Las Vegas and other parts of the country. So that's uh, grim news for the Venetian. And uh, Wynn Resorts, by the way, announced that they're going to furlough thousands of workers. And Circus Circus, which is now owned by Phil Ruffin, remember, he bought that, they're going to lay off 262 employees. And Caesars is going to be cutting jobs as well. So there's still a lot of problems in Nevada. And if they have to cut, if they have to close further, if they have to shut down the casinos again, then they're going to be in real trouble. And they're going to have a real tough decision there if the coronavirus keeps getting worse in Las Vegas. I know someone personally who I was informed today has the coronavirus And this person went to Las Vegas and uh, took advantage of some opportunities there. I won't go into how or what they were doing, but uh, it wasn't anything illegal. But they took advantage of some opportunities there. And unfortunately, the final joke was on them because they caught the coronavirus in the casino. This is someone who went to go play the casino, certain opportunities, and uh, got the coronavirus. So that's pretty unfortunate. I feel bad for this person I was talking to. And it's unfortunate. But yeah, there's there's a lot of risk. There is a lot of risk going into a casino, especially right now, the belief is, and there's very bad news for casinos, the biggest danger for catching the coronavirus comes from being in an indoor environment where there's a lot of people and air conditioning. That is seen as being the biggest problem. The air conditioning is said to be spreading it. A lot of people, of course, is bad indoors. That's where, and of course, a lot of talking and shouting is bad too. That's why the meatpacking plants was spreading so much because people were shouting so much over the loud machinery there. So that's bad news for casinos. Indoor with a lot of people and air conditioning, that's exactly what a casino is. Some people believe this would go away during the summer, but it hasn't, and some of this is because of the air conditioning. In fact, uh, an interesting theory has emerged about why it's gotten so bad in some places during the summer, and that is that the summer has forced a lot of people indoors because it's so hot. Not that this summer's hot compared to other summers, but just in general, in a lot of the U.S., the summer is very hot, and people don't want to be outside. So it gets very hot, very humid. And then they go inside where it's air-conditioned, where other people are, and the coronavirus spreads. And it spreads worse than when the air condition wasn't running as much and where people were able to be outside without being so uncomfortable. Now, there's certain areas where it's fine in the summer, and uh, it's okay to be outside, but a lot of areas are not in July in the United States, as I'm sure you know, if you've traveled around the U.S., the, there's a lot of very hot places and the humid places in the U.S. during the month of July. Think of Florida. They, they have terrible numbers right now. Have you felt Florida's weather in the summer? 
It's awful. I will not go to Florida in the summer. It is very hot and very humid. Look at Texas. Another awful place in the summer. Look at Georgia. Enough said. Look at Arizona. Not humid, but extremely hot. Look at Nevada. Not humid, but extremely hot. California is the only exception to this. But the other places that are getting it badly are all places where people are forced inside because the summers are very hot and humid or extremely hot and not humid. New York is the exception to this, as is New Jersey, but these places already had their terrible outbreaks, as I explained before on other shows. I think these places have kind of like a partial herd immunity. But anywhere that hasn't had a bad outbreak yet is getting it because everyone's forced inside with air conditioning. That's bad news for casinos. And that would say that casinos are are pretty dangerous right now. So I'd watch out if you want to go to a casino right now. It's just Some people put on a mask and they almost feel like they have a false sense of security. They feel like, well, I've got a mask on. I'm not going to catch it. The mask you're wearing is preventing others from getting infected by you. It does not protect you from others who might infect you. Because these masks don't prevent the virus from getting through. They more prevent people from projecting it when they talk or when they cough. doesn't completely stop it, but it it uh, reduces it. So don't feel like walking around with a mask is protecting you. 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355 is the number of this show. You can text it. You can call it. Let me see what texts we've received. I see also someone said that the click here to listen live button is not working. Yeah, um, I should mention this. Listening live to the show, um, on some browsers, it's getting harder and harder to do. I'm going to look into what I can do about that. It's just from changes in the browsers, and also when, when Flash is completely done away with, which is going to happen soon, then our player is going to stop working. So I'm, I'm going to look into getting the live player working with modern browsers better. And I apologize if you're having trouble listening to the show. You can use the call to listen line, by the way. If we're, you can get the TuneIn app that will also listen live to the show. From the 310, Druff, a new video of Daniel Negreanu blowing up on some Twitch user is going around Twitter. Apparently, that user insulted Amanda somehow. That's his wife, Amanda Leatherman. Thought you might want to talk about this on the show tonight. Well, why not? Someone else sent this to me, too. Perhaps playing this Negreanu clip, what's this guy's deal? But anyway, let's let's listen to this thing with Negranu going off on someone. I have no idea. This is from his Twitch stream, and someone I think recorded it. I don't know what I'm going to hear. I will hear it for the first time as you do. Hey, Thomas Strata, go fuck yourself, you piece <laughs> of shit. Block that p- cock motherfucking piece of shit. Fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck you in your ass. How about that? Whoa. Okay, Thomas Strata, fuck you in your ass. Eat some of that piece of shit come fucking step to me and say that and i will knock you the fuck out how about that huh i'm not fucking around i will break your fucking teeth if you come step to me and i will feed them to you anally how about that how about that okay that'll teach you for a fucking stupid comment like that you know i have ace king right bro (laughs) 
Okay, he's doing some shit over here. Get me all heated with dumb comments. Yes, I don't know what Thomas Stratus said. This was on Negranu's Twitch. So I think Thomas Strato was not in the – obviously he wasn't in the poker chat because the poker chat you can't talk anymore on WZP.com. So this had to be on Negranu's Twitch. And I'm looking on the side there where the chat is, and I don't see any Thomas Strata, so I must have been scrolled off by then. But yeah, I guess he was said he said something about uh, his wife. I don't know what was said, so I can't comment on it. I have to imagine it was some kind of uh, rude comment about her. Obviously, the person was probably a troll and was trying to get Negranu angry, and I guess he succeeded. Negranu just has to like not respond to these things or, or ban the people from the chat or whatever. Uh, he has to understand he's a poker celebrity, and there's people who enjoy pissing him off, and there's people who are going to make rude comments like that, and... They're trolls. I mean, there's this online trolls uh, have existed for decades. And yeah, he shouldn't be saying, oh, come meet me in person. Uh, I'll knock you out, blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's he should be above doing that. Just don't acknowledge it. They're actually looking for you to acknowledge it. See, let me I'm going to give you my opinion on handling trolls. See, there's two types of trolls. There's the kind of like drive by troll that just wants to make an outrageous comment to piss you off, but isn't really dedicated to it. They're not going to spend a lot of time trying to anger you. They're not thinking about you a whole lot. They just, they're there, you're there, and they, they want to piss you off. And that's, I, I assume that's what this Thomas Strata's deal was. I don't know who that is or what his beef is with Negranu, but I, I have to imagine this person was just trying to say something to aggravate Negranu and, and get him to do something like that. I'm sure this Thomas Strata was laughing his ass off as Negranu was melting down like this and, and freaking out. Now, I understand Negranu reads something rude written about his wife and he gets really mad, fine, uh, like a lot of guys would, but these are what that's what trolls do, and you're a well-known player, and the best thing to do is to not give it attention. Now, the difference comes when there's a very dedicated troll who is putting a lot of time and effort into getting your goat. So if this Thomas Strata was constantly everywhere Negranu was trying to talk shit to him. Ignoring doesn't work. And I, I've had to explain this to people before. I've had trolls, as you guys probably know. And I've had both types. I've had the types who just kind of will make an offhanded nasty comment, and those I ignore. And I've had some, fortunately not too many, but I've had some very dedicated trolls that will keep hassling me and harassing me until they get a reaction. And if I give no reaction, they will keep escalating what they will do and what they will say until I give a reaction. Because they figure, well, okay, what I did isn't getting him to respond, so let me kick this up another notch. But usually they, the trolls will not kick this up a notch if it's not that important to them. Only the really dedicated ones will kick it up a notch. Those are the ones you have to respond to. Those are the ones you have to make feel that there will be a consequence if they continue their behavior, and then if they do, you need to really bring a consequence upon them. Otherwise, uh, you look like you're bluffing and they keep screwing with you. So reacting to those trolls is okay, because if you don't react, then they keep escalating until you do. So at that point, you've got to hit them with a strong defense. However, the, the drive-by trolls, the one just kind of drop a nasty comment at you, the best thing you can do is just ignore them. And that's what I do. 
when I get one of those on Twitter or whatever, I just, if someone says something nasty or stupid to me, and I can tell it's just a troll trying to hassle me, and it's just kind of a one-off thing, I just don't respond. And I don't give them what they want. I don't give them what they're looking for. So I, I'm pretty sure in this case here, without knowing anything about it, that this Thomas Strata was just trying to get a reaction, and he got one. So Negreanu fell right into it. And I didn't get to see what was said, but I'm sure it was rude. I'm sure it was inappropriate. May have been crude. May have been uh, degrading about uh, Amanda. Now, something Negreanu also has to understand, as unpleasant as it may be, is that his wife does have a history. He may have made peace with it and be okay with it, but she does have a history in poker. And there's people who know of that history and uh, people who make comments that they otherwise wouldn't make if she was just some random that nobody knew. If he just married some girl that was outside of poker, uh, there'd probably be a lot fewer comments made about her. So I'm not saying that if she has a history that people should be showing up in his Twitch chat and harassing him. I mean, they shouldn't be, but it's going to happen. And he kind of has to look, okay, I'm a poker celebrity. I'm one of the best-known poker players in the world. Uh, My wife has a history, and some people are going to make comments based upon that. And they're trying to get a reaction. So I'm just going to ignore him. I'm just going to pretend they didn't say it and ban them from my channel, ban them from the chat, and that's it. And if the person keeps harassing me, keeps screwing with me, then I'm going to give a response to them and make sure they understand that there's going to be a consequence if they keep harassing me. That's That should be the approach. That's what I would recommend, Daniel, as someone who has dealt with trolls for a long time. I've dealt with many, so I know. I still have some now. And something Daniel and I have in common is that we are both outspoken. And we'll both say controversial things. And sometimes the controversial things we say will piss people off and encourage them to troll us more. So I can understand. And for Daniel, he has more eyeballs on him. He has a lot more eyeballs on him than I do. And he probably always will. So that can make it even tougher where you have a larger number of people you can piss off. So I can understand what he's dealing with. I can definitely understand. I've been there. Now, have I been there? I I currently am there. This happens to me all the time. But he's he's been losing it lately. I mean, there's this, there's that other meltdown about the software. He's got to calm down. Like, is he always this pissed off when he's playing online poker? Or is it just, is it just recently? I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm really seeing sides of him I didn't think existed. I kind of saw him as a calmer guy than this. I don't know. Daniel's kind of a mystery to me sometimes. I'm not an Agronu hater. Like, I, I don't hate him. I don't dislike him. I don't think badly of him. I just think there's some uh, things to him which there's always new things coming up that you don't expect and not always in a good way. And I don't know if he's doing his reputation a favor with these Twitch streams. 
He's got to kind of tone down the aggression, not the poker aggression, but he needs to tone down the the twitch aggression. He what what like like the meltdown about the connection. Believe me, I understand that too. I'm an online poker player too. I've had the heartbreak of the disconnects and the crappy software, and boy, it pisses me off too. But I've I never do what he does there. In that, in that other clip where he was so mad about the disconnect and the software, and I understood some frustration, but he was just raging. Got to calm down some, Daniel. Got to calm down when you're playing online poker. And when you're dealing with trolls. I will give him credit that the troll likely said something inappropriate and very rude and crude. I will give him credit that no one likes reading that about their wife. Okay? So, I'm not saying he shouldn't be pissed reading it. It's just how you react. Just remember... The trolls are looking for those reactions. I'm sure you made his day. Okay, I hope Tyrone's not giving me bad news about my broadcast right now. No, 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 no. First of all, that uh, I got my problem solved. I guess that uh, it doesn't, it doesn't uh, in my iPad, it doesn't come through listen live. But when I do uh, listen live to my iPhone, it's okay. Oh, okay. Well, that's, that's good yeah, to know. But I'll, I'll, I'm going to have to. I have an iPad here. I have an iPhone here. I have a, a desktop. I'm going to have to go through these devices and and see. I don't have any Macs, unfortunately, but I have to go through these devices and see what works and what doesn't, and try to come up with some solutions to play the show live because a, a lot of what used to work does not work anymore. Oh, sorry about that. Uh, that's it. I want to make one comment about Daniel the Grounder. Yeah. Uh, I like him very, very much. I used to really like uh, I like his podcast. I like his, uh, uh, you know, he do, he do a live stream or something uh, uh, every day in WSOP and everything else. It's quite entertaining. Uh, quite, uh, quite entertaining. But however... I I do my opinion him getting is a little bit degrading because I think that uh, he really really sells himself out to the GC poker. I agree with you. You know. Yeah, I saw, I saw this coming though with with poker stars, and and I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't judge him as harshly about the poker stars thing as some other people did, but I, I already, I already, was, I was already seeing it. I was already seeing signs of it that like as long as they're not doing anything like egregiously bad, that he's going to say what they wanted to say, and I was kind of like, you know, that's not the Negreanu I once knew, and uh, uh, and by the way, when I, you know, on his podcast, like on that Dat Poker podcast, he seems very reasonable on there. Like when I hear him speak on there. He he sounds very reasonable. Uh-huh. Like like the the granny I see freaking out on Twitch is not. It's almost like a different person. That's true. But I also like the the, the, the one sometimes the uh, in the World Series poker he did he do the live thing every day that including online. It's highly entertaining. Uh, you see the hand he he play not to play. Uh, he do his live stream on the, the uh, WSOP. Actually, it's quite informative. Yeah, once I learned a lot from it. I actually have appeared very briefly in a few of those just because I happened to be at the table or whatever. 
Oh, you've been playing the WSOP online? No, no, not this one. I mean, last last year I appeared in a few of those ones he did during the oh, WSOP. Really, really, uh, really. But uh, but he gave me lot, lots of enjoyment. The same way uh, you were talking about earlier about Malo, uh, he, to, to do a podcast. Uh, uh, no, not podcast, log, vlog uh, or something like that. She's highly, highly entertaining. I don't take any offense whatsoever. I, I just for just like watching a TV show. Okay, well, see, see, see Ty- Tyrone. Even though uh, you're you're probably not in the demographic she's going for, you she's impressing you anyway. That's good. No, uh, it's entertaining. Entertainment. I'm just looking at it as the entertainment. Yeah. I have a couple of questions to yeah. ask you. Yeah. Uh, number one is, have you ever played at life at the bike? Yeah. Yeah, because uh, how would you, uh, because uh, there's a couple of times I accidentally, I, 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 I also look at life at the bike. A couple of times, I see you there, playing no limit poker with uh, all those people. You know, to me, that those those people are quite quite a bit of poker shop. Yeah, you well, I, I've I played it a few times. I'm not. Uh, um, I think I've been on the show twice. Uh, yeah, I think twice total, but. Uh, I mean, I'd, I'd go again. It's just, it's just hard for me to get there because in, in the uh, the traffic, it when they when they started at like six p.m., which is like the worst time, and the traffic is so bad. Now I wouldn't go anyway because of the coronavirus. But like during normal times, it just takes so long to get there at that time. It's just not worth it to me. Otherwise, I, I'd do it again just for the fun of it. I'm not like I don't enjoy playing no limit cash. But they even, they were running a limit hold'em game on there sometimes that I had interest in playing, and I just uh, I played on there once. Playing limit hold in forty eighty, but I, I would do that again. I just have to get down there, and of course, it had to be when I play live poker again, whenever that's going to be. Let me to my next question is: uh, I guess when you play limit poker in the structure way of betting, is for example, you play forty eighty or twenty forty or something like that. The blind is so high, you cannot afford to be a nit, right? No, it's the same thing. It's uh, it's just at a higher level. It's just multiplied. Whatever whatever thing you're doing at a a lower limit, it's just the same thing at a higher limit. It's just multiplied. As long as you have the bankroll for the game, then it, then it's fine. Uh, now it's it's true that uh, there, there's differences in style you have to have at the higher limit games and the middle limit games compared to the lower limit. The lower limit is like a lot of a ton of people limping pre-flop, and then uh, with all those people in, it's very likely someone's going to hit the flop in some way. So you're not going to run people off hands there at the lower limits. Where at uh, the higher limits, uh, there's most people folding before the flop. So then, it, bluffing does come into play, and 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 also things like value betting with ace high the whole way come into play. Believe it or not. So th- that's those are factors that don't come into play in the, in the lower limits and you have to play them differently. But as far as the blinds, it's, it's pretty much the same. Uh, the, the only time you don't, you, you have to be careful about the not folding the blinds too much is when you're playing shorthanded because then it'll eat you up. 
Yeah, but uh, that was my question yesterday. When you play a structured bet, otherwise the, the, the first level you can only bet $20, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, $20. At most, uh, your blind is 20 40 At most, you can raise 40 right? Uh, 40 You cannot raise something in between. To me, that there is limit poker is a variable bet, you know. For example, two ten, two dollar to ten dollar, you can raise any time to two, three, four, five, no matter what street you're on, everything else, and that's much more uh, skillful than the structure bet. Well, they're, 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 just, they're just different games. See, the the that starts to resemble no limit more. Where you can start uh, structuring the bet, especially if it's a a high a higher number compared to what the pot is. But even if it's not, it's, mm-hmm. it, start, it starts to resemble no limit more. And and limit hold'em, it and all the limit games, they have a different focus to them, where they become more about uh, knowing where you are, value betting, and and things like that than uh, than than bluffing or trapping. And it's just it's just a different skill set, a different game, and and you just have to understand the difference. And sometimes people don't understand the difference, and they're kind of baffled by some of the things they see in, in the limit games. They they're baffled by some of the bad beats they take, uh, and they think the person putting the bad beat on them is terrible. When in reality, the person really did the right thing. They're they're baffled sometimes by the uh, the the really light calls they'll see with king high and queen high, when when they they can't understand how that person could have done it. Even if they're right, like they, what happens is the experienced good limit hold'em player gets to understand where these things are appropriate, and they start to enter into the equation a lot more than they do in in no limit settings, and that's and that's where a lot of the skill comes from, and that's a lot, a lot of times what separates the good players from the bad players. And you also have to understand the style of the game, the way it's playing. You have to, and it, it differs. You have to, the the way an online game players uh, plays is different than the way a live game plays. And the way an upper limit game plays is different than a lower limit game plays. So you've got to understand all this. They all they all have their different uh, skill sets, and there and certain things about each of these games are better for certain people than others. And that's there, there's some people who are very good no limit players who just couldn't win at limit games because of their mindset just doesn't work well for limit games, and vice versa. Well, you you just happen to uh, play well at both of them, but you like limit poker much better. Huh? Well, but I'm a, I'm a better limit player than no limit player. That that's for sure, and especially at cash. And uh, so now some of it's experience. I don't I, I don't play no limit cash that often. But um, and we've talked before on other shows. A lot of what you like about limit poker is also what I like. Uh, I, I don't I don't like the no limit. I don't like the fact with no limit that one hand can make such a huge difference and, and ruin everything else that's going well. So I, I like it that if I I like where my success is based upon uh, a whole lot of hands, uh, how I play them rather than one particular hand that happens to mean way more than the others. So that's uh, okay. Yeah, I understand a little bit more, but. Uh, uh, Again, the, the, I, I still, uh, I guess I'm one trap mind. I still would like 
the variable betting on limit poker. I, I basically I can have the best of them both worlds. One is that uh, that I can be in this and waiting for a good hand. Uh, there's, there's nothing wrong with paying ABC poker uh, because uh, on a lower limit that it is. Uh, no, it can work. I know, I know, I, I know. Low limit poker, low limit uh, limit hold'em, and other limit games. If if you just play straightforward, that can be a good strategy because uh, there's a lot of people who who just are not going to play well, and that's just going to beat them. And you're just going to have the better hand. You're going to dominate them with hands, and that's uh, and and that will work uh, for, for the most part. And also, there's a, there's a skill of uh, variable betting. You know, for example, you can get. Let's say a two ten game, you can bet two dollar, three dollar, four dollar, any time. So there's some time that you want to bet more to induce a bet. No, I know, but it, it, know? it changes everything. It changes it, where, where people can't chase with draws as much, and then so the next time you have a draw, it's going to be harder for you to chase, and there'd be things like that to where it starts to be there starts to become some frustrating elements to it, where you go, oh, you know, I kind of worth this a, a limit game. Uh, so the, as I said, there's never. It's always going to be a trade-off, so that's uh, they're just they're just different games, and then the spread limit is kind of one that's in the middle. But uh, I mean, th- there's places that spread it. It's, it's harder to find it, especially in California, but uh, and Nevada, but they, they exist. So anyway, we're going to move on to another topic. But th- thank you for the call. Okay, thank you very much. Sir. Okay, thank you, Terry. I love how we just lost Traderuski tonight. He just he just disappeared. Just just no more Traderuski. He's just gone. I assume we just fell asleep. Okay, we're going to move on and talk about the MGM, the BetMGM situation with the sports betting that we covered on another show. And I have an update. It looks like it's going to be the final update because a decision has been handed down by the Nevada Gaming Commission. To refresh your memory as to what occurred, or if you didn't hear the show where I talked about what occurred, I will tell you again briefly what happened. There are some terminals at the Bellagio and I guess at other MGM properties, which are called uh, BetMGM terminals. BetMGM is also the online app you can use within the state of Nevada to sports bet legally through MGM properties. So you can do it either through the app, which you have to set up beforehand, or you can do it at kiosks around certain MGM properties like the Bellagio. And this allows you to play sports bets in an automated fashion rather than having to do it at a sports book where you go hand your money physically to uh, someone working at the sports book. So at the Bellagio, there were a lot of bets on some uh, Asian baseball games, I think Korean and uh, Japan, I forgot which countries, but uh, there were a lot of bets on on certain Asian baseball games. This is before U.S. baseball season had started. And these won. And about $200,000 worth of bets were won. But the problem was that these bets were placed after the games had started. And this was able to occur because they accidentally left these bets on the board after they had started because they had a wrong start time for them and didn't realize it. And probably because they were in another country 
it was harder for them to realize what was going on. It also happened in the middle of the night. So between 1.30 a.m. and 3.30 a.m. Vegas time on June 28th, there were about 50 bets placed at the self-serve kiosks at the Bellagio and also on BetMGM's mobile app. And uh, they totaled about 200 k and all of these bets won, including some parlay bets that really won a lot of money for a small amount of risk. And these bets were placed on games that had already begun. They were, yeah, they were on uh, the Korean Baseball League and the Chinese Professional Baseball League. And that's why it was middle of the night, because it's a very different time zone over in Asia, of course. So the question became, should these people get paid? Number one, is it likely they knew they were betting on games that had already started? And again, this was not what's called live betting. Live betting means you're betting based upon the odds of how the game is going. So, for example, if a team is behind 6 to nothing in baseball, if you were to live bet on the team that's behind, you would get very long odds because it's very hard to come back from a 6 nothing deficit in baseball. Let's say it's 6 nothing in the fifth inning. It's very likely the team that is down 6 nothing in the fifth inning is going to lose. So if you were to bet on the team that's down you would get paid a whole lot for betting on that. If you were to bet on the team that's up 6 nothing in the fifth, you would get paid very little. But what if you could bet on that game at the odds before it started, when it's already in the fifth inning 6 to nothing? Well, then you would have tremendous value betting on the team that is already up 6 nothing, because you already know part of the result. And uh, in baseball, once a team gets way out ahead early in the game it can be very hard for the other team to come back. So I don't know what scores existed in these games at the time they were bet, but these games had already started. I have to imagine that the ones that were bet on were ones that uh, already had one team very much that was a favorite based upon that the score at that moment, and yet they were getting the odds before the game had started. So the question is, what do you do about it? Without thinking about it, you go, oh, well, they should just void the bets because obviously these people knew what they were doing. But wait, maybe they didn't. Maybe the people just really believed that was the start time and they had no idea these games had already started and they were making legitimate bets. Is it fair that Bellagio or BetMGM could void these bets because had these people lost, I doubt that they would have gotten the bets voided. Remember, these weren't guaranteed wins. They were likely wins, but they weren't guaranteed. They were just betting on the team that was ahead. Now, it is true that all these bets were on the team that was on ahead, that was ahead, so it probably wasn't a coincidence. They probably People probably knew what they were doing when they bet on them. But should the casino be able to free-roll people like this? Because they really could. Think about it. The, the casino could even do this on purpose, not take these bets off the board, and then if people win, then say, oh, sorry, we're not paying you. You bet on a game that already started. And if a fluke happens and the other team comes back and the bets lose, then the casino keeps the money. So it really would be a free roll. So the gaming commission has to be careful when it makes rulings on this that they're not enabling free rolling by the casino. Additionally, there's the question of, is it the sportsbook's fault? Do they just have to eat it because they're just not paying attention? Should they just have to pay it out and be careful this doesn't happen in the future? So this went before the... Nevada Gaming Commission because they realized the mistake before these people were paid 
some people were able to get paid quickly before the casino realized it, and that was it was too late. But for those that hadn't yet, everything else was voided. So there was there were complaints to the Nevada Gaming Control Board, who had to rule on this, and uh, they have made a ruling. So uh, the ruling which actually surprises me was that MGM actually is allowed to void the bets and pay nothing. I really thought that this would have to be paid out because of the potential for free roll and because it was the casino's mistake and because they can't prove what these people knew when they placed the bets. They can assume it, but they can't prove it. So there have been other situations like this where people have been paid. And uh, I was surprised to see that they didn't get this. uh, They didn't get this one. Now, it does. uh, By the way, there is nothing in the. Nevada Gaming Commission regulations or BetMGM's house rules that explicitly addresses bets placed on events that have already started. So it's not like there's a law in place that already handles this. They had to just kind of on the fly decide who uh, was going to get paid and who did not. In the Las Vegas Review Journal, Sportsbooks conceded that this happens a lot, that this is not the first time it's happened, and that every sportsbook eventually makes this mistake in one way or another. And there was a uh, a situation where uh, there was a college football better who placed a $3,000 halftime bet in the fourth quarter when uh, the team that uh, he bet on basically couldn't lose because uh, he was betting on it very late in the game and his team was way ahead and he was still able to bet on halftime. And they actually got paid. They got paid. This was at the Mirage They got paid $3,000, and then their brother had also bet on it, and he got paid $1,000. The sportsbook director said it was a mistake we had to eat. So it's surprising. A lot of people who are sportsbook directors are surprised by this decision. They had thought that uh, if if the sportsbook makes this mistake, that that's just what the sportsbook has to deal with. But here the Nevada Gaming Commission decided that they're not going to get it. I'm wondering if part of the reason they decided this was because it the, the people who had uh, had done this were believed to be uh, they, they were believed that they knew what they were doing. That it was strongly believed by the Nevada Gaming Commission that Everybody who did this did it on purpose. That it seemed highly unlikely that this was done by accident and people just didn't realize the games hadn't begun. 
They could not find any evidence that anyone had bet on these games after they had begun on the wrong side. So you didn't see something where a team's ahead 3 nothing and someone bet on the team down 3 nothing at the odds before the game started. Somehow it was always on the team that was winning. Nobody could recall one a situation of this that had occurred where there is this much money at stake. Even though 200K is not a huge sum of money, apparently nobody in Vegas can recall one of these situations where games were bet on after they had started where there is this much money bet on the games. Usually it was a relatively small amount of money before it was caught. The reason this was able to be done compared to before is because this is through an automated system and the automated system can't notice it the same way a human would. So let's say they had to go places with a human. If people keep going up to a human who is taking sports bets and betting on the same team that you wouldn't expect a lot of action on, you're seeing a lot of bets on the same game that seems kind of obscure. Most people working in a sports book are going to go, hmm, why are we getting so many people betting on this game all of a sudden? And they'll look up and go, oh, crap, it already started. Oh, we better take this off the board. A computer can't think that way. A computer you bet with, and the computer's like, okay, bet accepted. The computer can't reason out, wait a minute, why are we seeing so much action? Now, humans can set up the computer to look for signs of this. They can look for sign, the expected number of wagers, expected amount of wagers, and if it seems grossly different, then it can temporarily halt it and alert someone to go take a look at it. They'd have to program this beforehand, but obviously this was not in the programming, and people were able to do it, and the computers just kept taking the bets without realizing what was happening. So when you have the automated tools that can accept bets, you always have the risk of this occurring. So I also wonder if this is part of the reason that it was ruled this way is because there was uh, this much money involved that maybe the gaming commission didn't want MGM to take this bad of a hit. Whereas if it was just like a thousand bucks, they may have ruled in favor of the player. How do I feel? I feel they should pay it because number one, you don't ever want to have a situation where the casino could be free rolling. I'm not saying that BitMGM was trying to, but this can encourage this more in the future. It can also encourage, or shall I say discourage, them attempting to prevent this situation, knowing that if it does, they can only gain from it. So you want casinos to be very vigilant to not allow these mistakes to happen. Otherwise, if they think it's a net positive for them, because they'll either break even or win then they won't put much effort to stop it in the future. So you want casinos to experience a bit of pain when this happens. So they go, oh, crap, well, we're not going to let this happen again. We're going to be real careful. We're going to put in these checks into our system to make sure this doesn't occur anymore. You do not want a situation where the casino doesn't suffer when they make these mistakes. And number two, it's part of the game. Basically, if a casino offers a bet, and people accept the bet, it should be a valid bet. Now, there can be some common sense exceptions. If the computer goes haywire and offers insane odds where you can bet 
$1 and win a million dollars or $10 million, say something like that, on something that should be like an even money bet, then you could say, okay, we, we can void this bet because anyone would realize that this is not a sensible bet, that this is obviously some glitch in the system and they're taking advantage of it. So that's where human beings at Nevada Gaming can look at it and decide whether someone was taking advantage to something that was clearly a mistake, that that was a mistake to a very large scale, and, and void it. But short of something like that, if they offer a bet, and people accept the bet, then the bet should stand. And even this one, which is the biggest one of its kind, at about $200,000, with several people involved combined, if it wasn't just one guy, it's still not a ton of money. It's still not a massive sum of money for MGM to have to eat. So it's not like this is going to sink MGM. It's not like it's $200 million. It's $200,000. So make MGM eat it, and that's that. Tell them be careful. <laughs> Don't let this happen again. They may be afraid that if they rule that this has to be paid, the next time it happens, if it's a much larger sum of money, $20 million, $200 million, that they're going to have to pay also. Of course, they don't have to do anything. They're the ones ruling on it. And there's really no one above them. But maybe they're just trying to set a precedent because the scale of this can be a lot larger with these automated betting tools that now exist. So unfortunate ruling for these bettors who I thought were going to win. I thought they were going to get their money. All right, so I have another uh, story here about death, which is unfortunate to have to be something to report, but nevertheless it happened, and I hate to say it, but it is kind of an interesting story. I I don't think I've heard of anything like this before, but there has been a death at the Bellagio, or shall I say on the Bellagio property. A homeless man jumped into the Bellagio Fountains, and has died. The Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department confirmed that a body was found in the Bellagio Fountain. Officers were called to the fountains at 10.12 a.m. today, Friday, July 24th, to assist in a possible drowning. The drowning victim is a Las Vegas local and a homeless person, and they claim that he had been, quote, engaging with tourists in the area. I don't know what that means. I guess just interacting with them. They said during one engagement, the victim then jumped into the water fountains where he attempted to swim toward the middle area of the fountains. He started his struggle and needed assistance, and that's when authorities responded. A tourist jumped into the water to try to help, but they determined it was too difficult to swim in there and returned. I wonder why it's so difficult to swim in the fountains. Maybe there's uh, some kind of current in there or something. I mean, it's... Uh... So we had both a homeless man who who tried to swim towards the middle of the fountains where I guess he felt he could stand up and didn't make it and drowned. And then you had someone who jumped in to try to save him. It was like, oh boy, this is too hard to swim and and went back. Uh, someone else apparently uh, jumped into the fountains, was pulled out quickly, but 
Reportedly, this had nothing to do with the first incident. That's hard to believe there are two people jumping in the fountains over this different things on the same day. The area of the fountains where this occurred was blocked off by the police, but they did not block the road. People were able to drive by as this was happening. A tourist said that the homeless man started yelling, help, help. And the tourist yelled back, you're so close, keep swimming, you're so close, you're almost there, just kick. He started yelling again for help. He started to go under. The guy said watching the guy drown was frightening. He said, I've never seen anyone die. My friend and I were just saying, this isn't happening, this isn't happening. We kept thinking, what could we have done, what could we have done? But if any of us jumped in, he could have drowned all of us. They were afraid he was also going to uh, pull them down. They don't know yet if this guy was drunk or on drugs. The fountains, if you haven't uh, ever been there, it's a very interesting thing to see. They've been there ever since Bellagio opened in 1996, so it's not a new attraction there. It's almost 25 years old. But these are it's a very large pool. looks like a lake, a small lake. And it's, it's in front of the Bellagio, and it runs along Las Vegas Boulevard. And it shoots water way up in the air. And when I say way up, I mean tens of feet up, probably 50 feet up or more. And uh, the fountains actually dance to music to where uh, they they play some sort of musical, uh, some sort of famous music. Sometimes it's older music, sometimes it's newer music. Usually it's a song you recognize. And then the fountains of which it's uh, several uh, it's actually when I say fountains it's it's not what you'd think if you haven't seen it. It's more like several streams of water that are in that little lake that can shoot up in the air in different ways and they move along with the music and it's very interesting and it's done very very well. And each one of these is programmed. Like, it's, it's not just the water dancing randomly to music playing. It's, it's someone programmed it to do one, to do this for each song. Someone, like, it's actually kind of a form of art where someone actually made the music dance specifically in the way they want to these songs. At night, they also light it up. So the, the water is of different colors. And it usually finishes with a, a big finale of uh, the water shooting up really, really high. You can see the show not just at the Bellagio and not just on the Strip as you walk by, but you can also see it from nearby hotels. For example, the Augustus Tower at Caesar's Palace where I used to stay. I used to always get a room looking down on the fountains because Benjamin really enjoyed watching the show from there. Now, the soundproofing in the Augustus Tower is good enough to where you cannot hear the song along with it, but you can still see the dancing water, and you, can, you have a very good view of it. The Cosmopolitan has a good view of the Las Vegas Fountains, and you can hear the music, though uh, the Cosmopolitan is very, very tall. So on the upper floors, uh, the whole thing can look kind of small, and the, the music's not quite as loud, but... You can, there's actually balconies at the Cosmopolitan, and you can stand out on the balcony and watch it. Some of the rooms at Paris can see it. 
and where else? Maybe, uh, maybe the maybe Bally's probably not, but a number of these hotels, like the ones I mentioned, can see the dancing water, and of course you can see it driving by or walking by. It's a very famous feature. I'm sure you've seen it on TV or in movies. But it's something you should really see in person if you haven't seen it yet. They will sometimes send people out on boats to do maintenance. I've seen that before, especially in the morning when it's not running. I'll sometimes see boats going out on it. And these are not recreational boats. These are employees who go out to fix things. I'm, I'm still not sure why it's that hard to swim. So it's not huge to where someone couldn't swim across it. And I don't know what would be going on in there that would be dragging someone down. I don't think it has a current to it. It's hard to imagine it would. So the, the weirdest part of the story to me is the guy that jumped in to save him and then decided he couldn't make it and turned back around. Unless it's just someone who's out of shape and just didn't think he could swim far enough. Or maybe someone who was worried the guy's going to pull him down. Maybe it's someone who if challenged to swim to where the guy was, could do it, but thought I'm not a strong enough swimmer to get there and then have this thrashing homeless man hold on to me as I swim him back. I I can't do it. Maybe, maybe that's what the person thought. I don't know what the homeless man was going for. I don't know where he was trying to get in the fountains. As I said, maybe to the shallower area where the water shoots up from. Uh, the homeless man could have damaged it had he done what he was trying to do. But obviously it's much worse that he lost his life there. To my knowledge, this is the first time that somebody has died in the fountains. I, I'm sure people have jumped in before or fallen in. I have not heard of any deaths in these fountains prior to today. 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355 is the phone number. You know when I've talked about PayPal and how they feel about gambling? You have to take that seriously. And Ryan Feldman, unfortunately, learned this week that PayPal is something you don't mess around with when it comes to getting payments related to gambling. Ryan Feldman tweeted this week that PayPal has locked his account and that his account now cannot be accessed for 180 days and that it has been permanently closed and that any money he has in there is stuck. I will not reveal how much money he has stuck in there, but it is a good deal of money. In fact, I was surprised when I heard how much it was. This didn't surprise me in the least because PayPal has an automated bot that looks at transactions and will freeze accounts in this fashion if it notices any of these transactions are suspicious. And the worst thing about it is that PayPal has decided that the bot's decision is final. So if the bot suspends you, then you have no access to your funds for 180 days. During those 180 days, anyone can ask for a refund and get it, even people that paid you legitimately. You have no way to appeal. You're just stuck waiting for six months, and you cannot touch that money. And then once that six months passes, 
you are booted off PayPal and they pay you whatever's left. This, of course, gets people angry because they want their money. They don't want it stuck for six months and they don't want just anybody to be able to demand a refund who shouldn't be entitled to one. But that's the way PayPal works and there's never really been a successful mass challenge to it. I've heard of people hiring attorneys when there's a lot of money involved and really holding PayPal's feet to the fire and sometimes getting it released a bit early, but of course that's very expensive. Once that happens, there is one way kind of out of it. So I'm going to give you guys some tips for PayPal. This story is not so much about Ryan Feldman. Just wanted to tell you that's what precipitated me thinking about this. I I tried to help Ryan, so hopefully he will be able to succeed. Um, But here are some tips to get out of this. Number one, remember the reason they're holding your money for six months is because their bot has suspected that you're engaging in suspicious transactions, which could include gambling, uh, being paid for other services they deem illegal, such as drugs, uh, scams, of course, anything they don't want their service being used for. And they're basically freezing your money for six months while they try to figure out what was happening and also give people a chance to get their money back if you got them to pay you through a scam or for something else that you should not have. So you can actually use this to your advantage. The one thing you can do during these six months is refund people. So if anybody has paid you on PayPal and you have money stuck there and you trust them, go to that person and explain to them what happened and say, I'm going to refund you now. Please pay me another way and arrange a way for them to pay you and refund them the money. They will get the money back in full. It will deduct from your balance and then they can send you the money in some other way to make up for it. Now, of course, only do this for people you trust, but that may be preferable to waiting the six months. You can even do this to people who paid you a while back. I'm not sure how far back it goes, but you can go back a few months at least and refund those people, even if they're not the ones who triggered the whole thing to get closed, even if they're not the ones who paid you incredibly recently, even if you've withdrawn since then. So let's say you currently have a PayPal balance of $800 that got frozen. And let's say that uh, two days ago your balance was zero. And then two different people paid you $400 on PayPal. And then you got frozen for six months. You can ask somebody who paid you $800 three months ago that had nothing to do with any of this to take a refund from you and then pay you some other way. Just as long as the transaction was semi-recent, you can refund it. doesn't matter if your balance got zeroed in between. So find whoever you can to refund and, in fact, find it in a strategic way. So let's say you have, let's go back to $800. Let's say you have $800 trapped on PayPal for six months. And let's say you have you go back through your transactions and you find one for 600, one for 70, one for 110, one one for uh, 305, uh, one for 90. You go, wait a minute. 600 plus 110 plus 90 
equals 800. I can find three transactions that equal 800 for my balance. And I happen to know these three people. And I trust these three people. So I'm going to refund those specific three transactions to add up to my exact balance. And then these three people will pay me some other way. And that's it. I'm done. Now I don't have to worry about it. You won't get your account back, but at least your money is off of there. That is a way to get out of it. Now, interestingly, Ryan Feldman said that he did not have this refund option, that when he looked for it, it was gone. I told him he can probably have that restored or at least manually done. Because remember, the reason they are freezing you for six months is because they want to give any, quote, victims the ability to get their money back. So let's look at a good freeze. Let's look at a freeze which would be justified. Not where that stupid bot does it, but let's look at a good freeze. Let's say a scammer is scamming people and he's getting money through PayPal. And people report it's a scam, and PayPal says okay and freezes them. Well, the PayPal doesn't want to let the scammer just withdraw his ill-gotten gains. The PayPal wants to hold it for some time to allow the victims to get their money back. So that is the point of the six-month freeze. It's to allow anyone who sent you money to get it back. Even if they don't suspect a scam. It's just that their basic procedure when they've frozen an account in this fashion is to give everybody who's sent you money recently six months to get it back. So that's the whole point. So if you don't see a way to refund, as Ryan Feldman said he did not have, call up PayPal and say, hey, I want to refund some people. If they ask why, just don't say, no, this is why I get the money off the site. Just say these people, they've decided they want a refund, so how do I give it to them? I don't know why they want it. They want it, and I'm going to give it to them. That's all you got to say. Can you do it for me? Can you either re-enable it on my account to refund people only, or can you refund them for me? They'll usually probably say yes, because the whole point of this is to give people a chance to get a refund, or have those people call up for you and say they want a refund from you and that you've agreed to it. I'm pretty sure you can get that refund. Every case is different, but that's usually the way it should go. Now, how do you prevent this from happening in the first place on PayPal? Number one, always leave the description field blank. If you're sending someone money for poker, don't write poker. Don't write WSOP. Don't write bet. Don't write sports bet. Don't write a sports team name. Don't don't put Dodgers bet. Don't write Dodgers. Don't write, uh, d- just don't. Leave it blank. As tempting as it might be to put the memo of what it's about, leave it blank. Just always tell anyone sending you money on PayPal, leave it blank. Even if it's going to sound safe, leave it blank. Because you never know what the bot will suspect and flag your account to be involved in something it doesn't like and freeze your account for six months. So there's nothing to be gained by having something in that memo section, only something to be lost. So always have it left blank. Do not ever type anything in to someone you're sending money to on PayPal and make sure they understand when they're sending you money to leave it blank. That's the best advice I can give you. Number two, do not take payments for more than about 1500 bucks, and preferably keep it under 1000 Why? Because the bigger the transaction, the more likely PayPal is to freeze your account. 
Now, I have seen it where people's accounts get frozen and PayPal asks a bunch of questions, and if they're satisfied, they'll reopen it. But who even wants that? Keep the transactions low. So if you want to send someone $10,000, do not do it on PayPal. If you want to send them $8,000, do not do it on PayPal. Just don't. Try to keep the amount sent on PayPal under 1000 and definitely under 1500 If you want to send more than that, find another way to do it. PayPal is really not meant for that, and they get so suspicious when that goes on. I know some people who had both of their accounts frozen because they had sent like $2,000 back and forth a few times and PayPal got really nervous. So just stick to small amounts of money. Stick to three-figure on PayPal. And don't don't try to get cute with it. Don't say, oh, I'll send $900 four times. Now, that, that scene is the same thing. Just don't send large amounts of money either at once or a bunch of small transactions that add up to a lot. So those are, I mean, it's really not much more than that. Oh, and number three, don't leave a balance on PayPal. If you get money on PayPal, cash it out. Don't don't let it accumulate like you do on a poker site. So don't keep any kind of significant bankroll on PayPal that they can freeze on you. Now, I guess number four, don't expect their customer service to ever be reasonable or logical. Don't think, oh, well, I'll call them and explain this and they'll release my funds. No, they won't. In fact, what's so infuriating about it is you don't even have anyone to argue with. You talk to people who say, I agree with you. I would help you if I could. I would totally do it. This totally makes sense. But I don't have the authorization to do it. You ask, okay, who does? I'm sorry, nobody. What do you mean nobody? Nobody. Well, can I speak to your supervisor? Sure. You get the supervisor. Sorry, I don't have authorization either. Well, who does? Nobody we can talk to. We don't have any access to them. We can't even message them. We have no way to reach them. There is no appeal. So once it happens, you are stuck. You could be 100% in the right and you will be stuck. Please remember that. You're not going to be able to reason your way out of this. You're not going to be able to talk your way out of it. You can't social engineer your way out of it. You are stuck. Is PayPal a crappy company? Yes, they've always been a crappy company. That's the dirty little secret with PayPal. They suck. I hate them. They're awful. So do not count on them to treat you fairly, because they won't. But follow these guidelines I gave you, and use the refund to get out of any account freezes, and if the refund option is not there, call them up. And if you calling them doesn't work, then have whoever paid you call them up and demand the refund. They'll get it. And do it that way as much as you can. That's my suggestion regarding PayPal. And I hope you've learned. We're going to take a little break here. We've still got the coronavirus discussion. We've still got a Ray Davis update. Still have a Golden Nugget Atlantic City story. And maybe my editorial, but I'm kind of losing energy. I don't know if I will have the... Desire to do that when we get there. This show's actually been longer so far than I expected it to be, and we still have a while left. Now, there's only three coronavirus topics, so it's not going to be a super long corona segment this time, but I'm already starting to feel it in my voice, feel it in my throat, and I have to take a little break here. It's got a... uh, we got a message here, which I, I hope is only on one side here. I think it's from Mumbles Badly. 
Dref listening live through the website and the audio has weird clipping. Is anyone in the chat room hearing the same thing? He said he can't get into the chat room because he's only on his phone. I hope there's not a weird clipping because <laughs> I'm not going to redo the show. I hope it sounds okay to you guys. That would suck. That would suck if I spent all this time and there's this weird audio clipping. But I, I hope it's only your phone. All right, we will be back shortly. We'll play our usual Eric Benzamokin ad. And I will be back. Hold on. Caller, you're on the air. This is a fraud show. Yes, it is. You've called me just as I'm about to take a little break. But uh, actually, I've got good news, though, from Grenada Roger. There's not clipping. Mumbles badly scared me that my whole show's had clipping on it. They text me. They say that you need some kind of break. Is that right? I didn't text you, but I guess you got like Not the call you. of the wild. Someone else did. Oh, okay. I, you you got the correct message. I, I do need a break. I was going to take it and play the Eric Benzamokin ad. And, well, that's and then, fine. Now, listen, I couldn't call in earlier because there was a conflict of interest. A conflict of interest. Oh, with the sucking cocks and all that? Yeah. I, I had to abstain. Okay. I, with the girls? Yeah. No, I, I, I kind of understand, kind of don't, but all right. <laughs> <laughs> How's the show going tonight? It's going fine. You know, I've uh, I've, I've been handling it. I'm starting to get a little uh, sore here. Did you believe? Talking. I just woke up from a nap. It's two o'clock. I just woke up. Like I literally just woke up, and I put a hundred dollars because I forgot you were on on uh, this Korean baseball game to watch. I really got. Have you gotten into <laughs> Korean baseball at all? No, no. I'm not making this up. It's live on ESPN right now. The uh, the Korean Baseball League, they show a game every night at 2, 2.30. So it's not, it's not a game that, so. that started hours ago that you're betting on just now? Uh, no, it just started. Okay. It's the KBO. No, it's the second I, inning. I, I, I the, Lions and the, the Lions and the Kia Tigers. I just the Samson the Samson Lions and the Kia Tigers. I, I love just, how everything is like a TV company or a car company there. It's really funny. Like the other teams like LG this, Samson that, Sony that. Pretty funny, huh? That well, may happen here eventually. Yeah. So, um, well, I'll stick with you for a little bit if you want me to. Yeah. Do you have? To, well, now I'm going to take this break here. I, I do need the break. It's not. It doesn't have to be that long. But now, would you like to do a solo? I, I know last time you actually went. No, out. I just woke up. So okay. you know what? I'm not ready for all that yet. <laughs> Why don't you put me on the Benzamoke and what have you and. I'll come back. I literally just woke up. Okay, I, so, was, I was listening. It was a good show. Oh, good. I'm, I'm glad you're yeah. listening. It helped me get to help me sleep for about five hours. <laughs> that's what. That's unfortunately. What Listen, I will tell you something though. They say after the the, the really deep uh, riptides of the Pacific Ocean, the second dangerous or most dangerous waterway in the West Coast are those damn Bellagio fountains. I just learned that this week. <laughs> I, just, I mean, I don't get that at all. Like I turned away. Like really. <laughs> Send help. like <laughs> Very odd to me. Yeah, how much does that suck if you're about to drown in the fountain and some guy jumps in and he's like, oh, thank you. And he's like, you know what? This is too dangerous. I'm going to go back. I, I don't think I can make it out there. We're going to send the bigger ship. I mean, like, really? <laughs> Maybe they should have, like, a little mini Coast Guard station out there to rescue people. Because this is probably... I don't know. I think this is the first time I've actually heard of a drowning. That's what I said. I've heard of people I, yeah, jumping, jumping in there constantly, but... Yeah. I just wonder what was so dangerous about it. I, I wonder what's so hard to swim in there. I, I kind of want to jump in myself now and test it. But, you know, did, did it say in the article how deep it was? No. 
Okay. Because, like, you know, I guess if it's seven, eight feet, then it wouldn't have to even be dangerous. It's just the same as somebody drowning in a swimming pool just because, they, you know, there are people that really can't swim. And well, I don't know. I've, what I'm picturing here, the part that's throwing me for the loop is the guy who jumped in and went back because it was too hard. I pictured, like, a homeless guy who was drunk or, or something else was wrong with him, and he jumped in. And, and he tried to swim to something, and then he started getting tired or cramped or whatever, and then he didn't know what to do and, and just kind of started sinking and, and yelling for help. So at that point, like that happens in swimming pools sometimes too. But I, what I don't understand is the person jumping in to save him, like starts swimming like, oh, man, this is too hard. Forget it. Like what is what is so hard about that fountain to swim? It's not that large. Yeah. Well, it's the kind of call that maybe uh, the colonel needs to make from England to find out. <laughs> And inquire. Say it's, you, you call the Bellage and you tell them that this this story, sad as it is, has really picked quite the interest over in the UK, across the pond, no pun intended. And you you know your listeners, your friends, whoever it is, a poker in there, they all want to know, and you know you can ask them some fascinating questions about their pond. I guarantee you, whoever you talk to, unless it's somebody that like maintains the fountain, they're not going to know either. That's what I'm like you call the front know, yeah. desk and ask how deep it is, and they're not going to know. They're going to have no idea. That, so. that's, well, that's what I think is going to happen if I call. That's the only problem. Of course. Yeah, but it'd still be funny. But anyhow, uh, go take your – what are you going to do during your break? You got to just catch up with some emails, text messages, that sort of thing? No, I wish it was that fun. Uh, I've got to – I go do some uh, rinsing of my mouth with a dry mouth rinse and uh, – Oh, wow. I, I drink some water, stuff like that. Go to the bathroom. Okay. Well, you know, play the commercial. I'll be here when you get back. Okay. We will do that. Right. Uh, by the way, when they come back, there may be some dead air, and they won't be able to hear you. I, I just I shut off all the audio while I play it, and then uh, yeah, that's fine. When I return, so just don't talk. No one will hear you. Well, you can talk. Okay. No one will hear. I you. won't. Okay. Sure. Well done. Okay. Now, most of you guys know that I'm very picky regarding which sponsors I take. If I don't believe in the product or service being offered, I don't take the ad. And that's why I lose money on the site every month, even though I'm a cheap Jew, and it kills me to send out that money every month knowing that it is not coming back in. But I'm really, really excited about this new Poker Fraud Alert sponsor because I feel he's providing a service to the poker community that they really, really need. Eric Bensamokin is an attorney and a longtime poker player who provides arbitration and mediation for poker and gambling-related disputes. Now, simply put, if someone owes you money, or if they think you owe them money. He's a fully impartial third party you can trust to listen, understand, and decide who's right. The reason you can trust him is because Eric is a licensed attorney in the state of California and federally, and he's able to arbitrate and mediate for you no matter where you live. So you don't have to be in California. You can be anywhere, and he can arbitrate or mediate for you. What makes Eric perfect for this is the fact that he's an attorney bound by the rules and ethics of the state bar, and he's also a longtime poker player, so he understands the issues of our community. And at the same time, he's an outsider, and he's probably not likely to know anybody connected to your dispute. So you're not going to have to worry that he's friends with a guy that you're disputing with, or even friends of a friend. He's really an outsider to the community who plays poker for fun, but knows the community really well. It's perfect, and he's a licensed attorney. You can't do better than that. This means you will get a completely impartial decision from a qualified attorney who understands everything. And I'll be honest, if I had a poker-related money dispute with someone, Eric is the exact type of arbitrator or mediator that I would be looking for. Take down his email address, eric at eblawfirm.us. That's eric at eblawfirm.us. 
If you feel you're being scammed or if someone owes you money or if someone's accusing you of owing them money, just send Eric an email. It's not going to cost you anything. It's not going to hurt you. Just send him an email, and he'll tell you what he thinks of the whole situation, and then he can go from there. Eric can perform both arbitration, where he decides who's right, and mediation, where he helps both of you figure out your own agreement. Keep the email address around, even if you don't have a dispute at the moment, because you never know when one will come up, and Eric is exactly the man you need for the job. That's eric at eblawfirm.us. That's attorney Eric Benzamokin, eric at eblawfirm.us. All right, we're back here. Brandon, you still with us? Well, we lost Brandon for the moment, but we will continue on here with our coronavirus discussion. I want to discuss something which is kind of personal to me, but personal to a lot of you as well. And that is whether the schools should reopen or not. And there's been a lot of debate about this in the past uh, week or so. And there's especially a lot of debate about this because Trump came out with a position on this one. And you know whenever Trump takes a position on something that uh, there's going to be certain people who are going to echo that position and certain people who are going to vehemently oppose it. So that has happened here related to reopening schools. We're currently in late July. Schools tend to open in mid to late August, which I think is stupid, by the way. When I went to school, and I went to public school, by the way, but when I went to school, school opened in uh, early September. I never went to school in August. Never, ever went to school in August. So I'm not even used to school starting in August, at least from my own experience. And I, I think it's kind of stupid because it's hotter than, like, why, why not let the kids start in September? But whatever, it moved to August. And that's been that way for some time. So we got about a month, in some cases less, to wait until school starts in most of the country. And there's the debate about what should be done. Now, on one hand, kids need to be in school. It's not healthy for kids to be at home. Kids do not do well learning in the remote Zoom-type environment. It's just hard for them to take it seriously that they're at school when they're really at home. Kids kind of have a hard time getting it through their head, hey, I'm really at school when they're sitting in their house where they're used to being for leisure time. This even plagues adults to some degree, people who work from home. They have a harder time concentrating or getting as much done as compared to when they're in the office. It's, it's much easier to goof off when you're at home. It's much easier to justify in your head why it's okay to screw around when you're not physically in the office. So if, if that happens to adults, you can imagine what happens to kids who uh, really will have trouble concentrating. Let's see if we can reach Brandon again before I continue this. just want to get his take on it, even though this isn't a topic that has much to do with him. He doesn't have any kids. I'm back. Okay. I wanted to see if you had any opinion on this. I don't know if you've been hearing what I've been saying, but notice you weren't here anymore. But anyway, there there's some that believe that it's just time for the kids to go back. It's just not healthy. They, they've all been out of school for the most part since March, and that it's just not healthy for them to continue being out of school indefinitely, even if they do it through Zoom. It's just not healthy for them 
send them, especially because the kids themselves are not in danger, especially the younger children. Uh, there's very few children, like my son's age, who are nine, who are going to get any kind of severe effect from the coronavirus. It just doesn't affect kids that badly. Most of them are asymptomatic. The few that are symptomatic uh, tend to have mild symptoms. So, it's, in fact, the flu is much more dangerous for children than COVID-19 is by a wide margin. So that's that's also something to consider. If you if you weren't terrified of the flu before all this for your kids, you shouldn't be terrified of this for your kids. The, 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 the flu is much more dangerous and much more likely to kill them. So the real question is about the adults. Is it safe for the adults to send the kids back to school? Is it safe for the teachers? And is it safe for the parents that may get the coronavirus brought back home to them from their kids who catch it at school? Now, I had to deal with this decision. I mentioned this last week on the show. I had to deal with this decision because my school district for, for Benjamin told me I had to decide either to uh, have this Zoom schooling where he stays at home or to send him in for half days of two and a half hours of five days a week. And I actually was going to select the Zoom schooling anyway, but... That decision was taken away from me because they announced later in the week, and this is about a week ago now, that they were going to have the Zoom schooling for everybody because California's cases are just too frequent now. It's just too high a case, especially in in Southern California. So that decision was made for me anyway, but I would have gone with the Zoom schooling even if I had the decision. The reason I made the decision is because I don't want to catch it. And I, I think at the moment with California peaking, with the, the cases being so high in Southern California, that this would be a really stupid time to send him back after all the effort I've put in to be careful here. And, and, and that his mom has put in to, to be careful. And both Benjamin's mom and I are over 45. And we really both don't want this thing. So we, we, we were looking at like, you know, maybe after a few months pass and there's uh the cases go way down, we would reconsider. But as I said, the decision was taken out of our hands. The CDC has said that they feel that it is safe to send kids to school. And part of the reason the CDC claims this is that uh, most studies tend to show that kids do not transmit the virus to adults very easily or at all. I'm not sure why or the mechanism of that, why that, how that is the case, but they claim that. However, there's a situation in Israel. Israel is already back at school. They have a different school schedule than we do here, I guess. But they, they're already back in school, and as soon as they sent their kids back to school, they went from a very mild coronavirus problem to one that is uh, much worse. They're not one of the worst places in the world, but they, they have a lot more cases than they used to. It's getting much worse there, and it all started right when they sent kids back to school, and they were able to trace it down that the schools were the second highest – Uh, transmitters of the virus in the country. So definitely something was happening there, which does call into question, maybe the kids can transmit it to the adults, but then some are saying, well, maybe the adults were giving it to each other because there are several adults at the school too, of course, Uh, the teachers and administrators, maybe they were passing it around to each other and the kids were passing it around to each other, but it wasn't transferred between kids and adults. But I don't know. It's kind of hard for me to believe that, that adults just can't get it from kids. It may be harder to get it from kids, but it's, just, it's hard for me to believe that it's just if a kid has it, you're just not going to catch it if you're an adult. So if, if I believe that, I would send Ben to school because I'm not afraid of what will happen to him if he gets it. 
I'm afraid what happened to me and what will happen to his mom. So there's a great school debate going on right now. And you have one side that is insisting that it's very bad to not send the kids back. And you have another side that claims it's uh, terrible to send the kids back and that it's just not caring about the teachers. Uh, Brandon, do you have an opinion on this one? Well, the poor little boys and girls in Syria, they haven't, they've been out of school for seven years now because of the Civil War. <laughs> so if we got to stay out for a year or so, I mean, come on, suck it up a little bit. But no, no, in all seriousness, I don't think they even know what they're talking about. They come, they say, well, kids can't trans, you know, can't give anyone the disease. Maybe next week kids can. It, it seems like they don't know from one week to the other what they're saying. Um, I think, seriously, what the hell? You keep kids out for one full year. Is that the worst thing in the world until we finally know, you know, what's really going on? Try to get, get a grip on this thing. And more importantly, think about this. If your mom, if your wife, if your loved one, whatever was a teacher, would you feel safe about them going every day? That's a real scary part. It's not as much the kids as it is that, you know, the cafeteria workers, the teachers, the teachers aides, the security at the schools. I mean, that's where I think it gets scary. Um, I think I read it. It was in South Florida, maybe Miami, maybe Broward County that the entire teachers union has voted and they refused to go back and they were suing the county. Um, I don't think that, yeah, it was Miami, Dade County. Um, so that's where I think it gets really scary. Like, can you force someone to, I mean, listen, they're giving football players, they disagreed to this and they did this with baseball. They're going to give football players that don't want to come back. Even if they're not at risk, it was like a quarter of a million dollars just as a paycheck, whether they were making half a million, five million, whatever it is, because they're worried. So, I mean, that goes to tell you right there, if you've got athletes that are in the prime of their health and, you know, in their 30s, 20s, that don't want to risk it, I mean, how can you force teachers to? I think that's what really the problem is. Well, that, that is um, the so problem, anyhow, yeah. And that's the, yes. the parents are the second problem, that they, the parents uh, – Well, it, like, true. Like, like now, I get the whole thing like, you know, the problem parents have to stay home. They have to – you know, if you have kids that are like 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, you know, Ben Ben's age, it's, you can't – it's kind of hard to work. But I think the risks really outweigh everything else. I mean, I don't know. How would you feel if your wife, your girl, your mom, your sister was was a teacher and she had to go every single day? Would you feel safe? Would you feel comfortable with it? Well, with yeah, the protocols. If, yeah, and- if, if, the, if they had to go, that like I understand the teachers' union's point. Uh, I, I saw some obnoxious things they said. Like I saw some of the quotes, like uh, "We're not daycare providers, just so you can go back to work." Like I, I thought that was an obnoxious thing to say. They, they should just come out and just say. We think it's dangerous for us. We forget about we're not daycare providers. That's stupid. They should just say we fe- we don't feel comfortable. We're afraid that this is dangerous and can endanger our health, and we we don't we don't want to do it. That should be their their entire argument, and that's one that you can understand. Now, there's some people who counter back. What about all the other essential workers? What about grocery store workers? What about uh, workers in other jobs? What about healthcare workers? They endanger themselves every day. And uh, the, at least the healthcare workers, you can say, well, they signed up for working in a place where people are sick, but but grocery store workers didn't. They they're stuck going to work for this. So I can understand that counter argument too. But uh, but then there is the question, like the older teachers, what do you do about them? What about the middle aged teachers? Like a, uh, there there's been some proposed solutions, like well, why not just have all young teachers there? But then there won't be enough. There won't be enough teachers to go around. 
you, you can't just have all young teachers. You, you eliminate all the middle-aged and older teachers, and all of a sudden there's a big teacher shortage. So there's no easy solution to this. And uh, I, I do feel bad for the teachers who are older, or even ones my age, that, uh, that say, crap, I just feel like I'm, I'm walking into a COVID trap here that I'm eventually going to get it. And they do see, in, like in Israel, there, there was a, a big problem with it going around the schools. And that's, I think, something we might see here. So I, I, I can see, like, I, see, I get to see firsthand what happens when the kids are not in school for this extended period of time. Because Benjamin does, is one of those kids who doesn't take the Zoom classes very seriously. It, it's very hard for him to see this the same as he sees school. And, uh, and, and you, you, you try to force him to, and, and, and he complains, and you have big fights about it. And, and I thought, okay, maybe it's just my kid acting this way. And then I find out that, like, every parent's having this problem. What does he do? He just ignores it? Like, he just fiddles yeah, around? Yeah, and he, doesn't gets pay, bored. he doesn't pay attention. And then he doesn't want to do the, the work. It's like, it's hard, hard for him to kind of, like, picture he's in school. He just sees he's at home. He wants to go back to playing Roblox. He wants to go back to watching YouTube. And like, he just, it's hard to separate it like in school you know you're physically over in a different in a building that's not your house and you know the purpose how long, is there to be at school how long so, are the typical zoom zoom school days back when they were doing this like how long would would a zoom day last it wasn't even that long you would like he would be on there for like two hours or something and and the rest you're supposed to be doing the work at home they assign work and you do that he, he really hated that too and and then i found like all, all kids were like this and so i, I can see the problem and and also the kids aren't socializing with each other. You, you've got really like kids just staying at home, watching YouTube and, and playing video games is what they're what they've been doing for the last six months or not six months, last, like four months, and it's going to be six months soon. And and I can see if you extend this even more, you go, what the hell are you doing to these kids? But you know they'll like long term. What is this really going to do to them? Like I, I understand what you're saying. Like if you keep them another year, that sounds like a lot. But in the grand scheme of things, no, I didn't even life, say another year. I said another, you know, till spring, well, you know, even, which would be a year. It's not, you know what I mean. It's only been, you know, schools closed in March, so we're only at like not even six months. We're very, we're basically March, April, May. We're basically at three, three and a half months because you know the summer, which they wouldn't be in school anyhow. So I'm, is it really that big of a deal to keep it closed till January? And re- reevaluate after the fall. That's See, what I would suggest. Right, and I, I would especially suggest it in places that are hard hit at the moment. So, so California. Well, because the other thing is, people don't even know about this second wave in the winter. Like, what happens if things get really bad? Isn't it always harder to reshut something down once you open it back up again? Meaning, in October, November, no one really knows how bad it's going to be, or how or how better it may be. I mean, I, it could be better. Most likely, it's going to be worse. I think but, where they should reo- where they should look into reopening are places that seem to be largely past it, like like New Jersey and New York. Uh, they it seems like no matter what they do over there, it's just not getting bad again. They uh, they they have the protests. It doesn't it doesn't seem to affect it. They have somewhat of a reopening. It doesn't seem to affect it. Like they seem to really have some kind of partial herd immunity in those places, which were super hard hit back in April. And yet places like California, Florida, Texas, which didn't have it badly, now are experiencing it pretty badly. So these are the places where I don't think you want to open the schools because we're right at the worst point. That was my thinking. Like I, I had to decide. I said, yeah, it would be better for Benjamin to go back at the moment, but it just seems so foolish. I said, imagine how stupid I would feel if I sent him back. He caught it. He gave it to me. He gave it to his mom. And then California's cases go way down in October. And I go, crap, why didn't I just leave him out for a short time longer? 
and, and everyone would have been fine. So I, I think that, that the peak is happening right now in several places around the country and that uh, move, dropping the kids into school and endangering the teachers and, and the parents is, is a mistake in, in places like that. But you should consider reopening where it seems like that they're mostly past it and that they should be deciding based upon what's going on in each area. That's what I think should be done. So where I am, I think they shouldn't be reopening. And and I do understand the teachers being apprehensive about this. So uh, I, I that's how I feel here. And I don't, I just don't think it's the worst thing in the long term for the kids to miss some more school. It's it's not ideal. It's not. What well, we're not even. We're talking. We're talking right now. What like I said, it's been about three months. I think it was like the end of March that most schools started closing. So and then you bumped right into summer. So yeah, what's the worst case scenario if we hold schools back another two or three months just to see what happens and be precautious? Well, see, I don't. I don't. I don't, I, I don't think. Yeah. Here's the problem. We're not going to be anywhere. As, I don't think we're going to be anywhere as far as a vaccine or a treatment in two or three months. That's much different than today. What we may have in two or three months is that some of the bad spots like California, like Texas, like Florida, like Arizona, like Nevada may be significantly better by then. Well, I don't know about that. I read that this trial that was showing promise is entering now the, the last stages this uh, uh, of FDA approval. So who knows? I mean, if that's really true, then we could have something in three months. I just I hear so many things like this and they never pan out. I just uh, <laughs> well I know I, I know you're right you're right you're you're right. Well you know the easiest way to say is if I had a kid in the city that I live in now I wouldn't let them go to school. If I had a child school age I wouldn't. I now, wouldn't you're you're saying you wouldn't let them for for your sake because you'd be afraid to, that they'd bring it to you. That that's what I. That's for, what well yeah for my sake and for the child's sake and for you know any, anyone the child runs into you know other family members friends yeah I would keep the child at home right now sure. Because I'm not that worried. If see, if the choice is all, if if I could be guaranteed in some way that let's say, but you can't. But that's re- yeah. that's re- that's that's not even realistic. No, you can't. I'm, I'm you just saying for that, I, if I had to decide, like, let's say I knew I wasn't going to get it and Ben's mom wasn't going to get it, only he could get it. I would send him not because I'm callous about Ben's health, but because I don't. I think the benefits he'd get from returning to school would outweigh the the bad side of getting covid for him because he's in an age group which just really isn't right. affected much by it but but that's that's not really a logical proposition only because there's you know you're the parents yeah the so parents and, not, and both yeah. of us are over 45 so that's i don't think that's a good sure. thing to bring into the house so, so that's uh, so yeah i i it looks like we agree on that one so that's that's the great school debate about it and uh see people i'm actually i'm actually more on the side of the democrats hey, on this one um not to totally change the subject i just don't want to forget you can finish up your covid but i just woke up and i saw something on the las vegas review journal uh, that's the local newspaper for those that don't know in vegas that are claiming that there's going to be an anarchist protest on the strip tomorrow night uh saturday so i guess that'd be tonight at 7 p.m and they're getting very worried and they're thinking about bringing in the national guard Mm -hmm. so at some point before the show ends google it Pull up the article and go over it because who knows? We could have a. Uh, they're afraid of basically a, a, a Portland occurring on this trip, and of all places, it's in front of the Bellagio. <laughs> Maybe they'll start drowning in the fountains tomorrow. But yeah, I just read it now. It wasn't on there when I fell asleep. It wasn't on there earlier today. That there's a couple anarchist websites, and they put out basically like SOSs for all anarchists to meet tomorrow in Vegas at 7 p.m. Wow. Which is just nuts to me. So cover that 
let's make sure we read the article and talk about it before we we go off the air because that's kind of interesting. Well, you know what? I'm glad I saw it because I mean, not that I'd be you know on near the Bellagio tomorrow at 7 p.m., but you just never know. Yeah, I mean, well, I'm glad maybe, I saw the, maybe the Bellagio can use the fountain to their advantage. They can use it kind of like a moat. Let me ask you something. That's funny. That's funny. That's fun. So let me ask you, if you had to pick one of two reasons not to go, say you had a thousand dollars in free play that were expi- that was expiring at the Bellagio, would you be more, would you be less likely to go because of the COVID or because of an anarchist rally in front of the Bellagio? <laughs> you can only pick one. I think, I think I'd rather the, the rally than the COVID because at least the rally I could, I could see and then decide to turn around and not go in. Like if I, if I walked up to the Bellagio, and, and it looked bad that the, the anarchists were going crazy. I could just say, nope, I'm going to turn around and go. With the COVID, you can't see it. You can't see yeah. the danger. It's just there. Yeah. God, we're going to have a good old-fashioned anarchist rally maybe, huh? You know what? You don't hear about those too much in yeah, Vegas you, these you days. Know, what's funny is in the 1980s, it, on, in the BBS community, which is the computer bulletin board, it's kind of the precursor to the Internet as you know it today, uh, there, was a, there were a lot of anarchists on there back then. I had a big exposure to the anarchist movement. And it was different than today though. It, it was it was uh it wasn't as dangerous or activist as you see now. It was just kind of people who just believed in uh like not much government regulation, you do what you want. That that, that was kind of what the anarchists were in the eighties for the most part. At least the ones I was exposed to. The, the ones now or a lot more uh, ominous and scary, and and uh, and like to cause trouble. So I, I definitely would not want to be there for an anarchist rally. But who knows? Sometimes these things will be hyped up on the internet and turn out to be nothing. Yeah. Did uh, hold on? Did you see? Did you Google and find the article? No, I didn't. I, I was just talking to you about it. Here, okay, hold on. I'm going to send it. Send you the link. Well, I'm googling it right now to see if I can find. Okay, it. it's yeah. Go to the link that's. Okay, I'll let you just Google it. Just type in Las Vegas News. will be the first thing that comes up. Oh, yeah, um, I see that. I and see pl- it, and try to get it, – it's weird. Sometimes they make you have to, like, sign in through an anonymous browser. But try to get, if you can read it, the, the Review Journal article because it's the most thorough one of the ones I've found so far. Yeah, and I, I do have to do it through a incognito mode, but I can, I can see it now. Okay. So, uh, yeah, so it says that this is for Saturday, which I guess is today technically – and that left-wing af- activists are planning to protest on Las Vegas Strip in support of the ongoing clashes between demonstrators and military-style federal agents in Portland. And uh, now, wait, what? You know what? It's it's smart enough to see I'm in incognito mode here. It, it didn't used to be that way. Let me uh, let me go in a different browser then. All right. Yeah, I, I, it's I, not I can read it. But you're you're good at that stuff. Yeah. You break it down very thoroughly. Okay, so, but, uh, yeah, so it's scheduled to take place. I'll read it until Druff gets the article. Um, left-wing activists, as Druff mentioned, are planning to protest on the Strip tonight at 7 p.m. in front of the Bellagio at 7 p.m. Uh, a call has gone out on the Anarchist website. <laughs> this is, I didn't even know this. The, the official Anarchist website apparently is it's going down.org. That's the <laughs> anarchist website. So an official call has gone out on the anarchist website. It's going down.org for protests that take place in other cities as well. At the same time, including New York, Seattle, Phoenix, Washington, DC, Minneapolis, and Dallas. 
Federal and local law enforcement uh, authorities in Nevada, specifically Vegas, are now preparing for the protests. It is not known how many people will show up. Uh, U.S. Marshal Gary Schofield, who is responsible for protecting the federal judiciary in Nevada, said late Friday night that he's concerned about real possible violence and is reaching out to community leaders for help in ensuring a peaceful demonstration. Yeah, I, I see it here. Say, I was able to bring it up through uh, outline.com. Okay, but, you got it? Yeah, I, I see it. It, it, it is, I, I love it. It's going down.org. <laughs> I mean, really? Can you be more dramatic with your website? Jesus. And then they, they say, yeah, we don't want what's occurring in Portland to occur in Nevada. We f- fully support the rights of our citizens granted in the U.S. Constitution during these turbulent times of our country. Uh, what cannot be allowed is disruption of the court by acts of violence against the court of distraction or the court facilities. See, um, I was going to talk about this at the end of the show. We might as well do it now. I don't understand the opposition to the the federal forces coming in and preventing things like this. I, I think people have people have gotten confused in recent times what peaceful protest really is and and what your rights are as far as protest and what they're not. So, if if you want to just go out on the streets and hold signs or chant. And, and get attention to your cause, that is peaceful protest. And if the government tries to interfere with that, then they are violating your rights. And that uh, that's something I always support pe- people being able to do, no matter what the cause is or, or whether I agree or disagree with it. But anything that involves vandalism or arson or assault or blocking roads or throwing things at police, that's not peaceful protest. That It just isn't. It doesn't matter if... if of the crowd is peaceful and 20% is not peaceful. That's still not a peaceful protest. So either, either the protest is peaceful and everybody's behaving or it's not. And people are not behaving and are disrupting. And, and what you're doing when you do anything other than just, just, uh, protesting peacefully, you're violating other people's rights. You, you, you can't destroy things. You can't block roads. You can't do things that are going to, uh, infringe upon the rights of other people to live normally. And you can't just say, well, my protest is so important, I can infringe upon their right. No, you can't. So I feel that if that, that the government does have the right to stop this, and, and, if the, uh, and if it does involve federal property and the local government chooses to stand down and do nothing, if the federal government wants to send in people to put a stop to this, then I feel they can and should, and I'm happy to see it. That's, that's how I feel about this. And I, I think it comes down to, to what you consider peaceful protest to be. Were you, were you going to say something about this, Brandon? No, I agree. I, I'm on the same page as you. Yeah. and, and I get it. And, and I want to tell everybody, it's not about suppressing uh, protests or suppressing people's dissatisfaction with things right now. I want that to be able to be expressed. I want you to be able to protest, but peacefully. But unfortunately, the definition of peaceful protest has been perverted in recent years to where a lot of things are happening that should not be I mean, happening. I know, this, I know this is a strange analogy, but it's like saying, you know how like sometimes in Europe, soccer events, there's like riots and, and just craziness. I mean, it could be happening yeah. in any sporting event, but say you go to, say you go to a soccer game, so, you know, say you go to a baseball game opening day and, and you know, the Dodgers are playing and every single fan except for one behaves great. But that one fan that didn't behave great, shoot somebody or kill somebody that's still going to overshadow and you can't say it was a peaceful day at the ballpark. 
I mean, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, like that's exactly. kind of the same thing. Like I get it, like 99,999 behaved well, but it's still, you know, the fact that one person was killed, it, you can't say it was a peaceful day at the ballpark. That's kind of the same thing. Yeah, and it's not I even mean, that small of a percentage. It's like the, the percentage of people in Portland who are causing a lot of issues and breaking the law uh, it's it's a lot higher than a tiny percentage, yeah. and and uh, so when this and I'll tell you what they're really scared about. It's not even. I mean, it is obviously you know the biggest fear of a tourist or you know a casino employee getting caught up in this and getting hurt. But just the perception now that this could be on the nightly news in every big city when Las Vegas. You know, did you talk about that at all? That what's going on here in terms of tourism and that. that there was obviously the initial spike of people that were like, you know what? Well, fuck it. I've been in the house for three, four, you know, four and a half months. I'm going to Vegas. And now things have gotten so worse and people have, you know, the, I guess the risk takers have been here that the numbers are going down in, ter- in terms of tourism to the fact that Sands, Las Vegas Sands, we're not counting Macau, Las Vegas Sands reported yesterday that they expect to lose a billion dollars. Yeah, that, that part I in mentioned. The second, yes, that, that part I mentioned. I didn't get into it as a fully billion as dollars yes, in the second quarter. That's insane. That. A billion, a billion for two properties. Yeah, it was very, it was very uh, negative what they put out there. Basically, saying if things just if they continue operating the way they are, where it's like a, a reduced Vegas with with no conventions and and little hotel occupancy and a lot of other things closed. Uh, there's not only can't we make money, we're going to lose a lot of money and that's going to remain that way. And it's going to remain that way for everyone. What's interesting to me is that at what point in which you're using, losing a billion dollars in, in a quarter, isn't it just cheaper to shut down until all this is over? Yeah. Th- th- like, that's, I mean, and that's what a lot of them are probably going to do when, if, if they sure. can't recover and that's, and, but, but anyhow, the, the reason behind all of it is that initially after a spike and, I guess a, uh, you know, the real spike being 4th of July weekend in terms of them being able to charge hundreds of dollars a night for room rates and things of that nature. Um, it's gone back down because, you know, big cities have gotten worse. People now are back to where they were. We're okay. The initial, you know, we got out of the house. We went to Vegas. People that were going to do that have done that. And now it's back to, you know, 20, 25%, you know, occupancy at most. I mean, that's, you know, one out of four. That's pretty big. Like that, you know, most hotels would take that. I'm talking about, you know, room reservations and, and occupancy. Um, but it's, it's really bad. I mean, it's, 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 it's insane. And forget all that stuff. It's still, you know, if you come here, you'll notice most of the restaurants aren't open. Um, you know, obviously none of the, the shows, night events, nightclubs, you know, parties, that sort of thing are back open. So there's really no entertainment, but, uh, well, that's that, and that's that's the reality everybody has. They they, yeah. they kind of think as they go there, they're going to return almost like in a time warp back to 2019 and 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 have a carefree weekend. And they come there and they go, "Crap, this isn't what I remember. This yeah. isn't the Vegas I thought I was coming to." Well, but screw this. If <laughs> I if someone would have asked me, if you would have asked me, "Oh, predict what you know, Sands second quarter earning reports are coming out. Can you predict, Brandon, what you think they're they're." losses will be or will it be a small profit i mean i would have predicted a loss but i wouldn't have guessed close to a billion dollars in one quarter i mean i wouldn't have come close to that number i mean that's a lot of money no, even I, for a I guy think, that's one of the richest men in the world they didn't say that in the article but i think it may have been because of macau also they're just not saying it but uh they didn't say what that macau also had to do with it oh okay 
they didn't say it, but I, I bet that it did. And I think the reason they didn't say it is because I think they're trying to be dramatic to pressure. Well, it emphasized it emphasized Las Vegas Sands. Yeah, well, so that's why I figured it was just those two properties and the convention center, of course. I, I had thought that Las Vegas Sands is everything. It's just the name of the corporation. Maybe I'm wrong about that. That's what I thought. Whenever I hear Las Vegas Sands, I just think of uh, Sheldon Adelson's uh, Empire of Casinos, including Macau. Okay. Uh, so I, I, I think it may have been everything, but they were just – Well, that would, make, about, that would make much more sense then. Well, that's why they're talking about it. But I think the reason they were putting it out this way is I think they're trying to pressure the governor – to change things around as far as uh, what's allowed and what isn't allowed because they're trying to make it look like if, if we just remain open this way, then we're just going to lose our ass and, and everything's going to fall apart. I think that's what they're trying to emphasize, which which might be true, but I think that's why the, the, they put out this eye-popping billion-dollar loss thing without really explaining that Macau had to do with it as well. That, that's my it guess. Is. You know what? You're right. You're right. I just found it. That was just such a generic article. I went to the Motley Fool, which is more of a finance-driven site, and it is counting Macau, which makes much more sense now. But just to give you a frame of reference, last year um, they made the same exact quarter. They made a net profit, and again, that's counting Vegas and Macau, of $555 million, the same time frame. And this year they're going to lose close to a billion dollars, 900 million and change. Yeah. I, I saw that. So, but yeah, that's counting the cow. Okay. That makes sense. But when, I, I should have known better. But when I originally saw that and it was kept being referenced, Las Vegas, Las Vegas, and they, the review journal article didn't do a very good job of, of explaining what they were referencing. But yeah, I just found another article. It is Macau as well. So that does make a lot more sense. But because you think, I, how I, can they lose you know, a billion in three right. months? But I, but I do see the point though, that they, I always did think that it didn't make sense to me that Vegas could remain profitable with so many things closed, plus the conventions just not coming. It just it just didn't make sense because there's so many different ways they diversify. They, they did say that in the Las Vegas Review-Journal article that they've diversified away from gambling, so now if you take these things away, it kills them, and that's, that's true. So that, yeah, sure. So that's – they didn't expect it, but the diversification away from gambling actually made them more vulnerable, not less to something like this uh, hurting them. So anyway, the the thing. Yeah, we- but you know what? The, who could have ever thought, you know, when they did that or anyone that we're going to ever be at a point where people have to be six feet apart from each other, that you couldn't have. You know what I mean? It's no, just no not one thought of it. I think is realistic. No, no one thought of this. That's, that's the same yeah. reason no one expected the, the cruise industry to be shut down for so long. There's a lot of things people would not have predicted that uh, – this is just something you don't think of until it happens. So then the other thing that's interesting is, you know, for Vegas, um, and I don't know if you covered this, you probably didn't, is this week, or actually I should say last week, it was the last PUA or stimulus provided by the government for unemployment. So the average, for those that don't know what that, that means, since March, uh, any American that was unemployed uh, was eligible to receive not only their normal unemployment from their state, but an additional $600 a week from the federal government. Um, so many people that I know, including poker players, were getting $1,000 every week, every week backdated to March. And that ends now. The $600 portion, you know, which is the grand salami, the majority of it ends. So I wonder how that's going to start tightening people's 
you know, pocketbooks and, and purses and wallets because that's, you know, some people are losing 60% of their income starting this week. You're talking 30, 40 million people that were getting a thousand a week. Some people are getting more than they've ever made before in their lives. Yeah. You know, so I'm just saying like in terms of, Hey, you know, cause I'm sure a lot of people did that, you know, that, that, Hey, we got a thousand, especially people that could drive here. We got a thousand this week, a thousand next week. Let's save our money and let's go to Caesar's palace or let's, you know, let's go downtown to Vegas, you know, and, and see if we can run it up. I, I guarantee you people have thought that way. Yeah. And, and um, that, that's good. That probably will hurt some. And then the, the whole thing with the, with the coronavirus getting worse in the southwestern u.s that's not good because all you hear about is uh, the the coronavirus cases going so uh, going back up and and the, the record number of cases that they're getting in california and arizona and nevada and uh, people think well who, who wants to go out and run into that before there was kind of the impression of oh we're, we're kind of getting past it even though it weren't, it was kind of the impression because they were reopening and, and the, yeah. number of, the number of deaths were going down. So people were assuming, okay, this is kind of going away somewhat. And now, now that there's all these reports of record numbers of cases, people are like, well, this isn't a good time to do this. <laughs> so people just don't want to go. And as you said, people who wanted to go really badly already got it out of their system and may have gone there and been not, not been very happy with See, what they found. I just don't get what all these companies and even the governor was you know i would have i mean i get why the governor had to reopen the city even in the face of adversity and some people saying it was too soon but now look what's happening the win which was steadfast and paying everybody they did a great job they just announced that they're going to have layoffs yeah i, I so mentioned did, that yeah. did you talk about that yeah i did yeah so did circus circus so did the tropicana which hasn't even opened up yet the tropicana slated to open up i think next weekend and they announced it too. So the big thing was the mayor was calling to open up this city to get people back to work. And now all these companies realize it's not going to, you know, and when they're laying people off, they know, especially a company like the wind, they know their forecast. It isn't going to get better in a month or two months or three months. They know it's, this is going to be bad going into, you know, first, second quarter of next year. And that's why they're doing this now proactively. Um, so to me, I don't even see the point. I think they should have just done it right the first time. I, that's what I would have liked to have done. Just done it right. Have a mask mandate months ago. Keep everything closed another, you know, two, three months. We're already three months in and then open it up the right way because things are now worse than they were before when we were closed. That's the irony of all this. Like here, at least things are way worse than they were when everyone was at home and isolated. They're worse now. What do you say? Worse? Have, you, mean, have, you mean coronavirus wise? Yeah. Coronavirus rise. We're averaging a thousand new cases a day and, and fifteen to twenty deaths every day now. Yeah, I see. We weren't, that. Ever, we weren't even near that before well, during the lockdown. That goes along with what I believe that everywhere has to experience it badly once, and that Nevada is having its time now. California is having its time now, and so are these other states: uh, Florida, Texas, uh, Arizona, and that this will last probably a few months, and then I think there should be some improvement. But they you have to weather the next few months, so that's why this. This is not a good time for any of these places to have reopenings, and it's and also it's going to start hurting things which involve entertainment. And as I was mentioning earlier in the show, it started – the belief is going towards that transmission is happening most often indoors in air conditioning and that's with a lot of people, and that's exactly what casinos are. Indoors with air conditioning and a lot of people. So that's uh, another thing that's turning people off is that uh, that's exactly where you don't want to be or what you don't want to do. 
So we yeah. will have to see what happens. There's no easy solution to this, and this is one of these things where you're damned if you do and damned if you don't. So that, and this is unprecedented territory. You can't look back and say, okay, well, what did they do ten years ago to get by when this happened? Like, there, there's nothing in anyone's lifetime who's around now who can go back and say, well, this this is the experience we had then. Let's do it like that, or let's not make these mistakes we did before. This is all new. Everybody's feeling it out for the first time, and uh, there's a lot people just still don't know, and there's a lot of confusion of the proper thing to do, and that includes reopening. And how much should be done, how little should be done, how much risk people should take, and uh, whether the current spikes we're seeing, uh, if it really is something like everybody gets, every area is going to get this once badly and then it'll improve, or if this is going to be just the way it stands in any place that's going to have any kind of reopening. So we'll, we will have to see. But I still believe that from watching New York and New Jersey that and Italy and places like that, that Everywhere has to endure it for a few months really badly, and then you'll get a big improvement, and then it'll kind of linger but not be anywhere as bad as it was before. And, hey, look at the numbers. Like New York, which was getting slammed with cases and slammed with 1,000 deaths a day, they had nine deaths yesterday. They they had uh, tens of thousands of new cases a day, 438,000 cases total. They were verified 906 yesterday. So that it shows you that like a vast improvement there, and and you can't say oh this is because Cuomo is doing such a great job. It's not. It's, it's something changed there. Something actually changed by itself over there, just like it did. Would well, you think it's maybe a weaker strand now? No, I what think you, it, you, I, it can't be herd immunity. No, it, yeah, I, I, it could be. Par- it could partially be, but not. I don't think it's enough. A city that big that it's that you think herd immunity has already begun there. I think it's a partial herd immunity, which is why it's not gone, but why it has reduced big time because it can't. It just simply can't transmit. And there's also a theory that that not everybody's equally vulnerable to, to catching and transmitting it. So so that uh, the what might be happening is that those who are most vulnerable uh, get it at the beginning when there's the big st- spikes. And once once it's run through those people, then it's harder to transmit it to the rest of the population. So not only do you take people out of the population who can't get it anymore because they already had it, but you also have uh, the ones who get it first are the ones who uh, are most vulnerable to get it, and then it starts getting harder and harder to infect people. It, it is there there is some belief that there are certain people who just have an immunity to it, maybe from having colds in the past, which uh, some colds are coronaviruses, just much uh, milder forms of ones. And uh, that that's well, that people, could be good. You could be good to go. Then, buddy. I, I thought you never about know. that. I've thought you. about that. With, I've had a lot of colds, so maybe I, I definitely have had coronavirus colds. Uh, so. Wouldn't that be Wouldn't that be ironic if all your past colds have turned you into a superhero, <laughs> yeah. like in a sense where you're just immune to it? Yeah, that would be great. I, I've I've when I heard about that, and all the people that made fun of your colds now would be eating crow. Yes, they they would be. It's funny. I, that would be great. That's if funny. That were true, but sure. anyway, that's. That's yeah, I know that's the way it stands right now. So let me let me move on to the next thing here. Uh, oh, I have one more question, yeah. and then we can move on. Since we kind of did cover, this has been the great debate this week, especially today, with the federal stimulus part. You're familiar with that, right? The make up the six hundred yeah. a week, and okay, so with that expiring, and most people, uh, or actually, I shouldn't say most, all people getting paid this week for the last time, even though it ends. July 31st, there was the way the law was written, nobody could receive money after July 25th. So it's going to end. It's done. No one's getting it. So there was debate today on 
to come up with a new stimulus to renew the 600 to give them a lesser amount. So from what I was reading, the Republicans, mainly the White House, feels that before the $600 was too much money. It was not enough of an incentive for people to go back to work. So the debate today was going as low as $200, $100 a week, or even just scrapping that and having a general stimulus for everyone again. Uh, so what are your thoughts on that? The people that are, you know, going to be losing that 600 a week, maybe getting 200, 300, 400 at the most. Um, do you think it should be continued until January? Do you think a lesser amount should be in effect or do you think nothing at all? Uh, I, I definitely don't think there should be an amount that disincentivizes work and, and there has been and there should be, I, I don't know what the right solution is here and you can't just completely just throw people to the wolves and say, okay, well, tough luck, uh, you're on your own. Well, because the problem is everybody's situation is different too, though. Yes. I mean, there are people that you're right that I'm sure like the person that worked at, you know, a restaurant, a grocery store, you know, a, a strip club even, whatever it may be that was making a couple hundred dollars a week. Now they're making a thousand. Why would they want to go back to work? You're right. But the person that had a, you know, a pool cleaning business or a lawn, you know, business or whatever, a, a restaurant catering business that is basically not, you know, someone that caters food for, for weddings, for bar mitzvahs, things, you know, things of that nature. They're not working at all. You know, and they're probably were making more than a thousand dollars a week, especially if they had employees. So someone like that, it's not a dis, you know, disincentive, but you know, so that's the thing. It's hard to lump everybody because everybody's different. You, you really just can't, you know, so. For the betterment of all, though, if you had to just try to come up with a number, do you, what would you say a fair number is? That isn't, you know, making people say, hey, I'm, I'm rich now. I'm just going to well, stay, stay that's home. The federal, that's the, there's the other complication of the federal and the state uh, where there are two different things. So well, what, the, states, what, the state's on average between 100 and 400 a week. So 400 is going to be basically the, the, the high water mark. So say right now most people are still going to get 400 a week if nothing – else comes from the federal government. I guess my question is besides the 400 a week, which isn't enough to, you know, if you're a single mom, single dad, that's not enough to pay rent, to, to you know, feed your kid, to pay your bills. So say you're getting 400 a week. What would you say would be fair in addition to that for someone? And we'll just, you know, we'll make it easy. We'll say for someone that really is truly out of work and, and, and whether it's their own business or their independent contractor or, or their company is just not working, you know, not open right now. What would you think a fair amount would be in addition to four hundred? Um, you think six hundred a week is fair? You think that's too much? Oh, yeah, I'll do that. Six hundred a week. Do you think that's fair? You no, think that's too I, much, I, I too little, that, or I the right amount? I think that's too much. But I have a second comment here: is that uh, this is this has been a long time criticism of unemployment insurance in general, long before this started. I'm talking about unemployment insurance now, not not this situation, which is like an emergency unemployment thing. Um, the, the long-time criticism of unemployment insurance is that for uh, for those who uh, whose unemployment insurance benefits are too close to what they made before, and and your benefits then for the unemployment insurance was kind of, sort of tied to what you made uh, when you were actually working, but and your employer would basically pay into that, and then if you qualified for the unemployment insurance, you would get it. But the the problem is people just realized that if, if it was close enough to what they were making before, it's better to just stay home, not get a job during the entire time of unemployment insurance until it expires. And and if, if 
you really have to take a few little gig jobs on the side under the table that nobody knows about to supplement the income. It's way easier than working a 40-hour-a-week job. And that's that doesn't take a genius to notice. I remember Master Scaler, when he had it, he, that's exactly what he did. He didn't he, he didn't want to go get a job until that expired. And there was one during that uh, recession in 2008, 2009, uh, they actually ex- extended those unemployment benefits for 99 weeks. And people just took advantage of it. People just said, well, screw it. Okay, good. I don't, have to take a, I don't have to get a job for 99 weeks. And they didn't. So, uh, so the, one possible solution to that is to where you're not disincentivizing work because the second you'll get a job, you lose those benefits. So now I, I understand with unemployment insurance, the whole point is to give people kind of a safety net for – now, I, I thought the solution on that one, which wouldn't work here, was that if you can't get a job for X amount of time, that then you're forced to go work for the government in some kind of crappy job. Uh, and and that'll incentivize people to get up off their ass and get the get the real job that they really need because they uh, they don't get to just lounge around at home. But uh, in the, in this situation here, maybe the proper solution is for everybody with uh, uh, you know with with a, a certain level of of need, you know, certain people whose whose income was a certain less than a certain amount, or maybe just all Americans to uh, to send a certain amount of money whether they're working or not and then the, those but but not a super high amount but but something that and then this incentive this doesn't disincentivize work now you can't now if, of course if you send this to all all adults who, who are uh, to all adults whether they're working or not under a certain income level then it's, it's more expensive but you send less and you also this way it doesn't disincentivize work that's that's one possible solution. Because the problem right now is, uh, you, you don't want people to feel like they've actually noticed some businesses that have reopened have had a hard time staffing, because some people say, "Screw it, we don't, we don't want to come back. We're doing better on unemployment." So that's that's what's kind of weird is that in, in some areas it's it's very hard to get a job, and in other places it's uh, it's hard to find employees because. Uh, if it doesn't pay enough, people are doing better with with sticking with the unemployment. So that's that is something that has to be addressed in some way. It, it's not a simple solution. I don't see this is the problem. I don't think I can just answer like a number that that you give because if you make it too low, then people don't have enough money well, to live on. Well, this is the thing, though. You have to answer a number because I, you know, well, you know, the government has to. So I'm asking you, you know, if you were in charge of this or if you had input, what would you suggest? I get it. No, nothing's going to be right. Nothing's going to fit all. But that's why I want your opinion. I mean, if, if you know you worked for the federal government and you were asked your opinion, what number would you suggest? I think I think six hundred is is fair. You said six hundred was too much, and I don't think I think six hundred, maybe five hundred, is is right. Or, well, right because, because the states are because if if they get it on top of what the states are and it's per week, and and you're looking what you're looking at here is it's not even. And then keep in mind, some months are. Uh, a lot of months are four and a half weeks. So you, you actually, in, in, in a two-month period, you have nine weeks. Uh, you, you multiply, like, look at just the 600 alone. You multiply that by nine weeks, which is about two months, and, and that's uh, $5,400. And that's, uh, it's not big money, but it's uh, it's actually more money than some people ever made who are getting this, which which is kind of crazy sure. if you think about it. That, that hey, but, be but it's also, but at the same token, it's also less money than some people were making. Yes, but I, but I'm saying that that's that's a big flaw in it. That, that this this money isn't just coming from nowhere, and, and if so, if you're going to spend that much, you you have to look at 
not only just incentivizing work, but are you actually giving people more than, than what they had before? Okay, that so really again, make sense. So right now I get it. So again, the stimulus ended. You're in charge, or somebody heavily relies on your opinion. What do you suggest to them besides the 400 at max that they'll continue to get weekly until the end of the year, till December 26? What would you say then? So someone's holding a gun to your head for your opinion. What number do you give them? See, I, I don't know. I, I, I've been well, that's not going to cut. Well, it. They no, they are top advisors. They don't want to hear. I don't know. Well, but I, would, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't have knows. two seconds to decide it, though. I would have a long time to think about it and research it. That's the thing here. I, I okay. don't. I, I don't. Uh, see, I, I don't want to sound like cold, and I don't care about the people who don't have uh, who, who don't have a job and have no way to make money. You can't just say, "Well, tough luck on them." And I understand that, and I don't think we should say tough luck on them. Uh, I also don't think that people should be receiving more well, money than they were before when they were working. Everything was normal, or or or, or, right. that, or that there's absolutely no incentive to return back to to work because uh, you're going to make the same or less than you would working. That that just doesn't make any sense. But to... right, but but the good part of, or I shouldn't say the good part, but one one. Uh result of that would you would assume would be the people that weren't returning to work were probably spending that money but that's what what you also don't want here's my other concern is that i mean they were probably putting it back in the economy i i don't know there are if there are a lot of people that have just started saving and hoarding their stimulus money since you know since march april Well, that that would actually be be better in some ways because what my fear is here is that if this drags on for a long time so we don't have it we still have an end in sight if this were to drag on for a long time we're going to keep needing this. That's why there's a talk about renewing it now. Uh, we're going to keep needing this. So what they, they, we're not going to have unlimited money, and you don't want to just keep giving money, 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 money. Otherwise, we're going to have a hyperinflation problem that can come. Well, well that seems. I think. I think that's the elephant in the room, buddy. I think we're past that point. I think they already know that we're headed towards hyperinflation, but nobody wants to scare the mass society and, and mention it. I think we're already past that point. They've given away too much money. No, they haven't so yet, this, but, but we can get I, there. We're not that – the thing is we – I think – well, I disagree with you, but okay, we'll see. Well, hyperinflation I, I think, would really destroy – that would wipe out everything. Like that's. Uh, I that, mean, I think we're very close. I think we're closer to that than we are to, to not being close to it. Well, if you think that, I mean, though, they should, the number should be zero. Because the, I'm, I'm not – I'm just telling you my opinion. I'm not – I'm just – I'm just – I mean, how many more – how many more different trillion-dollar stimulus packages can they give before we get to that dangerous level? I don't know how many, but we're we're not there yet. But uh, but but yeah, if 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 this were to go on for like another year and you keep giving it out the same thing, then you, you really are okay. There's a so let me ask you: I, I know neither one of us are economist majors, but on a on a percentage scale from zero to a hundred, what percent would you guess we are on the road to hyperinflation right now? Right now, today, not counting what's going to happen tomorrow, next week, a month, because we don't know about any more distributions. But right now, what would you say the percentage is that we're on the way? Like, like well, you got like twenty five percent. So we're not quite there, but we got. So we got to look to the future. So the problem is, people are in general, American society is very poor at saving money. It's, it's this has been an ongoing problem that people get money. The second people get money, it, it's in the American culture to spend it and not save it. And there's cheap Jews like me who save it, but there's not that many. And most people, they they, it actually bothers them to just be sitting on money. They feel like they need to spend it. It's almost like a waste to have money and not spend it. So the the problem with that comes from it, you can't change that behavior very easily. And when people get the money, they think, okay, I want to spend it. See, at least if people save it, then 
if, if most people saved what they what they were given, if they got more than they really needed, uh, then when uh, the government decides to say, you know what, we can't give away anymore, people go, oh, sweet, we have savings, so we can be okay. Well, that's not going to happen. What will happen is people are going to keep spending at the level they have. Much like th- – think about poker players when they're when they're winning. There are certain poker players that just keep spending at a very high rate, assuming they're going to win at the same rate. Even once they get like big tournament scores, they just don't understand that. Just yeah, but you know what? A lot right, but that's kind of a generalization of younger poker players that are in. Inex- that's like that's like your twenty-one-year-old, twenty-two-year-old Mark Newhouse that had to learn the hard way. I mean, I, do you really think there are a lot of poker winning poker players in the thirties and forties that still act like that now, all these years later? Well, I don't. Yeah, well, the thing is, a lot of the ones now they would have not made it to now. So there, there would be. It's just they didn't make it. They, they fell, they fell off exactly for that reason. But what I'm saying here is that people. If they, well, if, I guess like okay, Justin Bonomo. You don't know much about him. Only his public persona. He wins a high roller tournament at Aria. Do you think you know that week? He, he, you know, the next week, the next two weeks, he starts shooting off, or it's just like ho hum, goes right in the bank, off to the next tournament. No, I th- I think he probably isn't shooting off, but I'm saying the people who have made it this far in all these years in poker, they, they're less. They've made it because they haven't done that, uh, or I, they've learned, or they've learned or that they've you learned, can't do that. Yeah, they've learned and then they stopped doing. Well, it. like look at look at Newhouse as an example. He's made it. I mean, in the sense that he he's not you know selling laptops at Best Buy. I mean, yeah. he's stolen the poker in you know world fourteen fifteen years later after you know you know what I'm saying. So he most likely learned, and I'm sure he had to have by now. That you know, yeah, that you what, can't what I, you can't live that, that way. That, well, let me ask you this: Did you, uh, you know, without I know you, you know, I don't want you mad at me, but you know, the, I asked you once about the Pollo Tropical or the Pollo Loco, and it got too personal. If you don't want to answer, you don't have to answer. But did you get any an, any of this money from the first stimulus? You don't no, even, I, no, even have to say how much I, you no, got. I, no, I didn't get anything. I got nothing. oh, you didn't get anything. No. Okay, because I was going to ask you if you did, if if you spent it, or if you no, no, I well, didn't. Well, if you would have, if you okay, so let me ask you this: If you would have got let's just say the $1,200 and you knew like say at the same time your son's iPad broke or you had a laptop that broke, would you be more inclined to just say, fuck it. I just got a free $1,200. I'm going to get a laptop and an iPad. Or would you just still put it in the bank and just treat it like you never got that $1,200? No, but $1,200 isn't that much to me. So I, like I, it wouldn't, I wouldn't go, oh, wow, $1,200. Like yeah, that changes something for me. But, um, but no, but would, so would you have just said, okay, it's a free 1200. Let's get my kid a new iPad. Let's get a new laptop, whatever. No, I wouldn't like even treat it that way. If, if I got, if I got $1200, I'd just say, okay, that's nice and put it in the bank. I wouldn't think about like how I spend uh, compared to that, but I'm not a good example for this. I don't spend the way most people do. So the, the, what, what I'm afraid of is that people are not saving thinking, okay, this may, the, the money may stop. I better, I better really save my money here. But I thought part of what the government was encouraging were people going out to restaurants and small businesses and spending to, to put money into those people's pockets too. I, I mean, I know I read that they were encouraging people to go out to well, eat I know that, and, but, and spend the money in like local businesses. But, but that's like they the, weren't. The problem is with that is that uh, I know they are because the government the whole time has been short sighted about this. They don't think about what are we going to do a few months from now. They think about what do we need currently. And, and that's a mistake, and that's been a mistake the whole way. They, they, like sure. I used to see these absurd predictions that there's going to be sixty thousand dead total. Not not just uh, 
uh, up to a certain date. It's sixty thousand dead total, or that the like, and, yeah. and then they they talk about uh, something by August, whatever. But then they don't describe what'll happen after August, whatever. And then these these predictions all look crazy. They look, they look crazy at the time. We were seeing uh, twenty seven hundred a day dying in April, and they're talking about how uh, somehow it's, it's going to be sixty thousand total. I'm going, come on, there's no way that's going to be. And, never, I, I never, I never, I never gave you know much thought to the accuracy of those because, like you said, you know this is something that's never occurred. So there's nothing to look at. You know what I mean? I mean, everyone's just get, giving their best guess. I've, the problem is I, I've never seen something from the government saying, well, here's what we will do if this whole thing is lasting for if, – if it's if we're in the same boat six months from now, here's what we're going to do. If we're in the same boat 12 months from now, here's what we're going to do. We haven't seen any of that. It's constant living for the moment. What can we do at the moment? And I'm afraid that when the – Money spigot is turned off. Everybody's going to go into a complete panic because there's going to be a lot of people who have zero, and and then won't know what to do. And they're going to go, "Oh my God, I have zero. I can't live on zero. What do I do? How you know? You guys are supposed to support sure. me. I can't get a job." And so that's that's got to be addressed. And I think that's the bigger elephant that's not being addressed in the room than hyperinflation at the moment. But hyperinflation will become that elephant if they continue just handing out money. The problem is there isn't a long term plan on this, and, nope, and uh, so there isn't. that's that's what's unfortunate now we may just luck into something that uh that stops us from ever getting there it says some kind of uh either this the, the disease just recedes big time on its own or uh, there's uh, there's a, a breakthrough treatment found a breakthrough vaccine found that's very effective so so maybe we'll luck into that and and it stops all this and there'll just be theorizing of what could have happened if the this game changer didn't occur but it also may not, and and so yeah, there, there's a lot of bad things that could be coming for us in, in the future. And I, I as I, I said earlier in the show, I try I try not even to think much about this because it, it it gets depressing. And I actually, since I don't have any control over it, I actually have been kind of living for the moment and not thinking ahead like that, because uh, it, otherwise it kind of gets depressing thinking about. And there's nothing I can do to stop it. If it was something I could do, then I would think about it, but. There isn't, so I don't. But I, I know, yeah. I know. There's things, you know, that there's a lot of things that could happen to where it'll make what the situation right now is look, look like a picnic. So let me talk about something. One piece of good news, maybe uh, at least for me. Do you know what your blood type is? You know what? I don't. It's funny you ask that. I should, but I do not. Okay. For some reason, in recent times. The blood type, and when I say recent, I mean like the last 10 to 20 years, the emphasis on blood type has gone down. When I was a kid, everybody knew their blood type. You may have known at the time, too, and just forgotten since then. I know I did when I was much younger. Yeah, absolutely. So everyone talked about that then. I'm not sure why, but everyone talked about that then. And nowadays, like, the parents don't even know their kid's blood type well. Because it's not really uh, – sometimes it's not even given to them or if it is, it's not emphasized very well and they forget. And it's, it's, for some reason, it's not as relevant and I, I don't know why, but it, it just isn't until recently with the coronavirus because there was some belief that certain blood types were more vulnerable to bad symptoms than others. And it was believed that type A was very bad to have and uh, type O was the best to have. So if you had a type A, you had a worse than average chance of a uh, of a bad reaction to the coronavirus. If you had type O, you had a better than average chance that you would not have a bad reaction to it. So this upset me 
because I have type A. So I said, crap, I have type A, I have high blood pressure, which is also thought to be, to affect it, and I'm 48 years old. So I thought, what's the chance I'm going to get this thing and not have a really bad reaction from it? Now, none of these are super unusual. Type A is a common blood type, and uh, high blood pressure is a very common condition for people my age. So I, I wasn't thinking, oh, I'm going to die if I get it, but I'm thinking if, if I'm looking at the people my age who get lucky and get a mild version or asymptomatic, I just didn't see that as being me. And that's, that's one of the things that really scared me. You know, can, I, can I say something real fast? Yeah. This was really, really weird. And I saw this last Sunday. So it was after I think we did radio or maybe it was – maybe you no, know, yeah, it was after we did radio. I saw it on Monday. So you know who – you know who Jack Nicholas is? Yeah. I'm sorry, uh, uh, Jack Nicholson. Yeah. Well, oh, no, I'm sorry, I, 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 I know both no. of them. But <laughs> yeah, okay, no. I'm, I'm sorry, yeah, Jack Nicholas. So he he had a his golf tournament last week. It's it's called the Memorial. And he's 80 years old. His wife's 80 years old. And after the tournament was over during his press conference, he stated that both him and his wife, Barbara, both had the coronavirus about a month and a half ago. And she was asymptomatic at 80 years old, and he was very, very mild. He said he had a little bit of a cough and a little, some small signs, but nothing major. And I, 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 I was kind of shocked reading it. I haven't read much or of, of any of people that age where one was completely asymptomatic and the other had no signs. So, so I guess, I guess what I'm saying is I didn't even know it was possible to be in that age range and basically not even, you know, the wife would never have even known she had it if the husband didn't have it and then he was tested. So, I mean, how, so how common is something like that? I haven't read well, a lot that's, about that. And that's, that's something that's been long in question about the asymptomatic situation. There, there is some belief that at all, in all age groups, there is an asymptomatic group of the population that just don't know it because they don't feel <laughs> symptoms so they never get tested. And that, uh, that once you get once you feel symptoms, the chance of them being more severe is higher and higher with age. So that is like if I were to get it and, and feel symptoms, the chance of my symptoms being bad is much higher than a, than a thirty year old who felt symptoms. But that maybe there's a good chance that both of us could be asymptomatic. And so there's some belief that a lot more people have had this than what is reported. Now, it's known for sure that the 4-point-something million that have been tested positive within the U.S., that the actual number of positive cases in the U.S. is much higher than 4.5 million, much higher. How much higher is in question? Is, is, it, is it possibly uh, uh, 50 million? Is it possibly 30 million? Is it po- it's probably at least 10 million, but it, it could be way more. It could, it could easily be 20, 30, 50 million. So nobody knows because... Uh, the asymptomatic rate is not known, but like on the Diamond Princess, one of those cruise ships that was badly infected early on, something that they found that was interesting was that 46% of the people who tested positive for having the coronavirus on the Diamond Princess were asymptomatic. And who typically takes cruises? Old people. So I thought that was really interesting that 46% of what was probably a pretty old population on that ship who tested positive were asymptomatic because they tested everybody because of uh, how much it spread on that ship. So they, they, they wanted to test everybody, and that's how they came up with that. And that was one of the 
possible encouraging signs about the whole thing that maybe a lot more people had it than thought. Also, keep in mind, it was a lot harder to get a test in March and April. So that's why like someone like somewhere like New York City may have a lot higher percentage of the population that got it than is known. If there was a lot of asymptomatic people and a lot of people who got it and couldn't get tested because the, it was so hard to get tested then, that uh, maybe there's a large percentage of that population in New York City that had it, which explains the, the much lower numbers now, that it, it's like a partial herd immunity, as I was saying before. So getting back to the, the, the blood type thing, I was not happy about that, and it seemed like every study about that was confirming it. However, Harvard is claiming no. It's not true that the blood type does not seem to matter. That uh, the the only thing that they found was that uh, people who had a, a certain blood type were more likely to actually test positive when when they had it and didn't get false negatives than others. So they, they found that people who have blood types B or AB more likely were going to test positive than those who had O. Uh, and, and those with A were kind of in the middle. So that, that's, that just has to do with testing, not the severity of, of the disease, but just how likely it is the test is going to be accurate. Because there are a lot of false negatives on coronavirus tests, like up to mm-hmm. 30%. But that's the only thing they found. And that, that, of course, doesn't matter as far as how badly you get it. That just has to do with the test. So they, they claim in their study that... It turns out that there is not any kind of uh, difference in the in in the mortality or the high the, or, or the symptomatic conditions of the disease. So I'm not sure who to believe now. It's a I, I unfortunately I, I, even from a place like Harvard, which would seem pretty credible, it's hard for me to trust any of these studies because so many contradict each other. That's why, like, like I mentioned the blood pressure thing on a previous show. I, I used to take Losartan for high blood pressure. Then it was said that Losartan may make your symptoms worse, so I quit it. Then they came out with a study saying, oh, no, it actually doesn't. It's safe. I was afraid to go back to it. I still haven't gone back to it. I, I use other blood pressure medications that were never suspected for that. But I, I quit the Losartan, and I, I'm not going back just because I, I don't know which study to trust. I can't just say, oh, well, they've come out with a new study that clears it. Okay, that's fine. Well, then what about the other ones? You can't just throw those away. Like, I, And that's what seems to be happening here, that Harvard claims that, that it, the, blood pressure, the, the blood type does not make you more likely to get bad symptoms, but uh, who knows? It seems like they come up with a different answer to all these things every few weeks. But that's the current yeah. that's the current belief from Harvard that it's it's not about they, they they said that some of the confusion came from the likelihood of test positive versus the likelihood of actually having it, and that's what's caused some confusion. But who knows? So that's that's one piece of of good news there if if that is actually true. But I'm not going to put too much stock into it. I want to talk about something else. I'll get your opinion on this one. This is more of an opinion matter rather than a science matter. A big debate broke out on Brett Ritchie's Facebook of all places that uh, having to do with the protests spreading COVID-19. And this is kind of back in the news because of the Portland protests that were going on. And so people were discussing again, are are these people also uh, causing more of a spread of of COVID-19? So that 
has brought back the debate of whether or not the protests we saw in June uh, were dangerous and whether they spread the disease and whether the left was hypocritical by saying those were okay, whereas every other type of mass gathering was not and was dangerous. Like, how, how could one be more dangerous than the other? The coronavirus doesn't know what cause you're demonstrating for. All it knows is it wants to infect you. So uh, I, someone had linked to a study. This is someone who was insisting that the protests did not cause the virus to spread more. They linked to a study that showed that it did not. And you'd think, well, how's that possible? How, how could the social justice protests not have made the spread go up overall if we've been told that gathering together closely in groups and shouting that these are all dangerous behaviors. And if that's true, if it's okay, then why aren't we opening up baseball stadiums and, and going to Coachella and things like that? And these are good questions. So what the study was basically trying to say was that, uh, uh, the main reason that they believe that it didn't spread more during the social protests was that while there were a lot of additional people out together, all packed closely, that it was negated. The additional risk there was negated by a lot of other people staying home who otherwise would not have gone out, such as people who were too scared to go out because of the protests or people who – we're going to go to the store that was now closed because of the protests or people who knew they couldn't get anywhere because the streets were blocked by the protests. So people who otherwise would have gone out that day say, you know what, I'll just stay home. So all these additional people staying home, the study claims, caused a lot of people not to get COVID or spread COVID that otherwise would have had they gone out. So that negated the higher numbers that came from the protests. So when you add it all together, it was about even. That's that's their claim. And on the surface, that would seem to make sense. And that's what a lot of people on the left are claiming, that, hey, the protests actually weren't dangerous because it, it caused a lot of people to stay home. That negated the whole thing. And, and we can prove it because they analyze cell phone data, not individual cell phone data, but there's there's they make analysis of cell phone data in a group where it just is like an anonymized data of everybody where you don't see who they are but just uh, – the data of everybody moving around, which is kind of scary still to think about. So they, they were able to show that, yes, a lot more people stayed home. The higher percentage of people stayed home on those days of the protests compared to normal days without the protests, which I will believe. that I believe that pe- more people were at home on those days. So I, why, why wouldn't you stay home unless you're going to protest if all that crap's going on? You were just mentioning not wanting to go to the Bellagio when there's, there's anarchists there. So – I can believe all that, but here's here's what I feel is the huge flaw in that claim. And and you could give me your opinion on this one. If if you are about if let's say there's protests going on and you say, uh, well, I was going to go to the grocery store today, but screw that. There's all these crazy protesters out there uh, doing bad things. I don't want to get caught up in that. I'm just going to stay home. Does that mean you don't need groceries? Does that mean you'll, you'll you're just going to skip groceries this week? You just won't get groceries? No, it, it, what that means is you're going to wait until it's safe to actually go, and then you're going to go. So you're just going to shift it to a different day. Anything you were going to go do today that now you can't do because of the protests, you will probably then shift and go do on on uh, when, whenever you feel it's safe to go do. So, so this doesn't 
make fewer people go out. It just shifts when they go out. So that, that overall doesn't help. And these studies that they're citing didn't bother to look at what people did after the protests. So they didn't see if there was a big spike in activity, people going out right after those those are done, because now everybody feels it's safe to go out, and then that would increase infections. All they were just looking at those days, which was very flawed. You, in order to say this kept people home, you have to say it kept people home, and they they didn't go out to make up for it later, which. I believe in most cases they did because why are most people going out these days? They're going out for one of two reasons. Either they're going out because they have something they need to do, which means they have to eventually go out and do it, or they feel cooped up and they want to go out and do something. Either way, they're going to go do it when this is all passed. So these studies do not address that at all. And that's that's the huge flaw in in these studies. The second thing is these studies are done by, by – uh, Always by people with something to prove. It's, it, they're very biased studies done by people who already have a very strong position. So in this case, these, the study that was linked to me was one that was done by academics at various California universities, who you can see, by the way, they wrote about the whole thing, very much supported the protests and were very far left. So lo and behold, shock upon shocks, the conclusion was the protest didn't spread around COVID. Well, of course, that's the conclusion they wanted to get to. So when analyzing the data, what data do you think they included? Only data that was going to break favorably to the point they were trying to make. So that's a huge flaw. You should never trust any study that comes from a source that already wanted to prove a certain point before they even began it. You wouldn't want a study from a source that is looking for a certain result. You want it from a source that is looking to get the truth not looking for it to fall a certain way. And and so, uh, for example, w- would you trust a study on abortion by a religious Catholic group? I, I don't think you would, would you? Yeah. Yeah, or, or, or a study on, on, on uh, black crime done by the KKK. I, I, or, or would you take a medication that was only studied by the company selling it? Like these were, these would be very biased studies where it's clear that whoever's doing them wants to come to a certain conclusion and will massage the data. Even if they don't lie about the data, they can massage the data, only include certain data, not include other certain data. Uh, they could, they'll do whatever they need to do for the stuff to break the way they want it to break. And that's why any study you trust has to be from a source you trust to be unbiased and, 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 planning to report any conclusion they find and to not try to steer the study towards any conclusion. Otherwise, you get something that's not true. And so it's common sense. If a bunch of people get together in a group and they shout, which means that more comes out of their mouth, it's it's much more dangerous that way, and they pack closely together and some don't wear masks, some do, some don't, and they pack in huge crowds, it's obvious that the numbers are going to go up. You want to talk to Mumbles badly? He's calling in. Sure. Let's let's, let's throw him on. All right. Is this Mumbles badly? Mumbles, he there? Yeah, I am. Hey, listen, Trump. Uh, first, I want to thank Drexel Green back on the show as a guest. It's great to hear his voice. Thank uh, you. Thank you. Okay, Trump, listen, um, I want to bring up an issue with you that you have often stated. 
studies you should trust and who you should trust them from. And I have to say, you know, I was once an academic. And the thing that you learn in academia, you know, I've got some published articles. Right. By, by the way, Mumbles, Mumbles you got to be a little bit louder. You're, you're a little bit soft here. Oh, how about here? Oh, that's better. You're blowing up my ears. Much better. Oh, yeah. sorry, the microphone place. Okay. Yeah, so here's the thing. It's not really legitimate to say that you shouldn't trust a study from a source that may have an axe to grind. As long as the data that they identify and the methodology that they you know, lay out is clear and that, you know, th- that is possible for somebody else to, to replicate their method in the future. Well, now, because in academics, listen, let me finish. Academics is a business where you have, you definitely have people who are in particular ideological camps. There's no doubt about that. In fact, because of the nature of the of the business, you know, you get published when you when when something new comes out, or when you're actually able to prove something that people care about. Most of the studies are done by people who have an axe to grind, who have a particular thing they would like to show. And the biggest the biggest issue with even published research that gets past peer review that has you know come up. You know, has become aware, you know, in academics, um, is not that they, you know, blatantly. Most people don't blatantly, you know, fart their data. You know, you know, screw around with the data. What they do is they don't publish the results that they find that they don't like. Yes, that's a, that's a big and problem. So, okay, so as long as you know the people that you know hyperliberal. California academics who published this story, you know, only using the days the people didn't, you know, came out and protest. If they ignored the other around, you know, the surrounding days, or say, you know, you know, when there were no protest days, you know, uh, that can be a problem. And and as long as that data is available for somebody else to study, and then somebody does use that extra data, and you know, you know, and and this, you know, and sort of uh, comes up with an alternate conclusion. That actually is part of the academic process. Okay, but let me let me explain. My, let me explain. Time, uh, hang on, let me explain okay, my, my let, problem here. I, I, I want to explain my problem with all this here. My pro- my problem with yeah. all this here is that um, it, this would only work if if you have a large number of people who are willing to then do counter studies if they're not happy or suspect that, 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 it, that it wasn't done properly or that data was left out or, or things like that. If, if, if you have a, 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 enough of an interest by others who are willing to put the time and effort into the study, which, which isn't trivial, that, and that will do counter studies to keep everyone honest, then this can work. The problem is often there is not. Often these are uh, – uh, either the difficulty in in doing a counter study is is too much, or, or people just don't have access to the to the, to the data they need, or, or whatever the situation is. And uh, the so the problem is there, or there aren't enough people on the other side who who uh, who have access to this, or or the time or inclination to do it. So what what ends up happening is you have to trust 
the the few things that are out, and and for most people, it's impossible to to know if they've left anything out on purpose or to, or to figure out what has been massaged or or has been uh, uh, or or that the entire study was constructed in a certain way to land in uh, in, in the way they want, where uh, they're not directly lying about anything. But there's a lot of things being manipulated or, or massaged, or it's being done with certain methods, so it falls in the, in the with a conclusion that they wanted to arrive at. So, uh, so the, 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 okay. So, right. so, let, so, let just, let, I hear what you're saying, but let me let me let me counter that, okay? Because you, you you put a lot out there, and some of it I do agree with. I do agree that it can take time for somebody who wants to challenge that study's conclusions to gather the same data or gather additional data to counter them. And so, yes, that's a valid point. And the, one of the things you have to learn about, you know, the science business is, one, the result of one study is not scientific. You know, it's not conclusive proof or substantial enough proof to you know, settle an issue. That's a very, that's, that has happened, you know, you, you have to have repeat papers, you have to have repeat studies, you have to have people, yeah, but it, you know, but challenging see, see, it like the it, way you do. But yeah, right, and there it, are people out there, listen, let me finish, there are people out there in this business who want to make names for themselves disproving other people's work. This business of academics is not, uh, you know, a block of people who all agree, you know, with a particular point of view. Well, but, but at this and, point, and, uh, I and, think I think there is, and with this type of point, with this, uh, with the way academics is, is right now is, is constructed, there there is not that much diversity in opinion, especially about the, these type of matters, and there just aren't enough people on the other side that will have the ability or the inclination to do this. And and uh, so I I just in, in general I and I, this happens too when I find things that are that support my points of view I I remember one time I was arguing about abortion on the on Poker Fraudler in the forum and I was googling things to try to support my point and I found a study that looked great to me and I go oh perfect this is going to own everybody and then I see it was put together by some religious Christian group and I go oh no. Not not only is this going to make me look bad if I post it, everyone's going to point out who who did it, but even I don't uh, don't know if I can trust it now because uh, I, I I know they were highly biased. They wanted to come to a certain conclusion. So even when it's something that that I wish I could cite and agree with and and say that this proves me right, I start feeling bad. Like oh no, this is this isn't something I can even trust, even if it's telling me things I like to hear. So. Uh, in general, I know I know okay. I, I know what you're saying that that it's it's hard to find someone who's neutral and have the passion to study something if they feel neutral about it, and that can be a problem. But when you see such a heavy bias, especially something that seems to defy common sense, and you see such a heavy bias uh, towards wanting one conclusion, and then lo and behold, they come to that conclusion. I mean, you'd have to be really really naive to to believe. That the study is right, and the problem was with so many people on the same side. You could have fifty different people doing studies who are all on the left and want these protests to look good, and they'll all come to the same conclusion, and they all might be wrong. And that's then that, that's what's bothersome to me. And I, I don't want to get into a long thing. We have Brandon on here, and I know he's uh, uh, he'd like to talk about other right, things but too. But, so, but, 
the main thing I want to try to communicate to you about this, this, this issue that you keep bringing up, this, this, this belief that you keep bringing up, that everyone who is doing these studies has the same ideological bent, and they care more about defending that ideological bent than making a name for themselves by getting a published study that essentially becomes the definitive source for other academics to reference in the future. This business, there are, this business, people make a living in academics, not by publishing things that, you know, unless you're in women's studies or something where there's really no real studying going on, but where you're studying data and you're publishing stuff about, you know, medical and epidemiology, you don't get, you don't advance your career, you know, by merely towing an ideological line. You advance your career by publishing research that everyone will, you know, in the field will have to recognize well, is, okay. is one of the definitive sources about a particular okay. issue. Well, we, we, can, we, we can go on forever on this. I, I just want to say, I, I see, I don't believe that because I think that it's, it's academia is so. Well, you've never worked in academics, so you don't understand how. No, but I, I was, I was in college, and it, it's much more, it's much more liberal now than it was thirty being, years ago when I was there. Being a student is not the same. You don't understand what it's like to be working as a publishing researcher. Whose career depends upon getting? No, I know, I, know, know, I understand all that. Citation. But what I'm saying here is that you'll, you'll be shunned. You'll, you'll, be, you will be persona non grata if you take the conservative side and try to prove, disprove what everybody in, in your college wants wants uh, to believe that they're going to hate you. And that's I, that's why you see very little of that. There's very little ideological diversity yes, in, in academia, and that's that's a big problem. People are, are doing want to go down that road. They they don't want to be famous for that to become infamous. Anyway, thank you for mumbles for the call. We got to move on here, but uh, thank you for the. The, uh, discussion here. All right, keep believing the stupidness. Okay, I'll believe the stupidness. <laughs> thank, thank you. That's a good way. Good way to close it. All right. Jesus. I have a Raymond Davis case update. Uh, Raymond Davis. Uh, the quick update is that he's in jail still. He has not gotten out of jail, and he won't be for a long time. He's going to be there for for a very long time. Uh, I don't know how long, but it's it's not looking good for him. Everything he's trying to due to put an end to this, has failed. Uh, he's oddly trying, he's trying very, very hard to dismiss his attorney, which I don't understand, because uh, regardless of whatever quality or lack thereof that he that his attorney is, uh, it's got to be better than him defending himself. When he attempted to defend himself, it, it went very poorly. And in fact, the, the, it went so badly that the court won't even let him do it anymore. So, so here, here's briefly what's going on. There's, it's not a huge update, but every so often people want to hear an update on Raymond Davis. And I'm the only one covering that these days. In fact, the best coverage of this subject by far is on Poker Fraud Alert. But here's what's happening. On June 20th, remember, prior to this, he had uh, attempted to get released because of coronavirus concerns, and they gave him a big fat denial. On June 20th, uh, he was, again, trying to get rid of his attorney, Craig Mueller. Not Greg Mueller again. This is Craig Mueller. And uh, he even filed a state bar complaint against Craig Mueller. 
This was continued then until July 13th because Ray was, quote, on medical. I don't know what that means. But uh, I think if he actually had coronavirus, he'd be out. But uh, he was, quote, on medical, maybe for psychological reasons. So they continued it to the 13th. So on July 13th, Craig Mueller finally stated he's okay with being dismissed from the case. Now, I, I don't know why Craig Mueller wanted to stick with it all this time. Like, if you've got a client who hates you, who wants you off the case, who's already paid you every dollar he's going to pay you, why, why do you want to stick with it? I, I, there's got to be some reason. Maybe an attorney listening can tell me. But uh, Craig Mueller was was sticking oh, with it. Just his, for the record, this is, he has no relation to Greg Mueller, the poker player. I, I, I you know of? I think not. Probably not. Okay. But, uh, it may, maybe this is Greg Mueller's second job if if the mixed games aren't going well in Bellagio. But right. anyway, uh, the, the so Craig Mueller finally said on the 13th of July, hey, look, if Ray wants to be done with me, I'm done too. Fine. We'll break up. It's over. So the court said, all right, cool. You're gone. You're out. So they dismissed Craig Mueller as his attorney. And then they appointed a new attorney, a new criminal attorney named Adam Gill, to defend him. Now, presumably, it didn't say this, but I presume that Adam Gill was being appointed as a, as a court-appointed attorney and that it's uh, uh, one who's representing him for free. Uh, Ray said he didn't want Adam Gill, and he said, I want to defend myself. Now, I still don't understand his obsession with defending himself. I just don't get it. But the court then said, no, you can't defend yourself because you already tried once, and it was a disaster, and you weren't following procedures, and uh, and, and we were – having to threaten to hold you in contempt and you made a mess of everything and no you tried it once it was a big flop we're not letting you do it again you're going to have to have an attorney but it doesn't have to be adam gill if you don't want craig mueller who we already dismissed and you don't want adam gill you can hire someone on your own so uh i don't know what he said to that on july 20th which is now just uh four to five days ago it was said that he's still on quote medical and that the dismissal proceedings, I, I see. I don't understand that because I thought they already dismissed Greg or Craig Mueller. But the official dismissal proceedings would then finish on August third. But then it says that that was vacated per law clerk, whatever that means. So I don't know if it means because they already finished with it and got rid of, uh, and they already dismissed them on the thirteenth. They don't need to continue. I don't know what, but it's been vacated, and. That's basically where it stands. So the best I can make of this is he's now being represented by Adam Gill and Craig Mueller's out and not much else has changed and Ray is still in jail and this is dragging, dragging, dragging. As I said before, the only advantage he may get from this is if he ultimately gets sentenced to prison, which I think he's going to, that he will get credit for time served in jail, which has to be a lot more pleasant than state prison, especially if you're accused of what he's accused of doing. So if, if someone asked me if you were accused of, of sexual assault on a minor, would you rather be in county jail or would you rather be in uh, state prison, I'd take the county jail all day. So maybe, maybe Ray is thinking of that too. Maybe he – I don't know if he's thinking that far ahead, but maybe he's thinking I may, may as well let as much time pass as possible in county jail and that will reduce my prison sentence. So that's, that's where that currently stands. Believe it or not, Real Grinder still exists. Real Grinders has uh, continued on, at least as a Facebook group. Uh, it is being run currently by uh, Terry King and, and a few other moderators. It's not nearly as active, but only because they moderate posts now. If they weren't moderating posts, I think it would still be almost as active as it was before. So it's, it's, it's kind of a shell of its former self. 
Do they even address the Raymond Davis thing on there or no? No, you're not allowed to. That's why the posts are moderated. You can't even bring that up there. So, uh, so they just pretend like not like they don't even talk about right. It. It's, it's very weird yeah. there because like there's just no talk about hey where's Ray? Why haven't we seen him since uh, since almost a year ago? Like it's just it's just real grinders that Ray. I, I have to imagine most people know by now, and it's just it, you either continue posting there or you don't, and 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 that's it. There, there's still the occasional interesting discussion that pops up there that isn't related to him, of course, but they. The problem is, since they moderate every post, it, it, it kills the momentum about a lot of things because by the time the moderators get to it, uh, like you can comment on existing posts without moderation, but to make a new post, I, I, it just the time between when it's made and when it's moderated, like sometimes the stuff, whatever occurred in the meantime has changed. And I think people get frustrated that their posts get moderated and quit, just stop going to the group. Whatever it is, that was the turning point when it went from a super active group to kind of a, a kind of just a, semi-active, occasionally active sort of group. It, it's just not the same anymore, but uh, I don't know if it can ever return. Like, if, Let's say Ray beat the whole thing and got out of jail tomorrow. Like, Could he really return to Real Grinders and just act like nothing happened and, and restore it to its old glory where people just say, no, we don't really want to be part of this anymore? Because uh, He kind of was a big draw to it. Like He, he, made, he brought a lot of content there not a whole lot of poker content, but he brought a kind of like the entertainment content uh, to it. I even thought some of the stories he posted there weren't always true, but it was yeah. You know, he brought in kind of just entertaining stories. He even had a uh, he had his own Ken Scaler type figure, whose also name was Kenny. This guy named Kenny Flowers, who was kind of like this uh, this bumbling uh, but harmless character that was in his life that. Uh, that was broke and that Ray would kind of uh, take care of. And it, he had a lot of similarities to Ken Scaler from what I saw, except he was black. And uh, uh, so they, like, all that is gone from the group now, too, which is another thing that's probably hurting it because people liked all that stuff. So he had a good thing going. but it And it started to translate to real money. He started partnering with, like, these, these poker apps and sports betting groups. And some of this wasn't very legal, but, yeah, it, it, he probably wasn't likely to get in trouble for it. He, he was kind of more just like a like a marketing partner, like an affiliate. But I think he was making money that way. And it, he, had, he had a big active following there that now has died off, and I don't know if he'll ever get it back, given the reputation he's probably going to carry, especially if he gets convicted, which I think is likely. I just, I just don't see him beating this. I think it's it's all looking pretty bad so far. So, uh, and every every court decision is pretty much broken against him. He's even got the five hundred thousand dollar bail, which is insane. Like that's that's that really is the highest bail I've ever seen compared to uh, the, situ- the the crime and the situation surrounding the crime. That uh, like I've never seen a bail that absurdly high compared to what they're accused of. I'd expect a five hundred k bail for something like murder. Not, uh, not what he's accused of there. I mean, they didn't arrest him for three years. So it's, they obviously didn't think it was that serious. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, hey, Brandon, are you? You've... No, I'm listening. I'm okay. Okay, I'm All watching right. this baseball game. I'm listening to everything uh, you're saying. Uh, uh, Korean baseball. Korean baseball. Korean yeah. baseball. Okay. So, so I we, just like how all their names are like. I mean, I get it. It makes sense, but all the names are like, you know, famous Korean products. Like it's Samsung, Kia, you know, <laughs> LG. Like, you know what I mean? It's, they're not like 
city names or whatever. But no, I'm listening. I, I, the mumbles thing, I kind of no offense to mumbles, that was went on a little bit too long. Um, but well, I, uh, no, I, I, I understood the point he's trying to make. I just uh, yeah, no, I know. I, 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 I had to. I, I, I gave you know what? He's actually grown. He's grown on me. You know. I, I only didn't like him at first because if you do you remember when he first came into the yes, picture? Yes. Do you remember? Yeah, it was I remember right he, after. Yeah, he made, he made some infamous, kind of yes, some kind of mocking very post big, about a, a loss in gambling, and he got very mad. Half the forum got destroyed on a UFC bet, like yes. with Conor McGregor, like five years ago, and that's yes. when he. Anyhow, it doesn't matter. But um, in, in regards to Raymond Davis, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because I I looked at. Real grinders, I think yesterday, the day before, for the first time in months, like a really long time. And I could tell it was dying. And I was thinking, is this group even still going? I had to like search because I didn't even have any notifications. Um, but so, I mean, what do, what do you think? Do you think he's kind of like had a nervous breakdown? Like, cause that's kind of what it sounds like. He's kind of lost his mind in there. It, somewhat. It also looks, but I'm not sure how much of it might be an act also that he thinks could benefit him. Uh, it's it's hard to tell if if this is actually uh, real or not, or if it's just uh, a, a crazy act that has backfired so far. Uh, he has made some bad decisions along the way, and uh, he did have a tough the, the toughest decision he had to make, and he may have ultimately gone the wrong way. Was he was offered a plea deal with a, that would have involved uh, no prison time, other than the time served he had in jail. And he would have had to accept a guilty plea and, and, and uh, register as a sex offender and be a convicted felon. And that that would have been stuck with him forever. But he would have dodged any kind of prison time and been released. And since he's uh, just a poker player, you'd think that this wouldn't really hinder him. It's not like he's going out to get a regular job. So I, I would think that uh, – and he could even explain it away to people that he accepted this because he was – even though he, it wasn't true, he was uh, – uh, he was afraid he's going to go to prison for 20 years. That he just decided to, whatever way he gets him out of prison, like he, he could explain to people. Not everybody would believe him, but at least uh, he'd have a shot. Uh, sure. So he he decided not to, and and that was back in September. So it was a long time ago that he rejected that, and that didn't come out until recently when some documents came to light that were. Uh, you, you know what? I forgot to post this. I actually got a. a video of all things of him in court that someone just happened to find when they were looking for something else it was it was never widely published but then i forgot to post it it's not a secret it's on youtube but it's not like raymond davis blah 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 it just happened to be featuring him from a day he was in court and i meant to post it but i forgot i'll have to go dig that up again a, a listener sent that to me who said hey look what i found so hmm. uh, yeah so it, it's kind of interesting to watch uh but yeah it's it's a very weird case in a lot of different ways and I think if I were him, I would have accepted the guilty plea. Though it just, regardless of whether he feels... did, did the uh, did the district attorney rescind it? Well, you, yeah. Once once he said no, they said, "All right, well, if you then we're we're charging, we're hitting you with like six felonies." So he's uh, he's having to face. Uh, what was he thinking? I, Wait, did he have to register as a sex offender? I assume is maybe that's why he didn't want to accept. Probably. It? That's I, I don't know. Yeah. What, I don't know what his reasons were, but that's probably a big one that he'd have to, yeah. and he'd be a convicted felon. So he's he's pleading guilty Jeez. to a felony, but but uh, so I, I understand why that's that's something you don't want, but you, you also don't want to go to state prison, especially with this sort of uh, uh, for this sort of crime. The word gets around there that that's what you're in there for. They're really going to give you a hard time. 
That's that's something. I mean, I would talk about it. Do we even know what he was actually charged with? Like, I mean, I know what it is in general, but like, did he have sex with? I mean, not to be graphic and disgusting on this podcast, but I guess what I'm saying is, was it ever fully detailed what he did or what he's accused of? I should say. Um, it seems. I know. I remember. This is what I remember. I remember it had something to do with underage girls in like a shower or something, but. I don't. I don't even remember. Like, what was it? it, was, it was, you know what I mean? Yeah, it was that he he uh, that he paid them to to watch him uh, jerk off in the shower, and they were underage. That's what. Uh, and that he's claiming that it never happened, or he's yes. claiming he they told him that he was that no, they were over. No, 18, no, no. He's claiming it, he's, claim, he's claiming it didn't happen, and. Uh, and and uh, okay, so but he's not accused of having sex with them or touching them. He's just accused of like, but isn't that kind of just indecent exposure if no, he didn't actually physically touch them? No, it's it's uh, it's, it's considered it's considered a lewd behavior. Yeah, it's considered a lewd act with a minor. That's that's what that is. But okay, so assuming that he gets convicted of that, and it's never proven that he touched them. Or he made them touch him, or you know, whatever it may be. What is what would you guess someone like that would get? I mean, like, because it can't be as bad as like if he had you know intercourse with a minor. What what like in terms of a sentence? What does someone like that generally get? If you had to guess, I mean, it can't be more than a few years, right? You can't yeah, go to I, prison I, I for decades. I wouldn't think so, but there's been weird things with this case, like where he uh, got the five hundred thousand dollar bail because he had an out of person court, and that, what's so weird about that bail is that. I would understand if they decided that he was in contempt and hit him with a contempt charge, but they didn't. They didn't give right. him a contempt charge. They just sent the bail sky high, which doesn't really make sense. Like, how can you ever justify a $500,000 bail when you didn't arrest the guy for three years when he's sitting right there in Las Vegas? I mean, yes, it was a mistake. They thought he was out of state, but a Google would have figured out where you, they would have figured out where he is. So apparently there wasn't a lot of urgency to arrest him. Of course. And, and, yeah, uh, so, you're right. The whole thing is very strange. It's really weird. And I, it's the one of the, they didn't make an effort to get him. And now that now that now that they have them, they're they're not making any kind of an effort to help make, let let them leave, basically. <laughs> or they're making a hell of an effort not to let them leave. Yeah, That's what it comes it, down to. it's it's a very weird thing, and I they I didn't want them, and now that they have them, they won't let them go. It's it's a it's a, <laughs> a very odd thing. I don't know what to say about a lot of this, but I I I just from looking at this, I don't think it looks good. I think everything that the the best chance I discussed this on a different episode. The best chance he had of getting out was actually he read it in the newspaper of all things. He's just kind of sitting in his cell and reads a story about a case very similar to his where the guy got off, where basically, uh, again, someone was accused of, of some kind of lewd act of the minor. Uh, again, they took a long uh, – And when you say the guy got off, you mean he got off. Well, the guy got off in two ways. But uh, yeah. the, the, yeah. so the, the guy was accused of a lewd act of the minor. He was accused of uh, – they also took years to arrest him. And uh, anyway, the the guy was able to claim that this violated his rights to a speedy trial, and the court granted it and, and dismissed the whole case, even though it looked fairly clear that the dude was guilty, that it was considered that they took too long to arrest him and that they uh, basically that they violated his rights by letting him because they let his mom know that they're looking for him to arrest him and that his mom actually gave up all his info i'm not talking about ray there's the mm-hmm. other guy the other guy's mom's like oh yeah here's where to find my son so so then his mom calls him and says hey you know just want to let you know i gave the police your info they're going to come arrest you they, i gave them your work info and your home info so they're going to come arrest you and the guy's like oh shit and then the guy sits and waits, and it just doesn't happen. Day after day after day passes, and like a year passes, they don't arrest the guy. Can you imagine, like, they, knowing that? That's crazy. So, so finally, they arrest him, and and 
and, and it was like, well, what the fuck? What happened for the last year? And so it was it was considered it was it was a violation because they let the guy know through his mom they're going to arrest him and then didn't. And I think the reason they they was never totally made clear, but it kind of looked like the reason they didn't is because they were kind of uh, looking for more on him. They wanted a little more a little more time pass. It was something like that. It, it was described by the court of something that wasn't malicious but was beyond negligence. It was kind of in the middle. So they anyway, the court said, "No, this is right. You, this isn't right. You can't do this to someone. You can't say you're about to arrest them and then just not not do this and let them be nervous about it every day and stressed about it every day. Either either do it or don't." So Ray basically said the same thing. He said, I was contacted by a detective in late 2015. And then uh, all these years passed, and they, I think it's done. And, and I'm sitting here uh, worrying every day, like, well, is it done, is it not? And then uh, and then one day they arrest me in, in 2019, uh, th- over three years later. So th- th- what really happened there with Ray is they just screwed up, and they gave it to a team that goes after out-of-staters who committed crimes in Nevada because he had a California license. And no, the geniuses didn't think to even Google him and see that he's right there in Vegas and, and, and very public about real grinders and the lounge and everything like that. Like, a, talk about someone easy to find. And they didn't even bother to Google him. Right. <laughs> they didn't, this, this, this crack team that's supposed to get people didn't even bother to Google him once and figure out he's still in Las Vegas. So that's why it happened. But, but uh, it, it's – so they – the court admitted – so when he, he tried to claim that this is basically the same thing – the court said, yeah, the police screwed up, and yes, this was negligence, and no, this shouldn't have happened. But the difference is the other guy was told, we're going to arrest you. You were only told, we're investigating you, but that was the last you heard. So you didn't know whether we're going to arrest you or not. There, you weren't left twisting in the wind. You, As far as you were concerned, you thought they were investigating you and just didn't find anything and dropped it. So, uh, and, and so I kind of understood his point that, it's not like they told them they dropped it. Like someone, they say you're being investigated, and then years pass. Yeah, you're going to constantly worry, like whatever happened with this investigation on me. Whether you're guilty or innocent, you get, you're always going to worry until you're sure. heard it's over. So he did kind of have a point that that it had a similarity. But the the court said no, it's not the same thing. The yeah, the other guy, they they purposely waited a year with you. It was an accident, and you were never told you were going to be arrested. It was just. Uh, you didn't actually know there's a warrant for your arrest until we actually arrested you. So there was not really. So I, I, I kind of understood their side too. But so that was his best shot at getting out, and it failed. And I think it's. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I just have a feeling when the whole thing's over, he's going to end up with prison time. Uh, what would you set the line at over under? Oh, you mean the the time or the the likelihood of being convicted? No, the time. Oh. The time? Like five and a half years, seven. No, I, I, I'd go with probably five, three, three and a half. Yeah, I think that, I think that is. I, uh, I, yeah, I think three and a half actually is a good line, and uh, including time served. So it's three and a half minus whatever uh, yeah. he serves in jail, which is already now almost a year. So I, I've got a, a unrelated question to the next topic. Have you sure. have you ever been to the Golden Nugget, Atlantic City? Yes. Okay, I have not. Never, I've never stayed there. Um, but the first time I went to Atlantic City, I was a late bloomer with Atlantic City. I, the first time I went there was 2012. I'd never been there before. Um, I, then I went there every year up until a couple of years ago. Um, but the first time I went there, I saw everything. I wanted. To, I saw all the Trump casinos that were still there at the time. I saw the Taj. I saw the Revel. I saw... The Golden Nugget. I saw the Tropicana. So yeah, I've seen every. I've been to every property there. At least like gambling or walking through, but not stayed. 
But yeah, I've been there. Sure. So they've they've apparently done some shady things, uh, especially in uh, the 2010s. And uh, so in 2012, they they had this uh, idiotic thing that happened, a very embarrassing thing, where uh, a group of gamblers were. Uh, we're, we're playing uh, Is this Baccarat. Yeah, the Baccarat. Is this a Baccarat thing? Well, this that, that, is that eight years ago. Yes, it was eight years ago. Oh my! Where they all won a ton of money. I remember. You know, it's so funny. We talked about this on the. Uh, wait, what year? This was 2012. So this would have been your. Uh, this was PFA, right? Yeah, it was Poker Fraud Alert. Yeah, we talked about it. Yeah. yeah, we talked about this eight years ago. I was actually on a show with you, and let me let me look. I'm not obviously looking it up. I can already tell you the story. Wasn't this like a shoe that wasn't shuffled in Baccarat and everyone just kept like they knew the outcome or whatever it was. They won like an outrageous amount of hands in a row because it wasn't shuffled correctly or something like that. Yes. Uh, what what happened was that yeah. it, it wasn't shuffled at all. So the, so the, here's the dumbest thing. The same sequence of cards was, kept, was, appearing, yeah. was, kept yeah. appearing over and over. So then they knew it was coming. So people just kept upping their bet. They, they started with $10 bets. They just kept – Upping them, so, yeah, so, so so they 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 won forty one consecutive hands, and uh, these fourteen people who were there uh, with by winning these forty one. Like, look, hold on, I gotta stop you. I gotta stop you. So this first problem. Before you go any further, I've I've worked in casinos, albeit this is now a long time ago, fifteen years almost. Uh, but the first problem is as a floor person, as a pit boss, as a table supervisor. <laughs> It should never get the 41 hands in a row. Yes. <laughs> I mean, that's like, that's the first problem. I mean, I'm just saying, like, if you're paying attention, if you're competent, I mean, that's insane to me. That's insane. The failure, the mass failure of checks and balances that it can even get to like 20 hands in a row. Like, that's like winning 20 coin flips. You sit there and you flip a quarter 20 times and, and see how many, you sit there and flip a quarter all day long and see how, 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 many times you hit 20 in a row yeah, like, that's insane it. yeah it's so, just nuts you're right, right. So, 40, nuts. so 41 times in a row and and so they won uh 1.5 million dollars <laughs> and that's it i mean they're lucky that's it so, <laughs> i mean you think right. it'd be a worse but so, yeah All so right. then they compounded Jesus. the problem the golden nugget by uh treating them as criminals when they figured out what happened instead of saying oh we screwed this up we 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 brought in a deck that we didn't shuffle and they knew exactly the order because we brought in an unshuffled deck. Instead, they treated these people like criminals and, and uh, busted into their rooms late at night and, and, and pulled them out and, and said they're being detained. Uh, so anyway, uh, there's a lawsuit about this. And uh, at, at one point, it looked like the gambler – so they wouldn't pay them the $1.5 million either. So what ended up happening – was the players got too greedy. The Golden Nugget backed down and said, you know what, we're going to pay it. So in uh, on April 30th, 2012 was when the incident occurred. In late August, the Golden Nugget agreed that they are gonna, they're going to pay the $1.5 million. All they want is the players to drop their lawsuit for the unlawful detention and stuff like that involving the busting in their rooms late at night and, and everything like that. Now, if I were one of these gamblers, I would say, sure. Like, I'm pissed off about what happened, but who knows how I do in court. I get the money I won. 
this this was pretty much a gift to me anyway. That the yeah the, the way this all went down. So even though I would feel like I would deserve more than the money I won, I would feel like I would deserve some additional damages. Uh, just to avoid the risk of losing everything in court, I would say, yeah, I'll take it. Well, the gamblers got too greedy and said, no, we want you to uh, – we want the damages also for uh, for the unlawful detention. So they uh, they rejected it. They went forward in court, and they lost everything. They got a big fat zero. So that was back in 2012. Let's fast forward to 2015. And uh, I hadn't heard of this one, or, or maybe I had, but uh, I had forgotten it. One more, one more thing to add. I don't know if it was that year, but if it wasn't, it was right after or right before. But that was also around the time, didn't the Golden Nugget infamously have some high roller come in there that they catered to that was a really good card counter that beat them out of like $14 million. And he also beat like the Tropicana and it made mainstream news and blackjack. Oh, yeah, that was Do you remember that, this? I don't know if it's the Golden Nugget. That was that Don Johnson guy. Yeah, I, I don't know if... Uh, no, I'm pretty sure it was the Golden Nugget and the Trop. Okay, well, I, know, we'll, I know the Trop was one. I know it was the Trop. I don't know if the, if Golden Nugget. It may have been. I, I, I remember the okay. Trop. I don't remember which of the other one was. Amazing. You, good job. You remember his name real fast. I, I knew it was I knew it was a, a catchy name. You know, Don Johnson, like the actor, but I, I would never remember it that fast. Yeah, it was uh, interesting. It was funny because at first when I read this story, I was pretty sure this was just a degenerate who happened to get lucky and they liked promoting the story because it made it look like people can win. But it, it turned out that guy was not just a degenerate. He had a whole scheme down where uh, he would uh, he would create huge distractions to make it look like he wasn't a card counter. So like whenever the count would go negative, uh, he would find some other excuse to be unhappy and then throw a tantrum and, and make a huge scene and then walk away angrily. And then they'd convince him to come back. <laughs> by then they'll reshuffle. He'll pull crap like that. and so Or he'd get these giant... Uh, bonuses to play or, or, or lost rebates that would make it positive expectation and then he like so he was doing card counting but he was doing it in kind of a creative way and, and was creating so much just so many distractions which they tolerated because of the amount of money he was betting like this wouldn't have worked if you're just like a normal like green chip player or black chip player but but for the levels he was betting they were willing to let him throw these tantrums which then distracted from what he was really doing it's pretty clever so uh, anyway. it was kind of ingenious if you think about it Oh, it is. I was in, once I heard about it. Like I, I before I was annoyed by his story. I'm going, this guy's such a fraud. He's not a. He's not like he's. He's. It's just some guy who got lucky, who who bets a lot of money, and who knows how many how many times he lost money like this. Like this is the one time he won, but this isn't the man who broke Atlantic City. But no, it turned out that he he was like this was uh, like. Of course, it wasn't guaranteed he was going to win, but it, he was. There was uh, this was positive expectation what he was doing. So anyway, in 2015, something had happened there, which either I forgot about or didn't know about, but is pretty crappy, and it really just shows the golden nugget Atlantic City sucks. A, they had a 150K guaranteed poker tournament, and then it was a fail, and hardly anyone registered for it. So the casino was like, oh, fuck, we're, we have, we're guaranteed 150K. What do we do about this? So what did they do? They canceled it, which is really crappy, and that should just be outright against the law to ever do, but a lot of places it isn't. 
And we've, there's been other controversies like this before where places either cancel guaranteed tournaments or they find crappy ways to get additional people like what the Westgate did uh, a few years ago where they allowed people to buy in for half just to increase the numbers. So uh, these things should all be illegal, but they're not. We're getting an echo, by the way. Do you have something in the background? No. That's weird. I'm just sitting here like I have been. Weird. Nothing different. Maybe it's uh-huh. Skype. Anyway, so... You want to call me back? Is no, it bad? It's, it's, it kind of went away, actually. I think because I complained right. about it, it stopped. So, right. uh, a, so what happened was a guy came all the way from Vermont to play this tournament. I'm not sure how big the tournament was, but he came all the way from Vermont. His name is uh, Michael Bandler. I haven't heard of him before. But he, he came to the Golden Nugget for this tournament and the 150k guarantee and he got there and saw that it was canceled and he asked why was it canceled and they told him well we uh we didn't get the desired number of players he's like what that's what the whole point of the guarantee is <laughs> that's, you can't do that they said yes we can and they showed him the fine print in the terms of the tournament that said that they can cancel it if that the casino has the right to cancel or change the event at any time. Which is really crappy to say 150k guaranteed and then give themselves a right to cancel and put that in tiny print. So he sued them by claiming that this was consumer fraud and that the casino's advertising was misleading. So unfortunately for him, the court dismissed the lawsuit and it looked like this was done, and the Golden Nugget got away with it once again. However, just recently, and the reason I'm talking about this right now, is that he appealed it, and the appeals court agreed with him. And they said that the consumer fraud laws apply here, and that the casino omitted it intended to pay the 150000 only so long as enough people signed up. And the only indirect reference to that to that intent was the disputed disclaimer in small print about official rules and the right to change or cancel the event. So they're basically saying it's not a 150K guarantee if they're only guaranteeing it when they're going to get that amount anyway. So it is deceptive. Clearly, they weren't really guaranteeing 150000 It was deceptive advertising, which it, you know, that's, it really was. They deserve to lose here. So he was suing them. Now, I don't know... If, I don't know if he was suing them for the how much money he was suing them for because he's basically saying he traveled all the way over there for nothing and he wants to be compensated for it. But that won't amount to 150000 But they weren't even allowing his lawsuit to proceed. And now they are. Now the appeals court said, no, you can sue him. So he hasn't won yet, but he could win now because if the, the lawsuit can go forward. And if it does go forward and he wins, that might discourage other casinos from pulling this crap or could even lead to a law change, at least in New Jersey, which is much needed. I I hate when casinos warm out of guarantees. I hate it. If, you, if you're that afraid of, of an overlay, then don't run guaranteed tournaments. It's that simple. Just never have a guarantee. You won't have to deal with it. If you, if you have a guaranteed tournament, then you are committing to pay it. And if you're not, you're ripping everybody off. Even if you can legally get away with it, you're morally ripping everybody off. And that's why, if you guys remember, I reported so aggressively on that Westgate situation. You remember that, Brandon? The, what the yep, Westgate pulled? I do. Yeah, it was really bad. And uh, sure. we even had a, an undercover person who brought in a tape recorder, and, or a phone, it wasn't a tape recorder. I'm 
dating myself here, but he brought in a, a cell phone and, and secretly recorded them talking about how they're going to sell him a buy-in for a half. And, and, and then when he questioned it, they, they tried to make excuses of why that's okay, and then we played that on the show. So uh, that, that was uh, – and that, the person who, this, who did this underground recording was uh, Darren Atterbury, also known as Darren Lara, who later was thought to be the Bellagio Bandit, but actually wasn't. And then when the actual Bellagio Bandit got shot dead by police, people thought that it was Darren that got shot dead. And rumors got went around Vegas that he was dead and that he was the Bellagio Bandit because he kind of looked like the guy. And we had him on this show to explain the ordeal he went through and how the police were contacting him and telling him not to leave Vegas. This is before they shot the actual guy dead, but this is before they caught the actual guy. That'd be kind of crappy. Imagine, imagine the police are calling you about robbing the Bellagio when you know you didn't do anything like that. Yeah. And, and you don't know if you're, like, how do you prove yourself innocent? Like, you have no way to prove it wasn't you. And you're just afraid they're going to come down and get you one day. And, and you're going to go to prison for this when you didn't do it. But And the problem was the guy wore a disguise when he was doing it. And he had similar... Some certain similarities to Darren, like they, they both had a big nose, they were both five foot seven, they, they both approximately the same weight, so that, that, it, it was kind of believable that it could have been him. And also, Darren was—he's—he's uh, he's kind of like a degenerate gambler who gambles large amounts of money and then goes busto, and then I don't know how he gets money back to gamble again, but uh, then he runs it up again. And uh, in fact, he's been playing like fairly big recently at uh, in Vegas poker rooms I've seen uh, he's been posting on Facebook but uh, he had just lost like $80,000 one night and then like the next night Bellagio got robbed so that was one of the reasons people were suspecting him but turned out it was not him turned out it was a Jew named Michael Cohen not uh, Donald Trump's attorney wait what who is say it again the the Bellagio robber who got shot dead was named Michael Cohen. Oh, you're not talking about the cranberry chip guy. No, the this is actually the 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 robber who was robbing the poker room more recently. The one who was showing. Oh yeah, out. okay, yeah, okay. Do you who, remember? Do you remember who the cranberry guy father was? Yeah, it wasn't he? Like he was a judge or something, right? He was a judge, yeah, yeah which was so crazy to me. Yeah, both He's actually stories, a judge. Yeah, yeah, both stories were crazy. So one of them, you have a guy who who robs the Bellagio, and his father's a judge, and then he he gets caught because he makes an account named Ocean Spray Twenty Five, in relation Insane. to re- referring to the cranberry, the twenty five thousand dollars chips, which are nicknamed cranberries. He makes the name Ocean Spray Twenty Five and tries to sell them through two plus two, <laughs> and then people figure you it know, out. One of these. One of these weeks, you'll probably never do it because you'll forget, but I'll, I'll remind you. One of these weeks when there isn't a lot of news, you should maybe do like a two-hour part of the show, like the best of, and go over some of these stories that people might not, you know, not everyone's been around listening for eight, ten, even five years, and something like that. I'm sure there are a lot of people that find it interesting that don't even know it or had forgotten it. And, you know, the thing that was so sad about it is, by all accounts, his dad was a fair judge, but he wasn't an appointed judge. He was an elected judge. And after this, of course, he lost. He was up for election months after this, and he lost. And his career was done. Yeah, you know, which, you know, he was older anyhow, so I guess he just, I assume he retired. But uh, it's kind of shitty. Like, you ruined the whole family name. What, what, I'm talking about the 
cranberry guy. What's funny is the, the, the cranberry guy had actually posted pictures of it. Uh, he posted pictures of the chips and wrote Biker Bandit and put the date. He actually wrote Biker Bandit on the paper with the chips next to it and then put like 126.11. This happened in 2011, so it's this, we, we didn't discuss it on this show. Poker Fraud Alert didn't exist until 2012. It was discussed on the, yeah. the uh, previous show, but... Yeah, that was that was a crazy story. So th- there was that one, and then there was this one here, where the guy not only was the wrong person accused of it for a while and had to sweat this out, but uh, the the guy who ultimately was caught and shot dead was only caught because the police were there busting a pervert who had arranged to meet a twelve year old girl from a chat room. So this the twelve year old girl was coming to Bellagio with her family on a family vacation, and this pervert, this adult pervert. Yeah, I convinced remember her, that. Convinced her to meet yeah. him there, and, and and then she met him, and then they went off somewhere. I don't know what the guy thought his plan was. The the, the pervert, like, what did he think? He's the, the parents just weren't going to notice that the girl was missing, but they, they went off somewhere, and uh, the parents panicked and called the police. The police rushed down there to try to save the twelve year old girl, and lo and behold, who's robbing the Bellagio? Then, but the, they're watching. They're looking at the monitors, trying to find the the pervert, and they see someone robbing the cage, and they're like, "What the hell?" So then the guy walks out to the valet area, the North Valet area, and there's cops still standing there. And they see him trying to carjack someone to get away. And then you, the, the video was very dramatic where you actually see him firing a gun at one of the police officers. And you see the officer get hit, but is wearing a bulletproof vest, so the guy didn't uh, uh, get hurt. But uh, it hits his vest knocks him backwards, he falls backwards, knocks down another cop who's next to him while he's falling backwards, and then the third cop chases the, the robber down and shoots him as he's running away in the back of the head and kill, and kills him. Wow. So that was a, both pretty amazing stories. Like, like think how badly that Bellagio bandit ran that he happened to go rob it on a day that they happened to be there looking for a pervert. If that if that hadn't happened, he would have gotten away with it again. That was pretty bad luck. Yeah. And they they found the pervert, by the way, too. He also got arrested. So good good day for uh, for law enforcement there at the Bellagio. <laughs> yeah. Funny. Wouldn't that be weird though if you're there? Like if you're a cop there, you're there to to find some pervert who grabbed a twelve year old girl. And you're just kind of sitting there looking at the camera and just some dude walks through the cage and robs it while you're watching. You're like, am I seeing this? Like, is this really happening right now? I'm here for a totally different reason. The, it, it, you know, Ocean Spray 25 still has an account on Tubeless, too. You, if you Google it, you click on it. For some reason, it's listed as... You know what's funny? It's, it's, I should, we should look now, because... I want to say he's he got about six, seven, eight years in prison. The the Bellagio robber it wasn't like thirty, forty years. He probably is either out or he's close to getting out. I wonder what. Do you remember? I'll Google it. And see no, what his I, name. Yeah, was. I found his, his name was uh, Anthony Carleo. C A R. How do you remember that? No, I didn't. I just Googled it. Oh, okay. I remember it now geez. that I read it. Now that I read it, I remember the name, but I didn't remember that name. Uh, and the, yeah, he actually wrote. Uh, he sent this to somebody who didn't believe him on 2 plus 2, that he really had them. So he, he sent them a picture saying uh, to Proud Trout, I guess that's who was asking for it. Good luck, my friend. Biker Bandit, 126.11. P.S. Cranberries are good for the liver. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm, a, I'm looking it up to see 
what his sentence was. He gets stiffer sentence. Oh, did he also rob the Sunk Coast too? Um, did he? I, I don't remember that part. He robbed two casinos. Yeah, hold on. Let me see. Oh, he also gave one of the chips to the Salvation Army before Christmas. <laughs> oh, he, had not, he got sentenced to nine years. That's amazing. I didn't know that. So it's 2020. Okay, well, I well actually, I'm sorry. I shouldn't say that. It was between nine and 27. So he's probably up for parole now. Yeah, and he robbed both the Bellagio and the Suncoast the same month. Wow. He said, uh, he said to the judge, I'm completely ashamed of myself. I'm not a lost cause, though. I know I can turn my life around. And they sentenced him six to sixteen. Wow, you know what? He got a, he got a he got three to eleven for the Bellagio, but he got six to sixteen for the Suncoast. Where? He got a much different sentence for the Suncoast robbery. It might just be because there was two of them. Maybe that's what it was. He has to pay eight. Wow. Why? But you know what? If he took one point five million. Oh, you know, okay, he did the Suncoast robbery first, because I was going to say it wouldn't even make sense. He got 18000 from the Suncoast, but he did that first. Then five days later, he went to the Bellagio, and he took $1.5 million roughly in casino chips. I found some. And at his sentencing, the, uh, uh, Assistant District Attorney Chris Owens told the judge that police still had not discovered or recovered 793000 of the $1.5 million that were stolen from the Bellagio. Ah. Wow. It says here that uh, he's – I'm looking at some third-party websites. So I don't know if I believe it, but some third-party site with a lot of ads on it claims he's still right. in Lovelock Correctional Center. So I don't know if that's right, but I guess he could still be there. I'm looking it up right now. I don't know if there's a way to look that up easily. But anyway, that's uh, that's a pretty stiff sentence, though. But I, I guess given the amount that was stolen, even though nobody got hurt, it makes sense. Yeah. They, they've got to, they, the problem is they've got to dissuade this enough to where if, if it's worth risking a sort of short prison sentence to get away with a million bucks, then a lot of people will think that's worth it. Sure. So they they have to disincentivize this by making a, a pretty stiff sentence, even though uh, even if you get away with it without hurting anybody. But that uh, that that Michael Cohen guy was a pretty bad guy here because this is someone who actually tried to shoot a cop dead. So that was that that goes beyond just robbing the Bellagio. Like the the police saw him trying to carjack someone and he uh, he fired his gun right at the guy's chest. So he was trying to murder a police officer and didn't realize the guy had a bulletproof vest on and that was the end of him. I was surprised that nobody I was surprised nobody made a big deal. I mean I, I didn't care. I thought it was fine, but I was surprised nobody made a big deal that they shot Michael Cohen in the back of the head as he was running away. Now he was carrying a gun. Yeah. He, so they, it wasn't like he dropped the gun and ran away, but he did have his back to them and was running away. And they shot him in the back of the head. Now, it is true he had just seconds before shot at a police officer's chest and was holding a gun, so they could say they had to do it, otherwise he could have shot anybody. So, and I don't yeah, think... He, he made... You know, it's funny, he's on parole, he's out of jail. And it's unbelievable that you would think somebody would have covered this. Wow. 
Wow. That he, I'm looking at it right now. I'm on the Department of Nevada Corrections. Anthony, middle name Michael, Carleo, C-A-R-L-E-O. I'm looking at a picture of him. It says he is on parole. I'm going to see if I can okay. see one that happened. I'll, I'll have to remember to report that on Poker Fraud Alert. Okay, here we go. Uh, robbery. Yep, this, this is him. And he... Let's see. He got paroled, it looks like, October 22nd, 2019. Okay, well, hey, I guess... I guess he is uh, the free man at the moment. I'm looking at it right now, yeah. Uh, hopefully he uh, decides not to rob any more casinos. Paroled, yeah, paroled, wow. He didn't even serve the minimum. Or maybe he served the bare minimum county time served. Well, if, it's, if it was, oh, you say it was yeah, nine years. It was, nine to, it, was, it was nine to 30 years. Yeah, somehow he got less than that. That's weird. I wonder if, yeah. Because he he, yeah. was, he was arrested, I think, in 2011. So, yeah, you would have think it had to be this year he'd be released, not uh, next, not last year. And it says paroled. Wow. Mm. Well, interesting. That's it. Yeah. I have a feeling he won't do it again. I mean, that's my guess. I think. I no. Know. I think this is it's, it's probably was just like a, a, a stupid spree, and then he's like afterwards going, "Oh, what did I just do? I'm a moron." But that is what happens. It's serious business. It makes it makes me wonder how much being the son of a judge contributed to him getting an early release or serving the absolute minimum. You know, if, if someone that wasn't connected to the same crime, I would doubt, especially the way they are in Nevada about things of that nature, I, I wouldn't think they would get only nine years out of a possible 30. I mean, that's pretty lenient when you think about what he did. Not just one, but two of them. Involving weapons with crowds of people. I mean, nine years—that's that's pretty lenient when you think about it. No. Yeah. Uh, I mean, all things considered, I mean, I'm just saying. I wasn't you know, as lenient. I, I just because he didn't actually hurt anybody. It doesn't matter. Yeah, there was a lot. Of, I, a I think the Bellagio one was a Saturday night. You go on guns blazing on a Saturday night. I mean, that's you know, in a casino. I mean, but he didn't actually. I don't he, know. He didn't actually fire it, did he? He just, he no, was, he never. No, yeah, if he would have fired it, then they would have had to give him closer to fifteen or twenty. But no, never fired it. Well, I'll, hear, I'll, t- I'll tell you another one that uh, has surprisingly little time for someone uh, who did a pretty bad crime, much worse than this crime. Uh, remember that the male and female couple that uh, murdered that guy who was sleeping in his car in uh, for, for CES. Yeah, sure. Well, they, they got sentenced. Now, the female, I, I always thought she kind of got a, a bum deal in the whole thing because, like, she wasn't innocent. She was going around and breaking into cars with her boyfriend there, and uh, they even continued to break into cars after the murder. But she had nothing to do with the murder at all. Like, he just, like, her boyfriend said, hey, there's this guy sleeping in his car. Let me go rob him. And, and then the, the boyfriend gets out with a gun. And then for just whatever reason, I think he's on drugs or something, he just shot the guy dead for, like, pretty much no reason. And then they ran off. So the, really, the the I'm not saying the the girl didn't deserve anything, but I I understood why she shouldn't get a terrible sentence. But she was sentenced, so she got two concurrent eight to twenty year sentences. Which okay, I mean, yeah, a guy died out of the whole thing, and she was very much, uh, and, and then she went and continued breaking into vehicles after this with him, and she and she was there, and she was all for him 
breaking into the you know, robbing the guy. So fine, but the guy who actually committed the murder, who by the way had other violent felonies in the past, he got only a minimum of twenty years, which which is pretty shocking. Hmm. And uh, so he could actually be out of prison by and since he got credit for time served, since he got they got arrested in uh, early two thousand seventeen or late two thousand sixteen, uh, he could actually be out of prison before he's 50 years old which wow. I, I think is is pretty bad given what he did I would think you you go rob someone sleeping in their car and then to shoot them dead for no reason this guy who shot dead wasn't even struggling or anything he just he just shot him just shot him dead and so I, I would think you do that and have violent you have felonies beforehand violent felonies before that uh, like why would not get at least life in prison for that I was shocked he got tw- well, only a tw- uh, minimum of 20. So, yeah. So that's some of these sentences I I, I don't quite yeah. understand. That's, well, stick uh, on another note. Let me just ask you what. There's one other thing I just I read earlier today, and I just figured it'd be a good topic for the show. Do, what what other subjects do we have? None. That's it. Okay. So let me ask you this. Let me article here. I'm doing all this on my phone, by the way, because my laptop battery was dying. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Good. All right, so let me ask you. This is a WSOP topic. Do you know who Pat Lyons is? Yeah, I've heard you know of him. Yeah, I know. He, I know. I had heard of his name before. I didn't really know him. I know he won a bracelet on this online series. That's all I know. He won a bracelet. But what makes this possibly, depending on uh, whose perspective you're going to look at, either a feel-good story or the story that you didn't want to come out, what makes it interesting is that this was the first year after a three-year banishment that Lions was allowed to play in WSOP events. Now, apparently, for Lions, and I'm quoting a Pocket Fives article, for Lions, everything began to spin out of control with the World Series of Poker at the Rio back in 2016. According to Pat Lyons, a disagreement with a Rio staff member over how much bottled water cost for a seven-star member resulted in a full-blown argument. Lions admittedly over-medicated and suffering from excruciating sciatica pain. He lost control of the situation, and the result was him losing his WSOP privileges. Lyons said, I got banned. I was banned for three years. I was literally banned at the start of the main event, and all my dreams were dashed. <laughs> what followed was Lyons immediately lashing out at WSOP officials on his social media accounts in a deep feeling of entitlement that he wasn't afforded the kind of respect that a gambler of his status should have been giving, given. At the same time, Lyons was dealing with depression because of the fact he might not ever be able to vie for a bracelet again. And... Immediately after, okay. So anyhow, you get you get the gist of it. It started over, literally a seven star member being upset over how much he had to pay for a bottle of water to him getting banned from the WSOP. You know what? I, I could have given him a tip. I could have told him to just go to the front <laughs> desk and he just asked for free water. That's well, not now. Can. You can't though. Not anymore. You can't get free water anymore because of the pandemic. They they don't have. You're not allowed to have anything out like that. Nope. Ah, oh, sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Anyhow, so this guy, I didn't, I didn't even know this. I just came across this in, on Google. Anyhow, so this guy gets banned, and then now is his first year able to come back since his banishment. 
He missed 17, 18, and 19, and uh, comes back and he wins his first bracelet. Well, I, I wonder what he said to get banned for three years. That's pretty hard. I mean, it had to get pretty hostile, for, especially for a seven-star member. Like, yeah. it had to be pretty bad. I don't I think it goes into what he said. Yeah, I, I, that's what I want to know, what he said and who he said it to. Was it and he's like, an older gentleman, too. If yeah, I saw him, I saw he's not young. Yeah, I saw that. I, he's, he's not like some young punk, yeah. Yeah, he looks... But he was over-medicated, and he had a sciatic uh, injury. Um, blah, blah, blah. He's super happy he won this. Now it doesn't go into any more details about the fight. That's what I want. Lions know. has his eyes on the Poker Hall of Fame. Uh, I don't think that's yeah. Good luck. The, the, the World Series yeah. is the ones that runs that. They're, they're, now, now in the Poker Hall of Fame, a guy we once banned for three years for arguing about water, and he's <laughs> made, he's made good. His name is Pat Lyons. Yeah. So I see that. Uh, yeah, he won the he won that seven 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 event, which got a lot of criticism yep. because the the rake was very high, but. I see that he got that, and then, uh, yeah, I guess no World Series for him for a while. He also has uh, 831K of uh, WPT caches, including one title. So he has a WPT title. Uh, Is he delusional? He's not anywhere near the credentials to get in the Poker Hall of Fame. Well, that's his dream. He's got he, a he doesn't think he's there. He just oh. <laughs> he wants to get there one day. Uh, he, the thing is, uh, since he's getting older... It's going to get harder and harder. I don't know how old he is, but I, he's definitely not a young guy. Uh, you know, this I, I do have to blame Caesars for this a little bit, though. I don't know what he said to them. It's possible he was very uh, aggressive and inappropriate or maybe even threatening. But there is a problem that they have in that they market Diamond and Seven Stars as being something special, as if, like, you're in some kind of really exclusive club and some someone that they really have to... Uh, give the best treatment to, and then that's not actually what they deliver. They uh, they don't re- people don't realize how many diamonds and seven stars there are, and how the comps that they give you are related to your recent and semi recent play, and not based upon your tier status. So, oh, I'm sorry. Can I say something real fast? Yeah. So I, I don't mean to interrupt you. Um, really funny because I didn't know it at the time. But when we were doing this show a week ago today, and I was, we were kind of sweating Art Vandelay. Uh, what was his name? His oh, real yeah, name yeah, is. That's right. uh, that's a, he's the one who won it? Jonathan Doker, the one that potentially could have won, been the first person to win two bracelets ever, or online bracelets ever. That was a tournament where Pat Lyons won. Oh, I see. When we were. Yeah. So last week, I didn't know that I didn't know his online name, obviously. And to be honest, I don't think I even knew that name. Like he's not, you know what I mean? I didn't know who Pat Lyons was. I might have heard it, but I, I didn't know the backstory or anything about. Yeah, it. I didn't anyway, when we were on air last week. That was a that was a bracelet. Oh, that we was won. the bracelet. Okay, so so yep. yeah. So as far as I, I think I see what happened, he probably didn't know that much about what Seven Star really meant. And he's probably like, hey, you know, can you comp the bottle of water to me? Maybe it wasn't just regular water. Maybe it was Fiji or something, and they wanted to charge him six bucks or something, or maybe higher. So, so he's probably like, hey, I'm a seven star. I'd like free water. And they're like, uh, okay, you'll have to get a host get that for you. He's like, huh? What? No, no, just give me a, give me this water. Like, I, like at World Series events, they don't charge you for regular bottled water. 
So it wasn't that. It was probably that he wanted a Fiji or something, and they wouldn't give it to him. And he's like, no, I'm a seven-star. Let me show you my card. No, it doesn't work that way, sir. You have to get your host to comp. And it's like, no, I'm a seven-star. Give me the freaking water. Sir, again, that's not how yeah. it works here. Like, I can see that whole thing going, and if someone's kind of in a bad mood already, like, I don't fully believe his excuse, oh, I had sciatica, I had, I, I was having this problem, I was having medication. Yeah, but you still gotta take, you still gotta take things way over the line to get banned, though, in a situation well, that, like well, that. I think, I think that's what I happened. mean, you I, really, because even, listen, even if you would have cursed at him and, and gone over the edge, he could have apologized and probably got his way out. I mean, you really have to cross the line, I, I, I would think. I think what probably happened was, yeah, he probably was, like, in a really bad mood because he was in pain, and, uh, and and so he's probably in a bad mood. Uh, they wouldn't give him the water for some reason. That just really set him off. And then he just went irrational. And not only did like really really nastily go off and and, and shout and, and use obscenities with with the employee, probably went back to his room and just like went off on the World Series. And then when they tried to respond to him on Twitter, then he just went even more. I could picture the whole thing like he just kept escalating, escalating. And then by the time he uh, he calmed down, he was already banned. I could I could totally see this because I I've seen people sometimes go crazy when they're told no about something that they just think that they should be getting, especially if they're not exactly in a right state of mind. Like if something else is bothering them, and sometimes it can be small things that really set people off. So I'm not defending him here, but I could kind of see how this happens. And I've always thought that Caesars they overpromise without directly doing so they kind of overpromise of the of how great it is to be diamond or seven star and and they don't set realistic expectations and i think like diamond i think is very useful for the world series if it's i always think that if you're going to play a lot at the world series you really should be diamond it's a much better experience but uh, at the same time i i'm never i'm not on under any delusion that i'm anything special uh i and when i was seven stars the only thing I would use that for as far as any kind of privilege would be like kind of the exception to silly rules or, or getting me into a restaurant that's full and then squeezing me in. Like I, I'd ask for things like that because I'd know that they are told to grant things like that. But I wouldn't uh, – like I would never get into an argument that way because I would know that if that's not the way the program works, that's not the way the program works, even if I think it's dumb. So uh, – uh, but you know, some people don't understand the way all these comp programs work. I can totally see how this comes to be, especially with someone who's not thinking rationally at the time. So, whatever. I'm glad he glad he won a bracelet, even if it was beating uh, Art Vandalay, who we were su- sweating last time. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. Well, that's. I'm uh, looking at his Twitter feed, but he, I was going to see if there was even a possibility that I could find whatever. <laughs> Easy tweets he went off on on WSOP and at Caesars years ago, but the guy tweets so much it would literally take me hours to go to go three years back. Oh yeah, 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 I would. Yeah, that, I have a feeling he deleted them. That's what I think. He probably did, but still, you never know. Especially I mean, after you, you never want, know. Especially after you, like, listen, you hear all the time about these people getting. You hear all the time about these NFL baseball football players getting drafted or whatever it may be, and then someone finds on their open feed a racist comment or something they said in in high school that. You know they have to apologize. It happens a lot. Oh yeah, it's really I see nuts that. to think yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, I see that these these poor people who are like in their mid twenties now that like in two thousand eleven were in high school and they they just wrote something stupid and immature and then they have to go through this whole yeah. long apology I, about about what they said. I can't remember the names, but last year 
there were two baseball players that in the beginning of the season blew up and they blew up to such a degree that they were getting scrutiny and, and both of them had skeletons in their passing. Like one of them wasn't as bad. One of them, I mean, one of them said the N word, but he was quoting a rap song. And then he had to have a press conference and apologize. And another one said something, I guess that was maybe interpreted as being racist. But remember it happened like really close. Yeah. I think one like, was, you know, I, think, within, I like, think one was Josh Hader of the Brewers. Yeah, that's right. That is right. Absolutely. I don't, I don't remember that. I never would have got that name, but that's who one of them was. Sure. Yep. I, don't, I don't remember the other one. Yeah, I think there was a second one, but but there was there, there was a thousand percent two of them because I remember thinking, oh, not this shit again, and and it certainly was. But but just to even think that you know, I don't know, it's strange. You'd think that anyone that is going to be drafted high, selected high, whatever it may be, would have somebody that would go over all that. Like you know what I mean? You'd have like a person that handles that for you to at least. I don't know. Yeah, or or, or, or just like delete delete all your delete your Twitter or, right. and start over. <laughs> yeah, sure, absolutely. <laughs> that, that's that's what I would do. Just go. You know, I'm not going through nine years of this shit. I'm just I'm just going to delete my Twitter, make a new Twitter, start fresh, make sure not to say anything stupid, and and that's that. And uh, yeah, it's I I don't even understand like what's this whole thing about going back to when people are in high school and finding some one-off thing they said. I and mean, if you're not, if it's been nine years since then and they haven't done anything similar, then obviously they've grown up and you just have to dismiss it as something that, that they said is a stupid kid and that's it. Sure. But, but you know, to have, to have a, to have a press conference and literally have to address something that you did in high school or even, you know, like your sophomore year in high school, that's a little, a little bit too much for me, I think. <laughs> Yeah, it sucks. There's just so much of a record of everything now that you say on social media. Everything comes back to bite you. I think the, uh, the as much as the, as hard as it is, maybe, maybe the smartest thing to do is just leave no trace of anything anywhere when you're unless you know that there's not going to be a, a situation where you're going to have to worry about it. But like if you're uh, otherwise, you never. Well, know. think about think about like ten, twenty years from now. Probably like 20 years from now, everyone that's going to run for president or run for office, can you imagine how many of these we're going to be hearing about in 20 years? Like someone that's, you know, some high-profile elected official or a CEO of a, of, of a company that somebody finds something they did on social media that was embarrassing or could be misconstrued as being disrespectful. I mean, it's going to be hard not to. Well, it just happened where someone who said something in, in 1987 about women serving in combat – and that how he doesn't think they should or they're not fit for it or whatever. He said this in 1987 and had to recently resign as a VP of some major company because they found wow. some, they found an interview from 87 when he said that. And I'm like, first of all, it's 33 years. Second, you, you've got to judge this according to people's attitudes in 1987, not their attitudes in 2020. I'm I'm actually amazed that this uh, prime minister from Canada has been able to navigate the waters and survive in this climate now. He, you know, talking about Justin Trudeau, uh, a little over 20 years ago, there were pictures that came out, I don't know, a year ago, maybe six months ago, of him dressed in blackface. Yeah, and there were and, a few of them. You know, like, yeah, and then he even admitted, yes. he, he said there, there may have been, like, he said there were so many, he's not even sure how many there were. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so I, I was just shocked. I thought in this climate, you know, I mean, they're making the Redskins change their name, which I'm not saying they shouldn't, you know, but I'm just saying we're not even talking about politicians. We're just talking about, you know, sports franchises. I didn't think he'd survive, and it looks like he has. Like, he, he he's still there, and they're not – there were – some calls originally for him to step down, but he ignored him, and just it's amazing. 
And I think what was it? Wasn't it the governor of Virginia yes, that got, did he, the same he, thing? Yeah, he got away with it. Did too. he survive? He survived too. Yeah, didn't yeah, he got away with it too. Yeah, amazing. It's I, really, really. You know, tell me something. Uh, I, I know we're it's what it's five in the morning, so we do got to get off this thing. What do you think? Real fast. Uh, there's a couple different things with sports in terms of uh, what's gone on the last few months, mainly since the, the Floyd murder. Um, with the Redskins, I, I know you don't follow football that much. It's not your sport, but did you see what the Washington Redskins, the team announced, yes, yes, they're, they're going to be known as this yes, year? Washington football team. The Washington <laughs> football team, right. And they had no choice. Believe me, I know enough about Dan Snyder. I don't know if you follow him. He's the owner of, or the majority owner of Washington, who famously said like six years ago to a reporter, that he will never, ever change the name as long as he's the owner. And he even said, put that in capital letters. But after FedEx, uh, which is the sponsor of their stadium and other minority owners literally forced his hand. And I mean, he had no choice. He didn't want to do this. But anyhow, so they're doing that. Uh, it's already off like Redskins memorabilia is off on eBay. They're not allowed to sell it off on Amazon. Nike took it down. So now the next one is. Cleveland, the baseball team, is in talks about potentially, possibly changing their name too. That the way the where it is right now is they're going to speak with um, community leaders, activists, so on and so forth, and see if there's a way to go forward with that name, or if not, what would be the, the feasible thing to do. And then there there was talk initially about the Atlanta Braves as well, and they stated that they were going to stay with the name and then they were going to eliminate some of the other things such as a war chant and other traditions that could be interpreted as being disrespectful native Indians. So what do you think about those three scenarios? Uh, The Redskins and I guess the Indians and then the Braves. Like, do you think one should be changed all three? What's your feeling on, or just in general, what's your feeling on the sudden need, uh, the climate of, of all these sports teams being asked to change their names or being forced or whatever you want to call it. Well, first of all, with Washington, if they can't come up yet with a better name than Washington football team, they shouldn't change it yet. They they should at least have some kind of name that they're going to move to. Then, uh, it well, that's, hey, that's not actually what happened. This is funny you said that because they were actually going to name themselves. I read a ton of reports from reporters that I find credible they were going to name them the Washington Red. Oh, geez, what's the what's the word? It was named after a black military unit in like during World War II. And it had the word "red" in it. I, I have to Google it. Someone, I guess there's no chat going on now. Anyhow, I'll Google it in a second. So it was almost confirmed that they were going to name it the Washington Red, and I can't think of the last word of it. But apparently, right before they were going to announce it, some guy literally trademarked over a hundred thousand potential names for Washington. So when Washington <laughs> wanted to announce it, they realized they didn't even have the rights to, and that's what's resulted in the delay. Does that make sense? The way I explained yeah, it. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, so you go on and I'm going to look it up. It was Washington red, uh, red birds. Oh geez. Okay. Go on. You talking. I'm going to, Oh, red tails, Washington red tails was the name that they were going to use. And, Red tails are. Have you, are you familiar with that name? The no, red, I, red I tails. Wasn't, no. Okay, I'm gonna read it. Okay, actually, it was World War Two. They were famous Tus. They were 
Tuskegee, how do you pronounce that? Oh, the Tuskegee? Tusk- yeah, the Tuskegee uh, Airmen. Yeah, they were the Tuskegee Airmen, Airmen during World War II uh, that were African-Americans. They were named the Red Tails. So anyhow, that's what they wanted to switch. That's what they wanted to go by this season. But apparently they realized over the weekend, I guess it had leaked or however it happened, some dude who is still anonymous at this point literally uh, trademarked over 100,000 names that could potentially be their new names, and that was one of them. And now now it's, it's going to end up in court. You'll probably hear about this pretty soon unless – they pay him, in which I, I don't think. If you know Dan Snyder, the owner of Washington, he's not going to pay somebody. You know, you know who probably did that? Just, it was probably know. the guy who stole Togwitellis.com, Eric Parkinson. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, anyhow, what do, you, do you think the Redskins should be changed? Do you think we're getting too politically correct now at this point? Or what's your feeling on, on that? Well, I do feel we're getting way too politically correct at this point, and I've, I've said that for a while. Um, I uh, Individually, for these particular situations if first of all you have to see how much this really does bother native americans or if this is just white people who want to say it is and that's uh, that's something you have to really see if this uh, is this really something that is an issue to them or just because certain white liberals think it should be and so you have to go by that and i don't know the answer to that one uh, but now if if native americans really find these names offensive then I can understand changing it. And there have been other teams that have changed names for various reasons. So it's, it's not like changing the name of a team is unheard of. But you know, luckily, even the Washington Bullets changed names because of, uh, they, they didn't want it to sound like they were glorifying violence. And because Washington, D.C. had so many uh, so much crime anyway, they didn't want to make it seem like they were making light of that. Sure. So, so there's been... Other teams which have changed names, uh, and this this isn't the worst reason to change name. If, if there's a valid reason to, not because people think but this it, would be this would be this this would be the longest uh, standing nickname that's ever been changed. It's been I think I read it was 84 years since they were since the Redskins originated. Well, that's why I'm saying so it, should, it should be seen if it's it should be understood if it really is something that is seen as offensive. Or if if nobody this would impact would really care. It, it doesn't matter what white people think should be offensive. It matters what actually is, and uh, and sometimes that gets lost in the conversation. So I, I would love to see the truth about that. If, if it tr- if it truly is that a lot of Native Americans find these offensive and have been long bothered by it and want to see this changed, and they choose to change it. That fine. I, I know it's uh, a long time, and we we are getting overly politically correct. And I think also it's absurd that this should be wiped out of existence, like that there shouldn't be merchandise on eBay. Like if people want to still sell on eBay, they should be allowed to. It shouldn't be if people still want to sell it just because it's something that's gone. It's something that's going away or or isn't here anymore or whatever you want to say. And people want to sell merchandise related to that. Then fine. It's, it's not that you should. So you're ban basically the saying it's ridiculous to make it contraband. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's, that's, I agree. That's going too far. If they just want to change the but name, but I think a lot of that was to pressure the owner and not give him any wiggle room. You know what I mean? Like yeah. when Nike took it down, then Amazon did, then eBay did it. It was all before he announced that he would agree to do it. And I think that was, you know, what I mean. They, they basically ganged up on him, so we have no other choice. Well, and that's and that's one problem. I do have. I don't like how. See, corporate America has 
become so afraid of the social media cancel mob that even if they don't really agree with these sorts of things, they feel if they don't go along with it, that they're going to be facing massive sure. boycotts and massive backlash from this from this vocal group. So they, they just decide, you know what, it's just easier to go along with something that uh, th- that the most vocal group who's going to be pissed will be on their side. That just, just and it's so funny, Nike of all companies wants to act like they're doing the right thing when they've blatantly, especially in the last year, now they're not even denying it anymore, have been involved in, you know, infiltrating college athletics to the point where it's, it's not even, you know, you can't even look at it as an amateur type sport anymore. I don't know if you've, if you've read part of it made mainstream news with the Michael Imanati thing with, you know, him being convicted of blackmailing them, but he only blackmailed them or attempted to blackmail them because they had actually indeed broke the law Yeah, in yeah, regards I, I, to yeah, I noticed that. paying athletes. Well, I, I know, I know we're getting off the subject here, but still I, I find the irony in that pretty, pretty high that, they're taking the high moral high road here. And this is a company that willfully was cheating and, and just out of control now, probably for years. And you're just hearing about it now. So. Well, and that's, and that's what also bothers me when people give credit to companies for taking these positions, these politically correct positions. And there's many people out there who it's more important to them for the company, for corporations to take, to take these insincere politically correct positions than to actually uh, act responsibly uh, in, in the way they do business, and that's that's especially sad. That what, what what people should care about is how the company does business, not what political stance they're taking. So now, if Amazon really, if if they honestly felt that they feel that they really hate the name Washington Redskins so much, they're just not going to carry their merchandise. Fine, then then stop carrying it. But. This clearly looks like, especially because of these companies doing it all at once, that this was a result of pressure or fear of pressure. And and the, it's getting very bad with this to where every company now has to do it. And nobody wants to stand up to the cancel mob. So even with things which where, where it's defensible that as far as changing some things, that the way we end up getting there – I, I don't always like. It looks like that people aren't given a choice and people are, are basically being forced by uh, a, a very vocal group on social media that threatened to basically ruin everything if you don't give them what they want. And then there's people who kind of go along with all this and then corporations would take the path of least resistance. And it's, it's sad to see in that way. But as far as the name change themselves, I that doesn't bother me that much if that ends up happening. If if it really is an issue to Native Americans, which I don't know if it is or not. I don't mean to any Native Americans. I mean the vast majority, what do they think about it? Like, do a study, take the polls. And I, maybe they have, and, and I, I haven't seen the results. But I never like when you have middle and upper middle class white people and upper class white people who are, are speaking for all the victim groups as if they know, as if they're the deciders of what's offensive and what's not. That's that's always bothered me to see. And that that may or may not be what's happening here. But uh, in, in general, I don't like this sort of thing. I don't like the political correctness. I don't like the, the, the cancel culture. I don't like that there's consequences to 
saying you you feel a certain way now, or you support a certain candidate that you can you can't be honest about who you are and what you believe, even if it's a mainstream belief. You you can't say certain things, or it can affect your career. And a lot of people now think that's okay. A lot of people, as years have passed, each younger generation now, and this is only a recent thing, but each each uh, younger generation thinks free speech is less and less important. And if you look at college campuses where they poll people about uh, how important is free speech, and like you'll see like 28% think it's important, which is uh, amazing. I would have never pictured that. That's something yeah. that's changed a lot since since I was there, and uh, I and that's why this show here. I on this show, I uh, people can say anything. They can they can be whatever beliefs they have. They they can express. And fortunately, nobody can cancel me. And uh, I try not to have this show actually harm anyone, except for except for scammers or those that deserve it. But. Uh, yeah, innocent people. I, I don't want to see harmed, and uh, but other than that, like I, I I'm not going to enforce any kind of ideology on this show, or say you can't say certain things, or say you can't hold certain opinions. And it doesn't matter if these are opinions that are the same as mine or different than mine, and that's that's really all I want. I and one more thing I want to say. There's a lot of talk of fascism recently. The fascism has come to America because of what's happening in Portland with the federal troops. And Donald Trump is bringing fascism to us, but that's not what fascism is. Fascism is suppression of speech. Fascism is punishing people for dissent or for deviating from one point of view to where something bad happens to you. And that's not, that's not what Trump is doing. He's not the one doing that. And there's only one side I see doing that. And I know that people who were on the left 30 years ago, they didn't do things like this for the most part. They didn't see things this way. And this is a newer development. And that's why a lot of older people who are on the left don't agree with this. And uh, and I hope the younger people, or even the older people who have been brainwashed to believe this is right, will understand that th- this is very bad. And that you can't, you can't have a democracy where people are not allowed to express their point of view without consequences to them. Especially a mainstream point of view. It's one thing if your point of view is uh, exterminate such and such race. So that if you say that and, there, and there's consequences, fine. I mean, that's such an extreme and crazy point of view that that's understandable. But you express a mainstream point of view that 100 million people would agree with you and you face consequences for it. That's a big problem. And yet we're seeing that. So that's something I will never support. And I'll also never support, as I, I was saying earlier in the show, I will never support suppressing the truth or not telling the truth because people will think the wrong thing. You should always tell it like how it really is, even if it if you're afraid this might make a certain group look bad or make people think the wrong thing or get the wrong idea. That's not up to you to decide. Just report the truth. Be honest about what's really happening. And I'm seeing that less and less as well. And there's, uh, like, I don't want to open a whole can of worms. So you see all the reports of the terrible violence in Chicago and New York. I'm talking about not the protest violence. I'm talking about just regular street violence where people are being 
murdered and shot down by career violent criminals. And the victims of this violence are, are mostly black. And this should be considered a big tragedy. And this is not a new thing. This is something that's gone on in this country for, for many decades. Sometimes it's, and for a while we were doing better and better each year. And now it's, it's no longer like that. Now it's getting worse and worse. But, but this is the only first world country with crime problems like that. And you have to ask why. And you have to try to find solutions to it. But for some reason, we're concentrating on a tiny, tiny percentage of murders, and those are ones committed by police, unjustified police killings, which are very bad and shouldn't be happening. But when they're a tiny percentage of the problem, why are we focusing on the tiny percentage of the problem and ignoring the huge problem of all the black people killed each year by career criminals who shouldn't be out, who should be in prison before it even happens for the other things they've done. And there isn't much talk of that. And definitely no talk of that from those who say Black Lives Matter. But that's what baffles me. And I think the reason that there isn't talk about those things is because it's much easier to blame something that looks big and scary like like a racist police. It's a lot harder to talk about... Uh, when there's violence from within a community, what do you do about it? And if the solution is imprisoning certain people in that community who are not white, then that can be very controversial and difficult to talk about. So it's just easier to say, hey, let's blame the racist white cops. So that's, uh, I, I just don't understand why focus on a small percentage of the violence and not the, not, not where the real violence is. That, not where, not the real culprit for killing a lot of black people each year. And that's that's the type of thing that baffles me. It's like people don't really want the solution that will save the most lives. They want to do what's symbolic. It's much more symbolic to defund the police because of uh, a, a, a small number of bad cops who, who've unjustifiably killed black people. It's much more symbolic to do that than to give longer sentences to criminals within the black community who are killing people. But if you really want to help the black community, you, you get the really bad apples out of there and you let everyone else thrive. You let everyone else live. You let everyone else not be terrorized by, by the criminal element. And that's, that's what I would think is a no-brainer. Now, how you get there, there's various ways to get there, but, I, but that's not even a discussion. And I don't understand that. There's a lot of things that I think people are purposely not discussing because the strong symbolism of what a good person you are to discuss it isn't there. And sometimes I think people who are discussing about things we need to change in the world are doing it because they want to make themselves feel good, that they're good people to want to address the problem rather than wanting to actually solve anything. And I've always been one who wants to solve things not look good while doing it. So that's a lot of this is baffling to me. Yeah. I I don't understand a lot of it and uh some of it just would would seem to make sense. You you have uh <laughs> you have people who are uh, career criminals with a violent history. That's very a small a relatively small percentage of of, of the community. 
and you get rid of them, everything improves. A lot of people, uh, fewer people die. A lot less violent crime happens. Sounds like a win. Sounds like a great thing. Why not do it? But there's there's opposition to that, which I'll never understand. So uh, it's there's just uh, some positions people take these days. I I try to understand them, even if I don't agree with them. But some of them I just outright can't understand. Anyway, uh, that's all. These definitely these definitely are crazy times, though, huh? Oh yeah, the problem is it's like a one-two punch of the social unrest and the coronavirus, yeah. and that's that's, it is, that's right. the problem. Even with, like, if there was no coronavirus, we'd be looking at a lot of this and go, "Wow, there's a lot of craziness happening here in 2020." But now we've we've, yeah. we've got this virus sitting here, which by itself is a gigantic story, and and people are going to look back. I was just discussing this with uh, Benjamin's mom, that she actually said this that when Benjamin's an adult. He's going to look back at this year and say, you know, that, that was a in twenty twenty. Like the, those were really, really weird times where everybody was was home and and everybody had to go out wearing a mask and everything was closed and and uh, like if if the coronavirus is eradicated and it's pretty much not a big deal. Like to explain that to kids in like the year twenty forty, they're not even going to understand it. They're going to go, what? Yeah. What was that about? Like, it's going to be just so weird to them to even think that that was a, that was the same country, and that was the yeah. that was the same place. And I don't know. It's it's really hard to picture now what the future is going to be. I hope the future is not like a hyperinflation that decimates the economy and that any savings you have are just wiped out. You're saying basically we don't become Venezuela. <laughs> yeah, like I, I I'm worried that it, I I am a little worried that it's just that's just going to hit us, and then. Everyone's going to be a crap. What are we yeah. going to do? Get real- I think they already know that's a possibility. They just don't want to freak people out more. Yeah, they got to really watch out that we don't get there. I was saying that at the beginning when they were talking about what to give everybody while this is all going on. Well, and- you know what? I, I, Who knows in terms of this unemployment thing? They're going to have to decide the next couple of weeks. But it looks likely that they're going to do another round of stimulus checks to everybody. I mean, from what I'm reading, it looks like that's pretty likely. So that's going to be another trillion plus dollars. Yeah, what, what, so I, I think what the, they one solution they could do is, especially if they think that there's going to be an eventual end to this, is they they could start making uh, basically promises for the future that uh, if, you, if you do X now to help out, then you'll get Y later. Like, for example, for the landlords, like you're going to have to see what to do about landlords who uh, aren't able to collect rent because their tenants can't afford it and yet they're prohibited from kicking them out. Well, I don't think that's going on anymore. I thought all those moratoriums expired. No, no, in California, they still exist. Oh, well, you know, you may be the only state, if not few. It expired here two months ago. Okay, well, they, they could bring them back, though, where you are. Like, there's a lot of things that could still happen. Uh, and I, but I think like if, if that becomes an issue, one thing they could do is instead of just saying you can't evict anybody and tough luck if they just skip out and don't pay, like yeah you can sue them, but if they're broke, good luck. But what what, what the government could start doing is telling landlords, okay, if people can't pay, uh, 
don't charge them now, and then uh, you know, later down the line you'll get this gigantic tax credit, or you'll get, uh, or we'll we'll give you this money back plus more. We'll guarantee this, you know, this many years down the line, or something like that, where they have something that they'll get back for cooperation. Uh, something like that, since this is something which is supposed to be temporary, and uh, it, it's kind of like borrowing from the future. To, to put in the present where we need it. Things like that could be done if in, in order to kind of hold back something like hyperinflation and yet be able to give smaller checks out. So, I, I mean, these are things that have to be thought out better than what I'm doing right now at 5 in the morning. Sure. But, uh, but they may have to get creative with things like that, and I think maybe something that's against the future for certain industries could help and then people would need less money to get by every month and they can get they could just not have to give as much money away and uh, and then they're also there they also may have to eventually look at uh, really separating like as far as reopenings they could start reopening and, and really aiming it at certain age groups that aren't as uh, aren't as vulnerable but the, there is something disturbing which we've I mentioned on a previous show. I'm I'm sure you've seen uh, Sloppy Joe on our forum. Yeah. Uh, So he had a pretty mild case of the coronavirus. He's like 33. And he got got kind of the version you'd expect a 33-year-old to get, where he feels it, but it's not awful. And this was in March. And it appears he has lung damage. It appears that he can't exercise very well at all now. He used to exercise a whole lot. Oh, wow. And now, like, he tries to hike in the altitude, can't do it. He tries to. He used to run like six miles or more every day. He runs three now. He's exhausted. And this is three months later, and and he could feel it in his lungs. So it looks like he probably got permanent lung damage from it, as unfortunate as that is for him. But uh, and this is a guy who wasn't in bad shape during the virus itself. I was always imagining that if you had a fairly bad case where you're like debilitated, even if you're just at home, but just like even if you don't ever have breathing problems, just like if you if you're just like stuck in bed for two weeks and can barely stand up. Uh, that you're probably going to get the lung damage, but I never pictured like like the mild cases like his can also get the lung damage. But it looks like you can. And then I read some articles after that that they started discovering that more people are getting lung damage and other forms of damage like heart damage and brain damage than they thought. And that's uh, so that could be one risk to young people that we didn't really think of is that even though they don't get the the symptoms that badly, that they may get the permanent damage. And and actually, getting the permanent damage is worse when you're young because you have a longer time to live with it. Imagine having to live with lung damage since you're in your 20s or early 30s. You you have a lot more years. Like like it sucks. In, in those years, you should be very healthy and very uh, able. And, and it, it's much worse to be facing kind of like like health issues you shouldn't be having to face in those years rather than in in uh, later years when you kind of expect more things to go wrong anyway. So, and you right. and, and you have more years to live with it too. Like if uh, if some if somebody's eighty gets lung damage, you go okay. Well, how much longer do they have to live anyway? And how many other pains do they already have anyway? But uh, like like how many eighty year olds do you think are are going to be exercising that vigorously? But uh, you know when you're thirty, that's that's a big deal. That suddenly your your lungs don't work that well anymore, and you have to you have to live with this for many remaining decades. So that's. Uh, and also, who knows what that could do to your longevity, if this could cut down your lifespan. So there's a lot of unanswered questions here, and it's, it's sad. And uh, 
I just really hope that this could get eradicated or, or disappears mostly on his own, and we'll have to see what happens. So, anyway, anything else, Brandon, before I shut this down? No. What What time did you start tonight at? I started at 9-something, so it's been over eight so, hours. Wow. Well, that should make those happy that love the long shows. A lot of people especially love them now because I think there's less to do, so they, they need something to pass the time. Yeah. And they, and they see, like eight-hour show coming through to their phone, and they go, oh, good, I can I can spend over an hour a day listening, and I'll have something new every single day before he comes back on. You know, I, I will say, this just popped on the screen, uh, Japanese or Korean baseball's over. Yesterday's opening game of, of the baseball season, Washington, the Nationals, and the Yankees, which ended, the Yankees went in, I think, in five innings or five and a half innings because of a rain delay. I just saw on ESPN it was the most watched game, regular season or playoff, in nine years. Wow. <laughs> so that's how starved people were for sports. Uh, counting the World Series, yesterday had more live listeners or what live watchers, followers, whatever you want to call it, viewers, than any other game in nine years. Yeah, it doesn't surprise it's a regular me. season game. And, and uh, I, I wonder how many people stuck around to, to watch the Dodgers and Giants, uh, the Dodgers playing the total fail team that the Giants have there. God, their offense, I, I know it's only two games, but I saw parts of both games. I saw the highlights of, of both as well. Their offense looks just unstoppable. Looks, And I know it's kind of misleading because they're playing against a minor league team in essence in San Francisco, but they still look good offensive-wise. They look real good. I don't think it's going to be offense that's that's their downfall this year. No, 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 it won't be. That's, that's not the question. The offense is, is going to be yeah. great. It's, it's the, the, the starting pitching and, and some of the bullpen like there, there could be some pitching issues especially in the playoffs that's the concern of what could happen here but uh especially, yeah. especially... max muncie went off tonight he just went nuts yep you know you know what's he... funny about i noticed about the dodgers hitters you know there are usually baseball players are especially uh like when there's good hitters usually they're pretty tall pitchers are always almost always tall pedro martinez was one of the few who wasn't but uh the, even the 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 hitters, the good ones are usually pretty tall. And uh, on the Dodgers, there are three very good hitters who are not tall. In fact, substantially shorter than I am. So, who do you think those three are who are uh, substantially under six foot? Oh God! You know what? I don't know. I know Justin Turner is. Justin Turner is one of them who's who's not tall. Yeah. Um... Bell, oh, I you know I just don't. I don't not know. Bellinger. Bellinger's I, actually taller than okay. me. Uh, he's, All right. Uh, hold on. Let me look up your lineup real fast. Uh, that's a good question. So, I, so you said Justin uh, Justin Turner's one, right? He's one of them. Yeah, there's two others. Two other regular right, players so. who are, are known to be very good hitters. I don't know how tall Mookie Betts is. Mookie, you're correct. He's one of them. He's he's also yeah, not he, tall. He's not tall. He's definitely not. He's not over six. If he's six feet, maybe, but no, probably he's not. less. He, than he's that. he's listed as five foot nine. He may not even be that. Or what? what uh, Max Muncy. Yeah, Max Muncy. Max Muncy's the other one. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Three guys who are not tall. It's, it's a, unusual. Usually, the the good hitters, uh, except for like the sh- like the little skinny leadoff hitter types, like D Gordon. Uh, other, other than that, usually the good hitters are are fairly tall, and these three are not. But uh, what about your what about uh, what's his name the the utility outfielder uh, Gore? 
I Terrence Gore. Yeah, he's new. I don't really know him. Okay. Oh, you know what? The guy I'm looking it up now. The guy that went off yesterday. Oh, Kike Hernandez. Great, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's he's under six foot. Yeah, he but he's not a he's not a uh, a regular starter, and he's. The, the problem with, with Kike Hernandez, we were just discussing this in the forum, is that when he's going well, like he can just seem really great like he was yesterday. And then when he's slumping, like he's just absolutely terrible. He's like an automatic out. So, oh, so, okay. so, so it's someone who just like you add it all together. He's like a, a good reserve player when you add it together. But he has these very hot periods and these very cold periods. So that's, that's the issue with him. But Max Muncy, he's really I, – I don't – there's been some allegations that maybe he's on steroids, but I would think that would have been found by now. Uh, but he really came out of nowhere. They, they, uh, he couldn't even get a major league job in uh, in 2017. Yeah, you know, I, I, we're not going to get into all this again. I was just to prove I was listening. I heard one bad guy called in, and I think, in my opinion, in my life, and I've been watching baseball. You know, since I was four or five, it was the first sport I was ever fond of. I think Barry Bonds is the best baseball player I've ever seen. Steroids or not, I still think in my in my general. Now, you know, who's to say maybe Mike Trout may surpass him or come close to him, and even if he doesn't surpass him, just the fact that you know he's likely going to be clean his whole career that might be enough. But uh, so I'm still hard pressed, even with all that's happened and all that I know that Barry Bonds did. Find someone who's a better all-around player than he was. I mean, because you got to think those first few MVPs he won in, in the dominating seasons he had with Pittsburgh, he probably was clean back in the late '80s and early '90s. Yeah, yeah, I, he probably was, and then uh, as time passed, he wasn't. But mm. and then definitely at the end of his career, he wasn't. I but, always laughed that the irony in all this was that Jose Canseco was the one that was telling the truth. Yeah, <laughs> when he wrote his first book and named names, and everyone like discredited him. Oh, it's Jose Canseco, but he was the one actually being honest. It seemed so. Yeah, that's why I've, I've said with Barry Bonds, he he didn't have to do. It. He actually could have not done it and, and been a Hall of Famer and. He did it, yeah, and that, uh, and the same with Roger Clemens, same thing. Whereas another, great... I did agree with what Bad Guy Twenty Three said. I I don't know why it's hard to explain it, but I do think baseball was better twenty years ago than it is now. I don't know why. I just something about like the nineties and early two thousands. I it just maybe it was the offense and the scoring, and you know you're right. Things started getting out of control with seventy home runs, a hundred plus walks, but. It's it's not the same to me as it was back then. Just like he said, I, mean, I, I totally agree with him. And I don't know how to explain it. I was watching uh, the same thing he talked about. This thirty for thirty show. It, it was it went over the that classic summer with McGuire and Sosa and brought back a lot of memories. And uh, just I don't know. Just back then, it seemed it just seemed different. I don't know. And it's hard to explain. Well, it's hard to explain. I, I would like to see them get away from the like tons of strikeouts in, in favor of home runs thing because it, it, it took away some elements of the game like the manufacturing runs and stealing bases and they, a lot of that has been reduced. It's not eliminated. But well, reduced. you know, that's part of it too. Like watching tonight, I watched, uh, right before I fell asleep, I watched the Angels play Oakland. and That was the first game that implemented this new uh, ten innings or, you know, or more obviously. Uh the person that made the previous out the inning before gets placed on second base. So this was the first game that went to extra innings, and it was implemented. And I hate it. 
I mean, I think it's so ridiculous. You know, I guess, like, I guess I could understand the logic that it's a 60 game season and it's, you know, some teams are only going to have a couple days off, you know, in in, in two two plus months. So they don't want the games being outrageous. But if this is something they implement going forward, then I I just think it's a complete mockery. Yeah, I really, I'm more of a a traditionalist than anything else. I don't like all the tinkering. Like, I really don't. Like, I, no, I, I don't. Of... I don't like for the most part either when they do those changes, and that that one's the most ridiculous of all. And I, I really don't like that one. Well, I kind of understand it because you know, I see. I was wrong. I thought it was a permanent change, but what I read today, it was only implemented for sure. They're going to revisit it, but it's only a, a rule change as of right yeah, now. Yeah, I, I, I knew year. that. Yeah, I knew that. Okay, so you know, if they permanently do that, then come on. Like, what are they? You know, the the concern was like kids don't have the patience because they're on their phones or doing a million other things to sit there and watch a game go 13, 15, 18 innings. I mean, that's part of the game. Like just not knowing what's going to happen. How oh, yeah, long it's yeah. going to go. Or... And not only that, that's, that's, those Stupid. are the ones that probably get more attention because they, they're unusual. Whereas exactly. the, the regular nine inning game that take, that can take a long time, that, 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 that's where people will lose interest because there's nothing special about it. It's just one of 162 games. And people say, oh, who cares? I don't want to invest three, three and a half, four hours in this. If you see a game that's in the 15th, you're kind of interested. Oh, I wonder who's going to finally win this one. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I got to see uh, yeah. an 18-inning game in the World Series. I don't think that'll ever happen again. Yeah. Well, I can't even tell you how many times back in the day, you know, even maybe as recent as last year, somebody would text me and be like, oh, you watching the, you know, the, the, the Mets play, the Marlins play, whatever, the Padres are in the 16th inning, and I had no idea. But then all of a sudden, like you just said, I'll turn it on because it's that's where it is, and I want to see who's going to win. Even though I have no interest in it, I don't root for either team, and it's a meaningless game, it's still interesting because you know after that long. And then, and then there are other dynamics that come to play where sometimes they run out of pitchers. So they have to put, like, you know, the second baseman who hasn't pitched since high school has to come in and pitch. You know, or if they have, they don't want to ruin the starters for the whole series. And so there are a lot of interesting dynamics. They run out of pinch hitters, so they bring in a pitcher to pinch hit, you know. So, but no, I'm like you. I'm old school. I'm a traditionalist. Uh, you know, I, you know, it's funny. I remember like the generation that is basically di- either died or dying now, which is like our grandparents being outraged when baseball started interleague play. I don't know if you remember this, but there was yes, there was that, yeah. a lot of people that thought, nope, the only time a National League team should play an American League team should be in the World Series. And there were traditionalists that, traditionalists that were pissed off about it. I was one of them. I thought, okay, that's all right. If you do one or two series, or I don't even know how many they do a year now, and 162, but I know it's not a lot. It's not, you know, what is, what is it? Two, three, four? How many, how many interleague series do they have? Yeah, something like, something like four. Yeah, or yeah. A little more. So, but I remember that there were you know people my grandparents' age at the time that were that didn't like that. And these are people that have been watching baseball since the '30s and the '40s, you know, and they thought that was ridiculous. So, if they were alive now, I can't even imagine what they'd be thinking of of the tinkering and you know. I know and the the other rule the the rule that states that a pitching change can't be made unless you face three batters. I get that. Because even I like, and I understand it's like a chess match. I understand the strategy. I would even get annoyed when you, you know, a meaningless game where they bring a, a left handy, a lefty in to face one guy. You had to wait for him to warm up. Then you have to, they remove him. Like I can kind of see that, you know, but that's about the extent of it. Like anything else, you're just, you're messing with a product for no reason. Like you just, you have to leave it alone. 
this is just ridiculous. This man on second base for I hate it. I absolutely hate it. Like, yeah, I, I just it, 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 it's just all you gotta do is bunt, and then you have I mean you hit a single, the game's over. You know, you just gotta sacrifice to get into the third. It's just it's terrible. I, I just I don't like it. Don't like it at all. It, it is terrible. All right. Well, thank you for being on the show here. You know, I'm sorry. One, one other thing. What they could have done, if they really were so concerned about the length, why not institute that, like, in the 12th inning or even the 11th? At least give them some time to play it out. And then if it becomes ridiculous in length, then do that. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Instead of just right off the bat. So, I don't know. Anyhow. Hey, uh, good luck to your Dodgers. And I know I have it. We have it archived. I don't remember. We have a bet. Oh, that's I always right. forget I our bets. I forgot the terms. I too. believe I believe you gave me. Oh, geez, was it thirteen and a half games? The Marlins. I don't remember the exact number, so it's on the air. We could find it. But what was the bet? We it was like twenty dollars. We bet. Yeah, it was a value about, of twenty. Yeah, bucks. I forgot how many games, games it was. The Dodgers are going to be ahead, but okay, I have to look. I know it was whatever. What we did is we looked on William Hill or Cantor or one of the sporting sites, and we looked at what the the favorite, you know, what the consensus over under was for wins, and we just minused it. Yeah. Like if the Dodgers were predicted to win forty one games, and the Marlins were, you know, twenty. I think it probably was thirteen and a half. That seems that seems to ring a bell, but I have to look. So anyhow, good luck in our bets. The Marlins won. They were, they they were won. plus yeah. three hundred. They were plus three hundred dogs today at, at Philly, and they won five yeah. to two. So very good. Who knows. So, all right. Well, listen, thanks for having me on. I'm glad. Uh, I know it was the second half, but I assume you had uh hey, buddy, on for the first half. We did. So he kind of just vanished, but yeah, he was here. Yeah. Did he fall asleep on the radio? He just vanished. He didn't even just fall asleep. He just completely disappeared. Um, Probably like, disconnected and didn't say a word? Yeah, it just disconnected. That was it. That's funny. Hey, buddy. All right. <laughs> got to work on that. All right. Well, listen, thanks for having me on. And, uh. And uh, everybody enjoy the show. Marley Cordero, if you're out there, holler, holler at me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, I'm not. She's actually a pretty girl. She is. But, and uh, listen, and I, I, I didn't talk about it, but I agree with what you said, too. Like, really, these people are really going to go crazy because she spoke her mind. Like, come on. Give me a break. Leave a girl alone. Like, really? Like, she can't speak her mind. Whether you agree or disagree from her perspective, she's just being honest and telling the truth. Yep. And they're going to bash her? Come on. They not. By the way, you notice this is a, a different uh, closing theme, slightly. I can't hear nothing. I can't hear it. Okay. Well, trust I me. I tried to listen to the to the uh, Benzamokan ad, and I couldn't hear that earlier. When you yeah, went on your you little know, break. It's, it's, no, it's, it's I don't Skype. Hear nothing. Skype just cuts things. It's oh. stupid. So what's the new... Oh, now you have to tell me, though. What's his new closing that I don't even know what it is? I'll well, never hear it. Well, I'll see if I can put it back. Let me see. Oh, I hear the Archie Bunker thing. It's a slightly different version. Listen. So listen, while we're doing the closing, remind me the next time I'm on. Fuck Vowels sent me a message on Instagram a couple of days ago. So I'll talk. It was nothing. It was just a little cute little hello thing. Try to get her come back on here. I, I want to get an update from her. She didn't have to host the show again, but I'd like I'd like to hear her on here again. No. Sounds good. Well, thanks for having me on, buddy. Yeah. Okay, well, thank you for coming on here. And uh, sure. so it was a nice surprise or semi-surprise to hear you. Hey, buddy. Here. That only works if he could possibly be here. Yeah, I know. I'm just trying to practice it. Well, you can keep practicing. Maybe a week from now, you will be able to just replace him completely. 
We won't even need trader risk. I can't hear you. I can't hear you. Okay, well, you know how Skype is. Okay. Shout out to Mr. Tickle. I know he loves these shows. Yes, Mr. Tickle, shout out to you all the way in Russia. And we'll be back next Friday on August for Actually, won't. I'll announce the date. Maybe Thursday. Good night and shalom. shalom.